Broadcasting live from the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida, for Hymns 19, it's This Just In. Now here's your host, HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you very much, and welcome to the special edition of This Just In Radio Show at Hymns 19. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. We're broadcasting live from the Hymns Annual Conference here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. If you're here at the conference, stop by our set at booth 2821. Uh, before we get too far into the show, though, let me introduce my radio and on-air producers, Stone Payton and Lee Cantor from Business Radio X. Thank you, gentlemen. Hey, it's our pleasure, man. This is awesome. Actually, Stone and I started this five years ago from Hymns 15 in Chicago, and we've been running strong ever since. Uh, and you guys are terrific, so thank you very, very much. And also, special thanks to Roberta Mowens, broadcasting to us live to over 30,000 of our listeners on Healthcare Now Radio Network as well. So welcome, everybody. And you can stream us live today until 5.15 and 5.20 Eastern on brxlive.com, thisjustinradio.com, and certainly healthcarenowradio.com. We have several other stations and networks also picking up the live broadcasts. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. Um, but I am so proud that this is our fifth year broadcasting a live, syndicated, multi-network radio broadcast from the HINS annual conference. We had so much fun over the last couple years that we had to do it again, and our lineup just keeps on getting better. Over the next four hours, actually a little bit more than that, we'll have the most thought-after and sought-after CEOs, CIOs, care providers, policymakers, and visionaries joining the show. We even have a special guest slotted from HHS and ONC to discuss the new rule they published yesterday on information blocking. Elise Sweeney Anthony will be joining us at 3.50 p.m. today, and no one will want to miss that interview to hear directly from the ONC and the Office of National Coordinator. If anyone does miss this broadcast and want to hear any more shows or parts of our shows on This Justin Radio, they're always posted to iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, and the TuneIn platform. Uh, as many of you know, my goal for broadcasting these live each year from the HIMSS annual conference is to create an information medium that shares best practices and actionable intelligence from industry's leading sources and experts out to everyone that may not have the opportunity to come to this conference. Um, there's certainly no substitute for attending in person, uh, but uh, as we know, uh, life happens. This is actually my 18th year broadcasting or being uh, a member of HIMSS and, and attending the HIMSS annual conference. But for numerous reasons, we can't make every single one. I understand that. But this show is brought to you now every year and you get a great feel for what's happening here along the aisles, along with all the participants, all the leaders and the cutting edge technology and innovation in healthcare. Also want to say many thanks to HIMSS Radio and this Justin Radio Show partners such as Lenovo Health, Hims Media, and of course the Hims Organization, and also Health Data Management. They're all great partners and supporters of our radio show every year. Now, our goal of the next four hours is to bring you the latest in healthcare innovation, strategy, policy, and best practices to successfully navigate the future of healthcare. My goal, along with my guests, will be to offer you tactics and strategies to not only survive, but to thrive as you navigate your hospital, your physician practice, your company, or even your family through all these changes occurring across healthcare today. There is no more opportunity than ever before um, for us to thrive. And we must understand how healthcare is evolving, how policy and reimbursement is shifting, and where best practices and innovation can support our efforts. I hope you can glean that over the next day, and next certainly four and a half hours. At least that's my goal. But I'm very excited to introduce my very first guest, Dr. Bob Monteverdi from Lenovo. Welcome, my friend. Please come on in, join the show. How are you? Fantastic, and I'm excited to have here and be here. And 
be uh, our uh, fifth year in a row. And I appreciate all your partnership and your support, my friend. Ditto here. So tell me, um, first of all, what are you guys looking forward to uh, for Hymns 19 specifically? Oh, just uh, a great show, good attendance, a lot of fantastic educational sessions. Sat through a few this morning already. Uh, looking at the newest trends that are going on and trying to figure out how we fit into the equation. So uh, happy to be here and uh, just excited we've got such a big event again. How, how many attendees this year? I want to say it's going to creep up towards 40,000. 40. Is the number wow. I was told. Yeah. It's come a long way. It has. I think when back. I first, yeah, I think it was around eight, eight or nine, maybe eight, eight, seven or 8,000 when I first started coming. Maybe it wasn't even that much. I think much. this 5, is 000. my 16th, so it's, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. So now getting into some of your thought leadership, what are some of the healthcare trends or even IT trends that you see in the industry? Yeah, the one that I always uh, grasp towards, because it seems to be the primary one that's driving everything, is, is just this whole cost-quality equation that's going on in healthcare. I, I, I continually, when I speak, I talk uh, frequently about the cost of care being just ridiculous figures. You know, 20% of our gross domestic product, $3 yeah. trillion dollars a year. And how do you drive that equation down? And, you know, in recent years, it's been more value-based care has been the, 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 the phrase that everybody likes to use. Yeah. How do we make that move? gradually away from fee-for-service and more towards outcomes-based. Uh, it's, it's really what it's all about. It's about the patient aspect of it. So as I look at that and I see all the payer, all the risk being transferred from payers over to providers and over to patients, it, it becomes a different model out there, right? It's, it's not yeah. so much about always filling beds. It's about trying to figure out how to get that best care <laughs> and, and best outcome. And when you talk best outcome, the big change in recent years is it's not the best outcome by the provider's definition. It's the best outcome by the patient's definition. So now. true. That's, if, are they satisfied? So to me, it starts with value-based care, but that risk transfer drives this whole consumerism game. And to, that is the, the big patient centricity that everyone is trying to figure out how to solve. A variety of different means of doing that, but that's, yeah. that's my two cents. Uh, no, I love it. So let's actually dive in a couple of, in that component, what do you think are two to three best practices um, that you can offer to, for people to navigate that successfully today? Yeah, at, at, at the highest level, you know, whether you're a, a vendor that's actually marketing to health systems or you're a health system and the, end, uh, the, the patients are really the end target, you're trying to figure out what the need really is. Look at that landscape and try to figure out what you can do, which, what's going to be your strategic competitive advantage to play in that space. So if centricity around patients is really the goal and trying to get the best outcomes you possibly can, well, what, what do you do? You, you know, For the last few years, I've seen more and more of the bigger entities going down the advanced analytics path and artificial intelligence. Absolutely a, a, a great play. Takes time to accumulate the data. It's mm -hmm. a lot of heavy lifting. It's, it's one really good, strong play that, uh, that does make sense. Another one I, I see that you know we're, we're involved in a little bit more here is the virtual care telemedicine play. And you know, you look at the ability uh, to, to decrease the burden on physicians, to increase the convenience and the access for patients to get uh, potentially better outcomes, definitely more capability of monitoring all the, the wealth of devices that are surging out there, both consumer and medical grade. And I view that as a play that really makes an awful lot of sense too. At, at the end of the day, from a strategic perspective though, you really have to figure out, as I started to allude to, external market, your internal capabilities, yep. and then you know a little bit of Stephen Covey into the mix doesn't hurt here. Seven habits, begin totally with the agree. end. In, begin with the end in mind. I mean, yep. What are you trying to accomplish? What's going to be your advantage? What do you want to do? And then, okay, so where do I start? Yep. Put first, th first things first. Yep. Be proactive. Make sure it's a win-win. It's yep. got to be a win for your health system, yep. but it's also got to be a win for the patients. So. You know, it sounds simple, yeah. difficult to execute oh, no, on. It's very but, difficult. But that's uh, that's my approach to all of these things, regardless of uh, what I'm trying to tackle. 
Well, and I love it because we are starting to tackle some of those in our think tank. We were on, well, we have think tank five here tomorrow and we're, we are starting to tackle some of those. So it's, it's very exciting. So now thinking beyond today, what, are, what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in a couple of years from now? Because right now, a lot of this is the here and now. But let's think ahead. Let's think, yeah. of, you know, in Wayne, in Wayne Gretzky terms, you know, where's the puck going to be in two to three years from now? I don't know if it's two to three. Uh, <laughs> you know, I might be going a little further on you. Yeah. Obviously, artificial intelligence, uh, probably as big a play as anything, because if you're going to accumulate all this data, and even if you can apply all analytics to it, you, you can't have humans intervening with this volume of data. We start talking about real world data and social media and, and, and then IoT externally from uh, these remote devices, it just gets out of hand. So. AI should be able to play a good role. It already is starting to, but sure. it's uh, you know it's got its its detractors and it's got its, its parties that are fearful of it. But it's, it brings a lot of value to the table. I think ultimately, though, if you look at the whole consumerism play not going away, right. healthcare is building every day. Yeah. It's building. I mean, yeah. patients and consumers now have the ability to decide where they're going to spend their money, their HSEs, their higher deductibles. They're making decisions that they're not getting necessarily reimbursed for by a third party to the extent they used to. So now you go out and you buy healthcare for yourself. It's not that much different than any other major purchase. Home, car. So yeah, true. It's, it's a big sort deal. So, you know, $10,000 deductible or more. Right. High, so, yeah. so what does that all point to? I mean, personalized medicine, precision medicine in the yeah. end game. Two to three years, probably a little optimistic, yeah. especially if you include genomics into right. that mix of, of uh, precision yeah. medicine. But ultimately, it's not really about um, just providing generic care to the masses. It's about providing the right care for, for Justin, for Bob, yeah. for everybody, more specific to what's what's normal and abnormal for them. And that's going to be a big, longer task, probably, uh, probably further out than two yeah. to three, but I, I think that's where I see things going. Well, I love it. I mean, starting off with the artificial intelligence and kind of where the here and now is today, but it is certainly in the future, but even where Andy Bartley uh, from Intel had mentioned in our last think tank, that mm -hmm. they're actually finding physicians wanting to be trained on AI. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty fascinating, because well, actually I would not have guessed that. I and, mean, it, and there's some real world stuff out there exactly. now. And, uh, you know, analyzing the, the diagnostics on the radiology, uh, tumors for dermatology, you know, and sometimes the, the results are coming in better than the doctors can exactly. diagnose. Exactly. Which is a problem in itself to, for <laughs> right. acceptance, but uh, right. yeah, there's a lot there. No, uh, and then also, I think on the precision medicine side, one of my guests uh, today, um, Evelyn Gallego uh, from HHS is going to speak to actually social determinants of health, which really is moving down the side of precision medicine. Right, absolutely. And actually, I spoke with um, uh, our former ONC coordinator, Dr. Karen DeSalvo, two days ago, and she's working heavily on this front as yes, well. Yes. And so, people, this is really, it is where we're going to be in three to four or five years from now, mm -hmm. but it is certainly starting yeah, today. Yeah. So, I completely agree. So, what are you uh, looking for? What is, what's the rest of the afternoon look like for you? Meetings? A lot, and a lot of meetings. So yeah, you, you knew that one. Yep. Uh, got a couple of different things I'm doing in some other booths around here, some panels I'm on, and uh, you know, try to engage at the kiosks here as well. But uh, excited about some of the offerings we've got, and um, just looking forward to engaging with folks, getting lots of good feedback, and keep making our offerings better and better. Yeah. So. Well, and what's the big theme? We'll touch on it a little bit at 3 p.m., but as we close the segment now, what is the theme that you think Lenovo will be investing heavily in in 2019 and 2020? I, I think it's some of the ones we touched upon. Obviously, we'll continue to make our hardware improve yes. better and better for, sure. for, uh, for, for healthcare specifically. Moving a little bit heavier into radiology, definitely into virtual care, uh, trying to strengthen our, our already robust virtualized desktop infrastructure solutions. So it's a, it's a number of different plays mm -hmm. uh, and, and actually trying to come to the market more one Lenovo with our servers and our yes. clients together. Um, I think all of those are, are factors in where I we like want to go. One Lenovo. One I like Lenovo. That. I like yes. that. That's yeah. good branding. Yeah, it is. Excellent. I'll, I'll, I'll run that by 
apply them in marketing. Cool. <laughs> well, Dr. Bob, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you Always so much. Always a pleasure, and uh, we'll see you shortly. I'll look forward to you at uh, 6.30 in the morning for the Think Tank. Exactly. <laughs> Bright and early. All right. Take care. Thank you, Bob. Anish, we're ready, my friend. My next guest is the one and only infamous... Anish Chopra. How are you, my friend? I am awesome. Thanks for having me. Always, my friend. Pink socks? We are uh, in spirit. I didn't in physically spirit. wear my pink socks, but I'm with spirit in okay. my in the family. Dude, Amen. what a big day, <laughs> two days, Amen. decade. Yes. Yes. It's a lot going on, man. It's awesome. Healthcare's awesome. It's going to be great for families, and uh, I'm excited about where we're going. So talk to me. Where do well, I want to start? I actually got something really cool for you. Yeah. Just came out a couple weeks ago. I have a, I'm chairman of a health organization in Georgia. And we actually just got, so part of my world is insurance now. It's because I'm trying to merge all this great innovation technology yes. with care providers, with insurers. So I actually just got offered a um, 30, 20 to 30% reduction. I'm, I have a think tank tomorrow that I'm actually discussing this in, but I want to mention it to you because you always think way ahead of the curve. Yeah, I let's love do it. it. So actually 20 to, th- 20 to 30%, depending upon the, um, the employee or the individual, because yeah. individuals and in companies, um, but 20 to 30% reduction for our care strategy based on a DPC model, direct primary care. Oh, really? Well, with all the specialists wrapped around it. Nice. And then integrated insurance, but the insurance are giving us a, a care credit of 20 to 30% because of our care model using technology and innovation and I right-minded thinkers in the I doctors. love it. Yeah. I do think the self-insured employer market is ready to benefit from this move to value. Exactly. And so you're involved in this. Yes, that's my that's my So world. here's yeah. let's 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 connect that to the regulatory world. Love it. So we regulated EHRs, so doctors yes. and hospitals, and so we have ostensibly now a modernized uh, internet-based uh, method of accessing health records and moving it from uh, a practice to an, an app on the iPhone. Yesterday, CMS said health plans that work on behalf of the government mm-hmm. must similarly provide an open standards-based API so that the data they collect, mostly claims, yep. will be available to the population they serve. And this is the first time a health plan is going to be faced with a kind of an obligation around open APIs. It is compelling the industry to standardize. Mm -hmm. And what I would suggest in your model is that we staple Appendix A to your contract Mm -hmm. that says that the employers who want to benefit from this new model have the the insurance company that provides the TPA claims administration also offer an open API so that consumers can uh, take access, have access to their information. And you could be the conduit. Yeah by which that information, and organize it so that the folks in DPC, obviously they're the quarterback. Yes. That's the power of the DPC model. But if they do need a specialist, uh, being able to organize the information and bring that information back. And so that uh, appendix A Mm -hmm. for employers in models like the one you're uh, launching is a great extension of this new new, new thrust in in open data. Where do I find that? Where would I? So uh, the rule uh, went, so here's how I would suggest. Mm -hmm. We have to write Appendix A. Okay. That hasn't been written as an industry yet. Right. Uh, the Karen Alliance at uh, C-A-R-I-N Alliance.com, okay. we got half a dozen health plans to voluntarily agree on a technical data model for what does it mean to give a patient access to their claims data via an open API. Yep. So uh, we could certainly, your brain power on that would be useful. And then an Appendix A would be to say reference that data model and make that the one that we make available. So we're geeking out a little bit, yep. but it says 
this creativity yes, that we've that's got. That's what I love. The yeah. key is bending that healthcare cost curve so that we don't take the 18, 19, 20% of GDP to that's 25. Right. That's exactly right. Your self-insured employer model yep. moves that in the other direction, but you need information to be effective in making sure the model works. So Very God true. bless. I love it. So we'll take a step back um, just so we catch everybody up because we did geek out a little bit there. Yes. But um, what do you, first of all, Yes. how many hymns have you been to? Is this your seventh, 10th, 15th? Oh, it's probably at 20th? least seven. I don't okay. know. I, yeah. I mostly came when I was in government, yep. so I, I hadn't been uh, prior to that. And I've been in government uh, probably eight years, and, and then yep. you go years after that. So here we are. Let's call it 10 years for fun. Awesome. What are your goals for the next couple of days? Look, my number one goal at Hims, which I think Hims is designed for, is collaboration. Yeah. This is where people from the industry get to know each other, reconnect. And what I want to do is go beyond the social aspect of the connection. But we've been organizing roundtables throughout Hims. We had one earlier today. Uh, with this idea of consumer-directed uh, exchange. Mm -hmm. The Argonaut Project, as yep. you know, the oh, yes. uh, HL7 community, we're going to be gathering at 3 o'clock this afternoon, I think in 310A or B, if anybody wants to join. Excellent. And the premise is that uh, let's turn the convening power of HIMS into an actionable, you know, there active you collaboration model. And so that convening to collaboration, that's the spirit. And that's what we love of HIMS. And, uh, you know... I'm sure the booths are wonderful, and I'll do my best to make my way around it. <laughs> I know. But maybe this is not the highest value right. uh, of time. But anyway, yes. No, I love it. So what are you, what trends or you know, healthcare trends or IT trends are you seeing in the industry right now that you're working on, you're focused on? My number one goal, the big trend, mm -hmm. is that we will start to see health information fiduciaries become uh, emerge. So as we have consumer-directed exchange come to life, and mm -hmm. Apple Health is a beautiful manifestation of that. Uh, we also will start to see, now the pressure's on the regulators saying gas pedal, more, more consumer-directed exchange. While there are apps, and I think that there'll be better apps with better features, I believe they're going to link to something like your DPC model mm -hmm. or something that says, just like you thought of for, uh, Fidelity and Vanguard when you, when you took your pension plan and made it a 401k. Yep. I think there's going to be something similar with managing your health. And so someone who's accountable to the patient, who is giving them advice on the best interest of the patient, that to me feels like the next frontier. Now, will they use a lot of the plumbing and the technology here to make it uh, successful to do that? Sure. But ultimately, it's about there being a new service on the menu that is, entrust me with your data and I'll give you objective advice to be in your best interest not those of my sponsor or whatever. Sure. And that, that, that's the spirit of what I'm, I'm pushing for generally in the industry. So in that vein, what, how, what are two or three best practices that you would say or, or offer to people to help navigate that or engage that in some capacity? Well, my number one, you're, so in my example, I would view the work you're doing without knowing other than the two sentences yep, what yep. you said. You're effectively operating as a health information fiduciary. You are organizing the delivery of care. Yes. Presumably the employers who sign up with you are sharing the claims data. Mm -hmm. So you've got some history and understanding about the problems for the patients. And then you're building up more decision support. And you may choose to have the quarterback, the DPC doc, be the arm of change. Or you may also, you know, start to communicate with patients and families. The caregivers are, I think, are the unsung heroes here. And they may be another uh, point of activation. So po point number one for me is... 
Let's build on what's working. Yep. Those who are moving to value-based care are natural health information fiduciaries, point one. Point two, we really need to have this, uh, the, the HIE of one uh, in terms of what are the kinds of things you'd like to say. So if you said to me, uh, my mom and dad are both on Medicare, I, I've got access to their blue button file. How many questions Good. about their, yeah, <laughs> how, how many questions uh, do, do, are in the public source, uh, in the open source that I could help answer my parents? Hey, based on your data feed, you'd be a great candidate for this DPC program. You'd be a great cram- candidate for diabetes prevention. Or have you thought about this this uh, back pain you have? You might want to do a shared decision-making consult. So th- th- there is a menu of, of these sort of uh how do you use the data now that it's open? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that this wave is going to be about. So step one, uh, build off of value-based care. Step two, build a library of queries you could go when you start to activate patients so they can help answer whether they're getting the right care or the, the care that they shouldn't be getting uh, as they navigate the system. That's excellent. So now thinking ahead a little bit, a couple of years, say three years out. Yep. What do you think we should be or what do you see we should thinking be thinking about as an industry regarding a trend or basically what we have to navigate. Because right now, HIMSS is a lot about here and now. Yes. We do talk about some AI, and there's some stuff today, and there's some yeah. stuff, stuff tomorrow. But what do you see in three years from now that we need to think about today? Well, I think people are thinking about it, but they're going to scale. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, in general, we have tried every policy intervention to fix healthcare. Mm-hmm. We've got some state-run, there's some federal programs, there's insurance-led, but we really haven't built a model that's powered by patients and the decision support around patients. So my view is if you carry what I just said, the, 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 the library of, of queries, the, the, the role of value-based care, I believe there's going to be a new uh, actor organizing mm-hmm. the delivery of care for patients. And that, to me, that's the big opportunity that we haven't quite sorted out. So uh, CMS launches the eMedicare uh, mobile app. And it says, hey, by the way, you're eligible for an annual wellness visit. Well, in the app, they say, by the way, you get a personalized care plan. Well, how many caregivers, my mom and dad, if they had the wellness visit, I don't know what their care plan is. Maybe I should help them make sure they stay compliant with the plan. How easy is it to get? That's not available to me on Apple Health. It's not something that's standardized in the open API. How do we get that? So I think we're going to need, we need to start putting together the uh, service delivery models that take advantage of this information optimized for the patient. And I don't know how that, what that's gonna look like, the form and factor, but I think in the next two or three years, there'll be a lot more of those uh, than just the traditional extensions of the doctor's office, extensions of the insurance company. Yeah, no, I, I love that and I agree with that completely. We need to start to be thinking more in that direction for sure. What do you think about the um, the information blocking rule that came out or the inoperability rule, I'd like to say? I don't like- so I would say three things, number yeah. one, uh, it does create a dynamically uh, uh, generated floor, mm-hmm. meaning we got to get the entire health record in a machine-readable format available to an app of a consumer's choice. And and the floor is going to raise the the law. The rule basically says we're going to be ratcheting this thing up until we get to the full health record. Yep. Point one: we're on a journey to give it free to the patient. Two: we absolutely have to find a way to uh, put the insurance uh, industry on notice that they're next. So we haven't done anything to get the insurance data out. We're going to have to do that. CMS says that loud and clear. But then I think this third provision on information blocking, this opens up a new idea. 
and I'm going to be toying with this. We're going to mm-hmm. uh, trial it on this uh, radio show. There you go. Uh, net neutrality for healthcare data. And here's what that means. If you're a data holder, whether you're a hospital system or mm. you are the EHR, you're allowed to charge reasonable fees to recoup the costs of accessing the data. So if, not to the patient, but if right. you wanted to share it with the insurance companies or whomever else. So what is reasonable fee? And it just introduces the idea of a value-added fee. You, you could compete on value-added services, but you can't monopolize the access to the data. So in a way, that was our net neutrality construct, which is the base utility, the internet infrastructure, doesn't matter who your uh, t- cable company is, that is an open uh, resource. And if the cable company also wants to do predictive modeling for you know, fall risk, well, great, they can build that prediction model and fall risk, but they'll compete like everybody else on the use of that data. Mm-hmm. They couldn't take advantage of their uh, position of access to the data to be uniquely positioned to launch their own apps. It's a net neutrality for healthcare data, and I do believe that will have the most economic impact. This entire uh, floor mm-hmm. is powered by organizations that have figured out different pieces and parts of the business model on data, and this rule has just created a new regulatory uh, <laughs> edge on yeah. exactly what that looks like. So that, I think, is the sleeper story of the, of the, of the, of the HIMSS and the information blocking rule, how we do reasonable fees and value-added fees to drive uh, true innovation in the delivery system. Is that going to, do you feel that's enabled with the regulation right now as it proposed? Yeah, it's, well, I mean, these things are all going to be litigated or gone through some complaint process, but uh, even the notion Mm -hmm. in the preamble of the rule that there's this idea that there are costs to sharing data, but they should be priced at marginal cost or recoup, a la utility-style regulation, cable net neutrality-style regulation, and let the value-added services compete in an open market. That's a profound idea. Right captured in the rulemaking. And since it's it's tethered to the 21st Century Cures Act, massively bipartisan, yep. I think it sticks. I, love I think it. it sticks. I love it. I actually have Elise Sweeney Anthony on my show at 3.50 today, talking about the new rule. Amen. So, love it. Um, Thank you, closing, brother. Well, in closing, one more question for yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Crystal ball. Yeah. Or not even crystal ball. Wishing ball. Whatever. Wishing ball. If Dreams. You, if, yes, dream a big dream. If we could have, if there's one piece of policy we still have to figure out on Capitol Hill, and we had bipartisan support for it. What do you feel that we need? I know I'm throwing you a curveball, but what do you think we, we really need to help accelerate what we're trying to work on and achieve in this country? So there is this challenge, which is uh, we do still have the conundrum of patient identity in the digital era. Very so, true. So Peter Levin, the father of Blue Button, yep. uh, we have the opportunity to allow consumers to log into portals and download their files. But if I took your portal credentials, Justin, yeah and I log in and I pull down your blue button file, not so great. And we understand the problem. Uh, There are many, many uh, technical pathways, but this is bigger than technology. We're gonna have to sort out uh, identity, digital identity in in the era of the internet economy, especially in the regulated sectors. And so to me, whether it's patient ID, patient matching, and patient, Uh, 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 authorization. There's something about how we get you Mm -hmm. on your smartphone connected to the doctors, hospitals, insurance companies that you trust and pulling the information that's meant for you out seamlessly. Right. The technical piece is there on once you're connected, you can download those things. That's what we've got with the Fire API. Yep. But the front door 
has still some work to do on identity and uh, how we sort that out. So that to me is an issue. It may require more congressional action on, on broader uh, privacy and security rules around the internet economy. And we'll, we'll kind of take our, our, our temperature on what that looks like mm -hmm. in the coming weeks. Awesome. I love it, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you Anish, as always, brother. My Take pleasure. care. Thank Cheers. you. Have a great rest of the conference. All right, you too. Thank you. Awesome. All right, who's next? Dan Michelson, right there. Perfect. There he is. There he is. How are you, my friend? Been a long time. Good to see you. Excellent. Please come on up. I didn't see you out there. I had Anish keep on going. I kept on asking him questions. Are actually live on here <laughs> we right are now? Oh, we are. Okay. You have 30,000 people listening to you right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I uh, guess just jump right on the field and start you, playing. Yeah, but you come in right at uh, 1.30. Okay. Thank you, Dan. See, I'm actually on time. I love it. Well, I wanted you here five minutes ago, but it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect. Good timing. Perfect. So, first of all, Dan, CEO of Strata Decision Technology. Um, we are, we're longtime friends. I'm trying to think back. I guess I met you in 2004, 2005 when yep. we were starting the EHR Vendors Association. Yeah, trying to create standards for electronic health records. Who would have thunk? Amen. And I, we just actually walked through a lot of that with it, even a niche. Yeah, so now there's actual data, so there's a different problem to solve than there was back then. Yes, and actually we'll have a, a, a 350, uh, Elise. Um, Sweeney Anthony will be joining us from the ONC talking about the new information don't rule. Don't hype other people while you're talking to me. That's just not. That's not right. Come they on. They were a last-second ad. I'm very happy we could we uh, we made it happen. But thank you, Dan. I love what you're doing. You actually actually my very first guest brought brought up cost accounting. So I'll give you 30 seconds before I ask you some of the thought leader questions on um, on your new cost accounting model that you've just launched. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you and I and the work we were doing with a bunch of other folks uh, 15 years ago on electronic health records. If you don't know what an EHR is, then and you can't define what the data would actually be, then there's not anything to use. Uh, right. So now we've solved that problem to some extent on the clinical side. But on the cost side, it's it's, it's essentially a, uh, a black hole. I mean, mm -hmm. people do not Very understand true. the difference between cost, price, charge, and reimbursement. Uh, if you look at bottom-up costing in healthcare, for the most part, it doesn't exist. Right. Uh, so if we're really going to look at value, we need to look at the top part and the bottom part of the equation. The model we launched with the Healthcare Finance Management Association yesterday was based on work we've done with over 200 health systems. There's 40,000 members in HFMA. Yes. Uh, so there's a real good opportunity for that industry to step up and really um, uh, show the path on how we can get uh, good, actionable information on cost to healthcare providers. It's excellent. Isn't there a lot of money to be made by not um, wanting to tackle that, though, by a lot of different actors in the healthcare system? I love what you're doing. But I think it, there, I feel like there's people who like to have kind of that black box and not un, not understand pricing or want to understand pricing because they make more money off that. Because I just w waved into the uh, insurance world or walked into the insurance world in one of my latest ventures, and I just I'm trying to solve that and fix that from a care provider standpoint. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it all depends on your lens, right? Yep. So if I'm a health, if I'm the CFO for or CEO or CMIO you for a healthcare yep. delivery system, it's let's just say it's a billion dollar healthcare system. Mm -hmm. 80% of that cost is going to come from the decisions that the clinicians and the physicians make. So they have $800 million in their hands, right? but they have no idea the difference between um, you know, one decision they may make and another. So we're not giving them any information to know if that glass of wine they're drinking is $10 or right. $300, and wouldn't it be nice to know? Because ultimately, we're yeah. all stewards of the resources that are used within healthcare. So no, I think healthcare providers have nothing but... Uh, the right reasons uh, to get 
the right information uh, right now. So good, good, good. So looking at HIMSS and also what you're doing in 2019, 2020, what healthcare health IT trends are you seeing in the industry? Well, I think this is a big trend right now. I mean, I think I think well, I would agree. One of them I would say is um, getting information that's contextual. So I went to the MIT Sports Analytics Conference, and at that conference, they're all talking about using data within direct context. So there's a batter that's up there. The pitcher has to make a decision where they throw the ball. There's a manager who's going to position their players on the field. In healthcare, we have all that information hiding behind somewhere. And when we present to people, it's really a, a bunch of information with some analytics tools that you know are looking to find one diamond in the rough versus putting uh, direct data that's you know what's referred to as applied analytics, mm-hmm. contextual data directly in the hands of people. That 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 ultimately is the only reason why cost accounting data would matter is if you put it in the hands of people who can actually make decisions. That's exactly right. So. Uh, that's the trend I see. Is that we've created this mountain of data, but we've got to get it within context. It's not just the tools; yeah. it's putting it within a, an appropriate context that's going to make the difference. So, following that con- context, what are two or three best practices that you could share with my audience on how you would successfully engage that or navigate that outside oh. of your cost accounting model? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like one of the things you can do now with an Epic is you can embed cost within order sets. So, at least when I'm making that decision. Once I use, again, I'll use the analogy of a glass of wine, at least I could see what the difference is. Um, We tell every CFO it's a very easy decision to have with your clinicians, which is don't ever make a decision based on cost. I mean, it could be my wife or my daughter or my sister or my mom. Don't ever make a decision based on cost, but you should never make it completely oblivious of that either. Um, So I think getting that data to physicians, whether it's uh, prospectively, retrospectively, or in real time, all the data will show you it it absolutely has an impact. So I think there's multiple best practices. The the main thing is action, is actually doing something and engaging clinicians in a collaborative way. What's happening now is that people will send out a variation report between a bunch of different providers and show you as the outlier. <laughs> and it starts as a very negative conversation. Right. Um, th- there's a much very better true. way to engage physicians in a in a collaboration. I'm um, talking to a bunch of CMIOs about that during this conference in a collaborative way where we can really make a difference. Um, so um, I think there's uh, those are some of the examples I guess I would share. It's excellent. Yeah. So now thinking a couple years in advance, say three years in advance, what should this group, because a lot of us are, we're focused on here and now, certainly with HIMSS because we're here. But what are you thinking in a couple of years from now that we need to really think to navigate, or even in cost accounting in your world in, in several years from now? Yeah, so I'd go back to the EHR days. The, the, the conversation that we were having 15 years ago was people were telling us doctors would never use computers. They were technophobic, yeah. right? Yes. So apparently technophobia was cured, yeah. or that assumption was wrong. <laughs> yeah. The second thing was those EHRs had, had order sets in them. And with those order sets, people viewed those initially as cookbook medicine. Doctors won't use that. Right. That's cookbook medicine. Yep, yep. And apparently that was solved. So I think on the cost side, if you look three years from now, we'll see why in the world weren't we sharing this information? It makes absolutely no sense. Um, so if you have a $3.6 trillion spend in healthcare, right. and $2 trillion of that is flowing through hospitals and healthcare delivery systems, that means $1.6 trillion can be attacked to some extent totally agree uh, by engaging clinicians in a productive uh, prospective way and so it, it just um, the problem to be solved I think is pretty obvious um, but I think there's a behavioral psychology component to this yep um, I think there's a trust component to this where people have to not assume but they have to engage um, so I think it's not just data it's not just systems um, but it's really about um, uh, thinking through the problem in a different way 
Yep. No, and even to your point, we actually had a little bit of a breakthrough in Georgia a couple of months ago, actually a couple of weeks ago now, um, with the healthcare system that I'm a chairman of, we actually, we have full price transparency. We have, it's a, we follow a DPC model, about 250 uh, provider specialists will support that model, but then we finally have been negotiated with payers. They actually gave us a 30, 20 to 30% credit for each member because of price transparency, mm-hmm. um, because uh, our care model pro- is proven to actually keep a health patient healthier. Our DPC doctors practice the top of their license. We integrated all of that and really dropped costs dramatically. I mean, literally a 20 to 30% reduction in premiums. Right. For, for doing that, and so I, you're, that's you just mentioned that that one you know was it when you mentioned is it one point six trillion dollars we probably can take right off the bottom if we start. There's a, any organization yeah. you go into, the cost of variation you know is at least ten percent. Yeah. So if you're in a three billion dollar organization, you know there's a three hundred million dollar opportunity. Yep. So attacking that is not just a data problem. There's a way to engage. So Yale New Haven Health is a good example. They drove out one hundred and fifty million dollars of cost just by marrying clinical and financial data together, yeah. right? And then I think you and I have talked about this before, but um, they also did gain sharing with their physicians. So if, if you're going to engage as a doctor in the first year, why not let you benefit to some extent from it? Because we'll get the benefit in the out years. So there's there's different ways to tackle the problem. It's excellent. Yeah. So what else are you looking forward to uh, in this conference? What do you have to tackle for the next couple of days here? Jeez, uh, you guys well, have a booth here, right? Of course. Yeah, we yeah. do. Um, but Hims is always a little bit of a zoo, so um, I'm actually spending time just having conversations with people. Uh, I'm going to ru- be writing an article, which is uh, called the, uh, the the solving the 3.6 trillion dollar problem. Right? I what love it. here actually is helpful, you know, from that perspective, which isn't just adding costs, but is going to help us run and operate. You know the responsibility we have to serve patients more efficiently and effectively. Um, so those are, a lot of the conversations I have are just about the problems people are trying to solve. Yeah. Well, once you, uh, you're you writing, is that going to be an article that you're going to write or a book yeah. that you're writing? I would love to have you certainly on the radio show for that because that's a conversation. I just, I love that conversation because recently I, I realized that before I didn't believe we could really bend the cost curve very much, but now I really start where we, I see that we can bend the cost curve. And so that's a conversation that I'm fully involved in, and I just would love to have it with you. Yeah, Certainly we'll see. Uh, if I can, uh, if I can find your email, maybe I'll send you a copy. <laughs> we'll see, Justin. But uh, no, it. appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to to catch up. You got it, my friend. Thank you very much, Dan, and um, good to have you on air. Thank, Thank you. you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. Vince, come on up for a second. I'm waiting for a Sue anyhow, so I got my next guest. Um, have a seat. You want to come? You want to be live on air? Uh, I, I definitely do. <laughs> I know you do. You love you love the notoriety and. There's nothing I love more than being in front of the camera. Thank you for having me. Well, you can help me, Phil. We're waiting for Sue Shresher to come, Doctor Shresher to come, but um, but you can certainly join me. When did you get in town? I got here on uh, Monday in the afternoon. Excellent. Thank you. They tell me to put my mic closer to my mouth. Thank you very much. Um, Vince McGee, you're from originally from Amherst, Massachusetts. I've known you for boy, I think it's 30 years or so now, 25 years. Absolutely. HBO and company, and then you went to after HBO. Where'd you go? Med Assets. Med Assets. That's right. United Health Group. <laughs> I've uh, I've been in healthcare for a long time. Right. So now I'll ask you a couple questions here. Sure. I'm asking all my guests. Tell me first of all. Tell me about what trends are you seeing in healthcare right now? That you're navigating personally. This is the year of data. We heard it this morning in the opening segment. Who was that speaker? Was it Gosh, niche? it was uh, Karen DeSalvo, um, cool. Seema Verma. Yeah. 
uh, a couple of other really astute was people. Was Anish up there? Anish Chopra? He was. Yes, Anish just left the radio show. He mentioned that. I thought so. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They were brilliant this yeah. morning. They had so much to say, and I walked out of there feeling elevated and excited about healthcare for the first time. Well, you're a data scientist, too. So yes. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so data. So tell me about data. So, you know, we've talked about data for years and much of the way we've talked about interoperability for years. Mm -hmm. And it really looks like it's coming to fruition. I've given up on interoperability several times, <laughs> and yet it still keeps coming back around. Yeah. So I, I have high yeah. hopes. Yeah. And this is the year that people have started to say, we're going to look at who owns the data. We're going to look at how to share it. We're going to understand how we can glean real information from the data. And I, I want to see better outcomes, just like the rest of us. Right. That's, that's why I'm in healthcare. So what are, what are two best practices that you can offer to, to our listeners? Actually, there's Rasu right there, my next guest. Um, but do, Rasu, here we go. Oh, actually here. Yeah. I'll have you come back on a little bit. I want to hear about your best practices. Thanks. Thank you, Vince. Appreciate it. There he is. All right. How are you, my friend? I'm doing Good great. To see thank you. you. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank I had to almost put on my cape just to make it here on time. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> well, that's not really is not really funny because that's actually real because there's a picture of a, you in a cape right outside this building. It's hilarious. I saw it last night walking back from dinner. I'm like, there's Rasu in a cape. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Absolutely. We're Innovator. all champions of health. That's I love it. That's yep. fantastic. So Rasu Shresha, so your new, actually, tell us about your new role really quick because you're new, now EVP and Chief Strategy Officer for Atrium Health. That's North correct. Carolina. So, uh, as you know, I was the Chief Innovation Officer at UPMC. Yes. I was there for 12 years, and I recently made the move. This is day 10 for me <laughs> in my new role awesome. as Chief Strategy Officer at Atrium yep. Health, which is the old Carolina's healthcare system. 50 hospitals across North and South Carolina, and now expanding into Georgia and uh, broader as yep. well. So, Excellent. really excited. Yeah. Very cool. So, I know you have a tight schedule too, so I'll jump right in. What healthcare and health IT trends are you seeing out in the industry and that you're navigating? Certainly in your new role even. You know, it's really interesting. And in the 10 days that I've been there, the observations that I've yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. No, but more generally <laughs> yes, speaking, sure. okay, right? When you look at some of the trends that are out there, and we're at a HIMSS conference with 45,000 of our closest friends. Yes. There are a lot of buzzwords out there, right? Yep. What I'm really after are specific elements of how capabilities like artificial intelligence are really making impact yes. where impact matters the most, yep. right? So it's specifically around areas, for example, around physician burnout. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we're able to you know, decipher the signal from the noise, make it easier for physicians and clinicians in general to navigate the mundaneness of actually providing care and let machines do the jobs that machines yes. are really good at doing, yes. and number crunching and data crunching and decision support so that it augments the care that we're providing. And I think so that, that, that's one example. The other example really is, and this is what I'm really excited about too, is how do we have impact across the communities that we're actually serving, right? So when you talk about the intersection of uh, personalized medicine with public health and population health, sort of the yes. three Ps yep. coming together, around that N of one that happens to reside in a certain community, how do we make sure that we're able to leverage the power of data to really influence behavior in that person that is not just a patient, but really a consumer, yes. a participant Excellent. in the care of that 
individual. So really excited about that too. I love it. So what are two or three trend, um, best practices that you can offer to navigate some of those trends? So clearly there's a lot of complexities in the delivery of healthcare, yeah. right? I mean, healthcare, when you think about this, is such a complex thing. We're inundated with complexity in healthcare. Complexity is the bane of our existence <laughs> in healthcare. It is. We make it more complex sometimes too. But participatory design thinking, I think, is the cure. So if there was one thing that I'd really push for, it's yep. how do we get to a state of participatory design thinking? Meaning, how do we engage end users, patients, excellent. clinicians, yeah. and others in the very design of the solutions that we are then going to put in front of them? Not just in a once and done and for formality, hey, we've got the patient in a panel right. and we have a, you know, no. How do we do this in an iterative, continuous yep. way such that we're able to fail fast and succeed often and then scale those successes to a way that we can really impact change? I love it. You, you just mentioned three things in our very, that actually came out of our last think tank that was just perfect. So you mean you just hit on all, all three of them. First of all, physicians are starting to accept, and this is, I was actually surprised, you're a physician so you probably weren't as much as I was, but they're actually accepting AI in care design and care planning. And so I just, I wouldn't think that necessarily because usually the doctor wanted to control a lot of that, but they're actually welcoming AI. They want to be trained on how to use artificial intelligence in their care strategy. Mm -hmm. That was pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, that came out, um, but also how to get, and best practices to get physicians engaged um, in the design that you just mentioned. So I think that's, that's spot on uh, as well. But speaking now, thinking a little bit further ahead, in the next two to three years, kind of like what Wayne Gretzky, where the puck is going to be, what do, you what, what do we need to be thinking about? We're here, we're at HIMSS, we're here and now, we're you know, we see a lot of stuff, AI certainly now and in the future, but what do you think we need to be thinking about that we maybe haven't thought about yet? So it's really interesting. There are lots of things coming at us, right? Yes. And lots of really interesting shiny objects that we could be going after and completely <laughs> lose our way so because, true. oh my goodness, oh yeah. nothing, that was nothing, okay. The one thing that I'm really excited about is the advent of consumerization mixing together with genomics, right? Yes. So when you look at the rise of the consumer in genomics and genetics and how they're engaging themselves in looking at their own DNA makeup in their biomarkers, what works more versus less. And this is not just the, you know, the, the Christmas present that you got uh, in terms of a 23andMe bio <laughs> right, that you right, can right. spit into. And, sure. and it, that's, that's important. a start. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a yeah, start. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. you know, and color genomics is doing sure, some sure. really remarkable things in yeah. that realm. But it's really then marrying that data, those insights with the specifics of who you are as a human being, yep. marrying it then with the specifics of your preferences and your social determinants, determinants and yes. where you live and where, so I think that continuum of where you're liberating the data that defines the genomics, marrying it with the phenotypic information of who you are as a human being, and then it all coming together in a way that actually warrants behavior change in a positive way. So we're moving the conversation That's from excellent. just managing illness right. to us really talking about managing wellness, moving from survival to managing, uh, to, to actually going to survival. So, yep. so that's what I'm really excited about. I love it. So in, in closing, I got two minutes. You actually, I saw something out there where I think you're traveling, um, you talk about unlearning. Talk about that for two minutes, I think it's really important. When, you, when I heard you mention that, it really came, it resonated in my head. 
So it's it's really interesting, you know. I'm I'm a, I'm a lifelong scholar, yes. as you are as yes, well, and sure. we're always you know learning through the Hard Knocks School of Life <laughs> yes. and and through conferences like this, yes. and we're you know we're reading books and we're looking at best practices and we yeah. talk about all of these different elements of how do we continually improve ourselves? How do we continue to you know, push the needle forward, you know, have our foot on the gas pedal and continue to learn, continue to grow. And I think that's innate to who we are yes. as human beings, as yeah. learning organizations. That's really important. But the one element that we just have not gotten right just yet, mm -hmm. I think, is this element of unlearning. I think it's really important for us to I unlearn. Yeah. It's important for us to pause and yes. reflect and really look at where it is that we are. Because even if some of the learnings were based on strong science and academic rigor and, and evidence-based guidelines, the reality is that the environments around you, the mm -hmm. multiple factors around you keep on changing. So I think it's really important for us to pause, reflect, and figure out like what's working and what's not. Yeah. What are some old paradigms that I actually have to throw out the window get rid of them, yeah. such that I can then build these newer ways of right. caring for people, newer ways of looking at data, newer ways of collaboration, and moving forward. So the challenge that I put out to people all the time is what will you unlearn today? Yeah. I love it. No, you're spot on. I knew when I heard it, it resonated with me. And, and that's just a standard good business best practice, but certainly from your standard here and, and how to lead the industry and how to help people really thrive. I, I love it. So, Rasu, thank you very much, my friend. And I'll thank see you in the morning for the Think Tank. Absolutely. Thank All you, right, Justin. my friend. Thank you. Take care. Dr. John Halamkin needs no introduction at all, and Paul Serrato, an author. You guys have a great new book out there, actually, just The Transformative Power of Mobile Medicine. Um, but we'll talk about that in some context here, but at a higher level, because we're all here to kind of think about what's coming for 2019 and 2020. But let's start off uh, with you, John. What do you see as some of the biggest trends, and obviously I'm sure you wrote about them, but trends in healthcare and health IT? So if you saw today's keynote, as well as you spent last evening reading the 739-page <laughs> yes. ONC rule, the 129-page CMS rule, and the American <laughs> AI Act, yes, all of which happened yesterday. Right. Well, what you realize is the current trends is patients receiving their own data, patients as agents of data exchange, patients as contributors mm. of yes. data. But, of course, there is the imperative to turn that data into wisdom and that's where the AI piece comes. Yep. So right, it's this interesting combination of mobility, APIs, and AI yeah. coming together. I love it, and people, uh, they, a lot of people say, well, AI just seems, we just talk about it all the time, it seems to hype, but literally it's not hype at all. It is here today. I actually mentioned that we've, I've run a think tank as well, and in that think tank, just two months ago, they said doctors actually wanting to be trained in with AI and how to use AI and keep part of the, in their care strategy, their care planning, and I was just, I was surprised by that. But now, I mean, literally every single guest that's walking through this show right now, these great thought leaders are all talking about different ways and applicability for AI today and where it's going to be. And that is, of course, what Paul is writing about right now. Yeah, excellent. Right. So what best practices, what are two or three best practices that you can share to successfully navigate those trends or AI or mobile medicine and so forth? Okay, so there are a lot of innovations going on right now and there are companies that are commercializing them. This is not just pie in the sky. Yep. Two companies that come to mind is IDX, and another one is uh, Medial Early Sign. Uh, IDX uh, has produced a um, re retinal camera associated with a uh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. software. Yeah. So the patient puts his face to the camera, picture is taken, the software, with the help of neural networking, analyzes the uh, 
the retinal scan and then comes up with a diagnosis. And it's actually capable of diagnosing diabetic retinopathy as effectively as real ophthalmologists. There have been published studies to show that this is not just something that works in a, in a research setting, but in, in a commercial setting. And the second um, company that is uh, doing work in this field, Medi- uh, Medial Early Sign, has come up with a algorithm that analyzes your risk of colorectal cancer. And it does that by looking at common everyday mm. data, like uh, complete blood count, your yep. age, your gender, and then spits out a risk score. Once a physician has that, and if he finds out, okay, you are at high risk, you go to the patient and say, this is not just theoretical, you really are at high risk, you need a colonoscopy. So yeah. this is happening in the trenches. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And this is exactly why I love healthcare. And I mean, just th- think about the money that we can save, the better outcomes that we can create. I, I completely agree. So now thinking a couple years ahead, or anything you want to share on best practices from your perspective. Sure. So recognize that artificial intelligence is not about replacing clinicians. It's augmenting them. Right. Because there's a lot of this fear. Oh, I'm going to now speak with Dr. Alexa. (laughs) Right. Right. And so the idea is this. I graduated from medical school in 1984. You know, a few things have changed (laughs) since then. Right. And have I read 17 journal articles every day since then to keep up? No. So do I actually know the prevalence of a disease in a community at a time of year in 2019? I actually don't. Right. But AI systems can say, ah, you better consider these things. So put another way, if an AI system can replace your doctor, it should. Right. Because doctors <laughs> are about empathy, right. listening, and respect. They just need to be augmented with more wisdom. That's excellent, excellent. So now thinking a couple years ahead, maybe say three years ahead, because right now we're a lot, we're focusing on the here and now with hymns and, and what's going on today. But if you had to get us thinking in advance, what, what should we be thinking about for three years from now in healthcare or thinking to navigate? What hurdles might we have to navigate in a couple years from now or policies or innovations we think about in a couple years from now? Wow. You know, three years from now, we'll all have flying cars and Facebook <laughs> yeah, exactly. implants. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So who can imagine? I can go. I can't go more than six quarters. So, you know, sorry <laughs> right. about that. But right, what are the trends we're starting to yeah. see? So it's very clear that mobile medicine is, as in the book, yep. sure. is absolutely becoming mainstream. There's consumer demand for it. You're going to see the rise of virtual visits. It's a combination yes. of the telemetry in the home gathered with your mobile device in combination with a virtual visit with a clinician that will improve convenience. And presumably, you know, patient satisfaction as well as time to cure, as we measure your wellness. In fact, let's look at wellness and preventative medicine more than treatment for sickness. Those mm-hmm. trends will be important. We already talked about the AI and machine learning, and you know, certainly there are going to be cloud-hosted decision support yep. service providers that evolve, so that I can say, oh, here is my sign and symptom. Here is my medical record, here is my genome, here is my background, what do I need to worry about? And I'm thinking of companies like Ada, or Babylon Health, or Boy Health, that are already starting to do this. That's excellent. Um, anything you want to add on to that? Oh, we sums that up pretty well. <laughs> so what are your, what's your goal for the book? What is your main goal for publishing the book? And this is your third book? Right, third book. Yeah, this is your third book. Um, and what is your goal for publishing this book? You might guess that sometimes clinicians are conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the ones using fax machines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's really important you demystify this technology so that it, it, 
clinicians who are already wildly overburdened and burned mm-hmm. out yes. need to understand how it's going to augment their practice and help their patients. And really, that's what the book tries to do. Excellent. And the one other thing that we're hoping the book will do is to help folks distinct, uh, tell the difference between digital snake oil yes. and really effective mobile apps. So we spent three or four chapters that talk about uh, mobile apps in healthcare, in uh, diabetes, in yep. heart disease, and in asthma, and critique them so that clinicians can figure out what works and what is useless. Yeah, and, and just for all my listeners, we do ha- we did do a special show on this a couple weeks ago, and it was very informative. So I do recommend all my listeners go check that out. Um, because what you really do in the book is you do break it down and you explain it very simply. Because this is a very this is complex in mobile medicine. And again, you you, you hit on the nail on the head. Doctors are focused on providing care, not learning the best technology that's coming out, and, and rightfully so, because they need to be the best care care provider and best doctor. But you guys break it down very very well, so appreciate that. Um, I do want to give you two minutes on the Unity Farm Sanctuary. I love this uh, venture that you have in Massachusetts. I actually check on it every single day. So tell us about it. Tell my audience about it. You got to. Well, sure. So like any entrepreneurial venture, yeah. you start a company and you pivot. Yeah. So when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, she said, wouldn't chickens be a good idea? Oh, okay. And we traded our small home in Wellesley for a small farm in Sherborne. And then the chickens grew to llamas and alpacas. Amen. And then we doubled the size of the farm. And then the horses and the cows and the pigs and the donkeys <laughs> arrived. And now we are the animal rescue yes. for the greater Boston area with over 250 animals in our charge. And right now, as we are sitting here, it's 17 degrees and snowing in Boston. Oh, wow. We've got four inches today with two tenths of an inch of ice on top. And we have to keep 250 animals dry, warm, fed, and their water liquid. So, you know, it's an engineering challenge. It is. Uh, so, you know, whether it's IT for Harvard or whether it's <laughs> IT for the cows. horses and cows. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love it. How, do you are you even have housing for that, for them to go inside? Do yeah. Some? So okay. every animal has an enclosure. Okay. And now whether the animal chooses to go use inside, that enclosure. That's your, yeah, that's your so Dudley is a 2,200-pound <laughs> Scottish Dudley. Highland bull yeah. from Glencoe yeah. where it's wet and cold and windy and nasty. He so loves he it. loves this, this weather. Yeah. <laughs> I know Dudley. I love Dudley. Dr. Lomka, thank you very much. Paul, always a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. You guys have a great rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank you for all supporting the show. Thanks. Neil Gomes, Chief Digital Officer for University of Thomas Jefferson University in Jeff Health. I know it's Jeff Health. Sorry. Yes. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, Justin. Thank I'm you. Glad you're here. Yeah. I appreciate it Thanks. greatly. And yeah. also, you'll be at, you'll be speaking at a think tank tomorrow morning. Yes, I will. Look forward to that right. as well. Yeah, looking forward to it too. So, before we dive in, because we got extra a couple extra minutes, um, when did you get in town? First of all, oh, I got in on uh, Sunday. And what are your main goals for him? Oh, I'd love him. to hear this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, part of it is to tell our story at Jefferson and what we do, what we've done. So we're doing about three presentations uh, on the HIMS um, schedule. Yep. Uh, we did one on Monday uh, on patient experience um, and AI in that space, uh, talking about our cognitive uh, virtual assistant, and um, uh, and then um, today we just finished one. I just came from that. Um, on uh, bringing digital to life because that's that's our motto for the yep. group, our mission for the group, and um, uh, that was all about design and how design can help bring digital to life. And then tomorrow, uh, because a lot of people have asked us this question, uh, I did a Hims TV interview yesterday 
about it too, uh, and that is how do you set up teams like the Digital Innovation Consumer Experience Group that I founded yeah, and lead? Yeah, you've done a great job with that. Um, yes. uh, you know, how do you set up teams like that, scale them so that they can really bring about tremendous impact at the institution as well as other institutions? Yep. Um, and uh, uh, how do you get the right people to do that? So that's our session tomorrow um, on that. Yeah. That's excellent, because yeah. yeah. you've grown, I think you mentioned you start off with like five or ten people, and now you're at like sixty. I, I don't know. I remember the think tank yeah, a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our, our team size, uh, including other people that work with us, partnerships, and all of that, is about 160 people now. Wow. So four and a half years, yeah, we've grown from two people to 160 <laughs> people. Yeah, that's scale. That yeah, is but, amazing. Uh, but that's also <laughs> Anish uh, is taking our picture. Anish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love Anish. Thank you, Anish. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, excellent. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no, please. No, so, so that, that, uh, that, that would not be possible if we didn't really tell the story of what we do, not just to uh, people at HIMSS, but also to our own organization. If we didn't measure what we did and then show the effect or the value of design, mm -hmm. consumer-focused uh, solutions, digital development, and then learning beyond that point so that these solutions have a life of their own in your organization. Uh, if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be where we are. That's yeah. excellent. Right. How many patients do you guys support on a regular and from a university standpoint or ecosystem standpoint? Oh, so from the hospital system, so Jefferson is a university, a very, uh, you know, old university, mm -hmm. been around nearly 200 years, yeah. uh, but also a very, uh, a, certainly an innovator yep, in this space. For sure. Uh, has always been, you know, done a lot of firsts in medicine, uh, including the heart-lung machine that was developed at Jefferson. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, so we have to live up to that reputation, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in the digital space, in the design space, in the consumer-focused space. And, uh, and we try and do that as much as we can. But uh, Jefferson Health, to answer your question, Jefferson Health as an institution, now that we've grown in the last four years mm -hmm. uh, from about um, three hospitals to 18 hospitals now, um, you know, which has been rapid growth, yeah. uh, thanks to Dr. Steve Glasgow, who's our president and CEO, yep. um, we, the, the greater impact is in the number that you just asked me. Right. And that is now we see about 3.7 million patients, uh, or patient encounters, rather, a year. And that's in the, mainly the Philadelphia area? Yes, Philadelphia, New Jersey now. We're yep. in Jersey too. Um, and surrounding areas, you know, because we have clinics, uh, outpatient clinics also in other areas, uh, not just in uh, Philadelphia. Excellent. So yeah. what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing um, or you're having to navigate the most right now? Oh, um, yeah. So uh, there's lots of excitement, of course, around machine learning. Finally, it's being called machine learning yep. and not just AI. Right. Uh, because the hype has kind of uh, worn off of the AI promise. And yep. uh, I think machine learning is something that's really, really important. Uh, seeing a lot of uh, business process automation, um, you know, yep. solutions. And I think that's important, too, because if you want to bring efficiencies you into got it. You have to do that. Certainly at scale. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the other thing is, of course, this whole movement around consumerism uh, in healthcare, and uh, uh, most of it is in response to other uh, retail organizations and the such taking an interest in healthcare, right? And uh, and so uh, a lot of healthcare institutions are starting to uh, think, uh, rethink some of their strategies around that, and say, okay, well, how do we respond? Mm -hmm. Because we are close to the problem. You know, we are. Uh, we can see. Uh, uh, we see patients. You know, not a retail company, not uh, right. always. You know, so um, so I think that's important, and we need to leverage that and uh, develop it. Uh, so, from a trends perspective, I think that's that's mostly what I see here, uh, and from my own interest perspective also. Sure. I think most other industries have evolved, and healthcare hasn't because, uh, and those industries have because, like, entertainment and and uh, and retail and all of that, because they focused, you know, on the consumer. Yep. They focused on, in our case, on the patient. 
You know, we've got to do that and build solutions around them before they even realize they have a need in that space. Right. And that's what will propel yeah. us forward. You yeah. guys have done a phenomenal job. I mean, most of the innovations that a hospital can deploy around right. consumerism and patient uh, engagement, you guys have done a great job cool. building it and integrating it. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, very impressive. So now, what are two or three best practices that you can offer to other institutions that are going down this path um, that you would offer to them to help them not step in some of the pitfalls that you've stepped in or just how to thrive even better? Sure. Yeah, well, the first thing is, and we talk about this tomorrow in our, in our uh, in our session is uh, pick the right people. Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, this yeah. is a very Excellent. different mindset. Yeah. Okay, And also you have to pick resilient people. Yes. People that are not going to get discouraged when something they make doesn't get used right. or something they make they realize isn't something that's going to solve the problem. Um, and great. ideally to prevent that, you want to have a design team. You know, lots of people think, oh, the design team is the team that makes the cool PowerPoints and you know, that kind of stuff. No, your design team is your research team. It's your team that goes out into the physical environment and, and validates whether a solution you're going to develop that's come to you is re really going to address the problem. And what is that problem? And then connect that solution to the outcome and see if it's really going to make it happen and then develop it. You know, yeah. or, or sometimes you may not Love even it. have to develop a solution. It may be something simple. Yep. So that's one. Yep. Get, get uh, people that are resilient, good, creative, inquisitive, and also not afraid. This is very important. They shouldn't be afraid to discover if what they did was right or wrong. Right, very because true. Because most of the times we want, we're so passionate about something, yes. we want to put it in, but then we're afraid yeah. that maybe, and so we don't follow up and we right. find out whether, so, so we've got to break that barrier and pick the yeah. right people to do that. And finally, um, and, and, and uh, I'm coming out of the book that, that, yeah, yeah. that addresses this, and we have 12 principles that guide our team, and I talk about those in, uh, in the book. Um, uh, it's called Code, and um, uh, you know how to build uh, transformative, uh, digital teams, you know, mm. that, that devise new solutions. So, but uh, uh, beyond that, I think the other part is you got to have empathetic people. You know, people that can, uh, because see, it's very easy for us as technologists to say, uh, especially in, in this environment, to say, oh, look, this thing happened in this industry. Uh, why can't you see what I'm seeing? Right, right. You know, well, that's because they're not doing what you're doing. Right. right? So you have to be able to understand a healthcare person's perspective the challenges that they have, the and be almost them, and then empathize with them, and then develop a solution along with it. You know, understand what uh, the the the, uh, the troubles that they have in delivering service, right? So, yep. uh, not be elitist, kind of. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And actually, the um, I was just given that example, your first example there around how to get the right people, and then also um, look for solutions that. You know, even even if you find out it's not the right solution, that yeah. you back off, but you don't have to finish right. that just yeah. to kind of prove your point let's or prove your worth or yeah. prove your work. Let's go scope it out. Let's explore it. If yeah. we need to back off or go down right. the direction, let's right. admit that as a team, there's right. not a failure. That's actually a win. Yeah. Because people go down the wrong, they push too far down the wrong yeah. path. Yeah. And sometimes you I actually <laughs> go down a path uh, and then you realize, okay, I've solved a problem. Yeah. And maybe you don't need to keep monitoring that. Right. You know, that solution is not needed anymore. You need to move to something different. Yep. So, you know, you, that realization Excellent. is valuable. Excellent. Yep. Yep. I know, and Rasu actually shared a great best practice yep. earlier uh, today. I actually heard this even before the HIMSS conference of unlearning. And it's, it's not, it's, it's along the same scope. It's yep. really being self-aware. Yeah. And, and there are certain things that yeah, we do every single that. day. Yeah. And that you've got to, you know, it might have been great all the way until now or yeah. even a year ago, but you got to, you got to unlearn. You got yeah. there's certain things you just don't keep on doing every single day just because that's what you've done. Right. And you might have, a, you know, it may have worked before. So I, I love that concept. And again, it's being self-aware. Yeah. Um, so now thinking ahead, say three years, 
Uh, it, HIMSS is a lot about the here and now and, yeah. and what's coming certainly in the next year or two. But thinking three years out, what should we be thinking about or, or be cognizant of or aware or be ready to navigate? Okay. Well, I think uh, I, I like to put everything into a kind of single bucket because you, you kind of want a quick quick response. Yeah. Uh, so I, I well, would say... five minutes. Oh, good. Five okay, minutes. okay. okay. Yeah. I would say, uh, uh, you, you know, kind of aware systems, you know, and, uh, and passive uh, data collection. Uh, uh, two things I see as, as being something that we will just do organically in healthcare. Uh, too often, solutions we put into place in healthcare mm -hmm. uh, require people to change something about what they do every day. Uh, I think we need to slightly change that perspective and we need to change or, or think about who needs to make the change. I'll give you a great example, right? So we want to uh, uh, get uh, physicians to talk more to patients when they're in the hospital, when they're you know, meeting with them in outpatient clinics. We want them to talk more, ask, ask more questions, find out what they want to know, right? Not mm -hmm. just what they want to tell them, mm. right? Yeah. Now the Excellent. problem is patients don't know what to ask right. sometimes. They don't, yeah. very true. So, so we created an initiative called Knock, Sit, Ask, right? And Knock, Sit, Ask is where uh, the, 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 we give a cue card to the patient mm -hmm. with questions on the back of it. You know, and we place it in a, in a room and we've tested this out already. Um, and uh, so things that the patient would not even have thought to ask or wanted to ask but didn't realize it, they just have to check the box and the, patient, the physician comes in and sees, oh, they want me to talk to them about this. Right. So instead of having to change the physician right. and train all the physicians to, <laughs> you know, hey, you got to ask this, these questions and then monitor and all of that, yeah. physicians want to help patients. That's why they got into that thing change the perspective, get the patient to ask the question, it's excellent. and the physician will help them out. Right. No technology was needed for that at all, <laughs> right? So yeah. these types of, you know, putting something in the path of someone who's already on that path mm -hmm. and not having them deviate from yep. it, but still getting the change to happen. The other is passive data collection. I think uh, from a human perspective, we'll start doing more of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we have wearables now, but you know, we're gonna have embeddables. We already have them with pacemakers and right. some, uh, some yep. you know, ingestible devices like Proteus's uh, pill and all of that, right? The, the device that goes in the pill. So we'll have more of that. So we'll be collecting a lot more data, right. uh, but nobody wants just data. They want insights. So we're gonna have to build software that delivers those types of insights and learns from itself and all of that. Um, so I think that will become uh, a, a very something that we just do organically, uh, and that brings in machine learning and all of those types of it things. Does. You know, I like to think more from not the perspective of the technology, but the perspective of the solution and the lifestyle we will follow, rather, and then the technologies fall into place behind that. But they do enable some of these things, mm -hmm. um, and then finally, uh, you know, apart from uh, from uh, you know passive data collection and you know moving things in the path of people as, as they already are, because it's hard to change behavior, um, you know, the other, the other thing I see as a big uh, change maker, and this is uh, technology specific a little bit, and that is voice. You yeah. know, I, I just, it. yeah. uh, it's the best operating system. You don't have yeah. to learn anything. Right. It doesn't have much of a learning curve. Yep. Um, and uh, yes, it's not very private, but we've hardly scratched the surface on the, uh, you know, the, uh, the semi-private side even, yep. you know. Um, uh, there's so much we could do. Teleconnect, uh, te I mean, um, 
uh, telehealth via voice and video and those types of things seamlessly delivered, mm -hmm. you know, with as little friction as possible. Yep. You know, that, I think, is, is something that will change. That actually came out, and yeah. I think every think tank for the last several think yeah. tanks that we've had is voice yeah. first, but not voice only. Yeah, not voice only. And we need to True. really yeah. be focused on that, because yeah. a lot of us use that in our daily habits, yeah. and now you have a HIPAA-compliant yeah. system that you can work, put inside yeah. the care, care delivery model yeah. or care strategy. And we developed one of those that we're putting in the hospital You the guys month. did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. I knew that was yeah. one of the barriers yeah. for Alexa and Apple. And yes. others, they weren't HIPAA-compliant. So we've done so. it. Yeah, we've done it. So right. next next month is going into our, into our hospital rooms for testing and all of that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So um, in the closing two minutes, sure. what are you looking forward to um, for the rest of this show here? Oh, well, uh, the other thing is partnerships. You know, we're looking to... Oh, I yeah, love that. Yeah, I mean, we can't do a lot of this on our own, even though we have... Uh, our leadership has invested in a team like ours. Sure. Um, you know, this is... The problems are many. Mm -hmm. and, um, and also, after you've fixed something, uh, you've had a passion to bring about that change. Uh, yes, it affects your health system, but you also want it to affect care everywhere. Right. And if you know our CEO at uh, uh, Dr. Steve Glasgow at uh, the World Economic Forum talked about um, uh, talked about instead of us talking about self-driving cars, we should start talking about self-healing humans. You know? <laughs> oh, and, I like that. Right. I mean, self-healing self humans. Humans. Yeah. You Love know, it. Uh, like, uh, like with embeddables and all. That's yeah. his thing. You know, yeah. he said that. And also healthcare with no address. You, know, you ask me where where are we in in, yeah. in uh, you know he says yeah. yeah and he says in a few years nobody will know right yeah already we started doing that with telehealth we have a national brand called Jeff Connect so yes. uh, you know that's where we need to be we need to be where people just want us yep you know sometimes without them even realizing we are there but right. you know we come up at the time when they need, when need us. us yeah. You know, so if they are on the Internet of Things, they are on a brand new Alexa they may have bought, you know, later on maybe things will get HIPAA compliant on that platform. Yeah, yeah. And somebody could just say, I want to see a doctor now, and it gives you five options in your area. Yeah. You know, and it's telehealth. And Jeff Health could be one of them. Right, could be one of them, exactly. That's cool. So be where people are. I right. love it. Yeah. <laughs> Neil, always a true pleasure, my friend. Uh, thank, thank you very much. much. And look yeah. forward to seeing yeah. the morning as well. Thanks. For the Thanks, Jason. Thanks thank for you. having me. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you. Jennifer, you're up next. Jennifer Renneker, yes. Associate Professor and Coordinator of Research from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Yes. So that's a mouthful. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so is this your, how many hymns have you been to? Is this your first one? This or? is my first one. Yeah. Very cool. So it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> I got lost earlier today in this room and I thought I yeah. would never find my way out. Oh yeah. And it's actually, it actually gets busier than this too. I think there's a, yeah, I think there's between 42 and 45,000 people here. I don't know where the official count will come in. Okay. But certainly the largest show. This is my... I think it's my 18th year um, coming to HIMSS, but in every year it grows. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but welcome. I'm glad oh, you're here. thank you. Thank you very, very much. Very cool. So what do you hope to get out of? You're, actually, you're, you're showing, we'll talk about that in a moment here, some of the trends, but you're here discussing some of your augmented reality and your yeah, virtual so, reality. Right. So yeah. we have a virtual reality game that we actually have here in the, one of the Lenovo headsets, and it is a game to train your peripheral vision to make your vision on the side better. Oh. And we're actually doing research and innovation in concussion rehab and prevention related to that and other games, yeah. Excellent. So diving in, what are the trends that you're seeing out there in the healthcare and the health IT side that you're, that you're navigating? So I've been listening to your radio show and it's been wonderful, <laughs> but I'm very I'm very myopic compared to these big thinkers right. that are- in, Well, we have everybody, we, yeah. yes, yes. So I'm very interested in brain health. And mm -hmm. what I see is the trend is, um, we've really recognized that your eye movements and being able to understand, capture, and see your eye movements very, um, 
precisely can mm. diagnose a lot of brain health problems, wow. concussion being one of them. Yes. And so the technology enabling that, that I think that's coming on the front line here is really using the virtual reality device and the potential for eye tracking to capture eye movements that we haven't been able to capture in, in other ways. I love it. That's fascinating. So what are say two or three best best practices to navigate that or how do you engage that? How would you tell my audience and how you do it? So I think one thing is true and a couple people have alluded to this that you really have to be careful about the apps that you get involved with because you never know if it's just a dud. So I would say, you know, look to see if there's research to support what it is that you're getting into. Also pay attention to what the FDA is approving and then find the people who are early adopters, the innovators, you know, the early adopters and then see how it's working for them before you make a huge investment. That's excellent. So tell me about, um how did you guys, how did you come across this? Because remember, we were, when I was talking to you before we went on air, even last week or a week, two weeks ago, you mentioned you kind of stumbled across this a little bit. So how many, how did you put all this together? Well, so I am a vestibular rehabilitation specialist, yep. and I've been doing research in this area for quite some you time. You are the first vestibular rehabilitation specialist I've ever had on the show. Oh, I'm I so love honored. It. <laughs> But in May of 2018, I'd been working on this preventative intervention for preventing concussion in collegiate athletes. And I actually met um, a metaverse curator, which yeah. is a very fancy way of saying a software developer. And he introduced <laughs> me to the world of VR. And whenever I, you know, it's for gaming, it's for mm -hmm. sensory immersion. And I'm not a gamer, but all I could think about is, can we use this technology to do something to rehabilitate from or prevent concussion. And so that's, it was by accident that I stumbled into this. That's so cool though. Um, and, and now you're talking about seven, eight months later, you're yeah. here right. showing it to thousands and thousands of people. Correct. And talking yeah. about it on air to 30,000 people. That's right. <laughs> that's very cool. So tell me, um, we in my, my, as you heard, I like to talk well, here and now. We talk about a lot of the here and now, but also thinking three years from now. What do you see, or where do you see this evolving to? I mean, are we going to be able to cure certain things, look for issues, look for issues, then find cures for those issues? You know, help CTE. You know. Yeah. Well, I think for for me personally, where I see it going, and, and what's very exciting is the potential to think about integrating virtual reality or augmented reality with telehealth because there's mm. this magical space in the metaverse where you could meet up with your patients as a healthcare provider and this offers the opportunity to possibly have synchronous or asynchronous care um, and and to interact with patients in a new way. I, I also really think that uh, rehabilitation professionals like myself are going to be able to see these tools in, of the virtual environment be very motivating right. for especially for sure younger patients or athletes and so I think that you're gonna see this come on with a lot of you know rehabilitative tools that are that are very useful and very effective have you engaged the NFL in, at all around this or will you do you plan this on your or even so, high schools and yeah so right now I've been doing research with uh, college you uh, college athletes and and um, I have a couple studies that are going to be published here soon the first one was integrating uh, virtual reality as, as prevention for injury. And when we were actually able to show a 27% reduction in the number of injuries, comparing the 18 season back to the 2017 season when they didn't have this. So that's great preliminary data. And yes, the yeah. plan is to hopefully engage the NFL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because technically you could even, I mean, I'm thinking maybe ahead or where you're going, but you could put this headset on literally on a side of a, you know, after a big hit on the, on the sidelines. Potentially. And you could 
you know, it could diagnose it there or always begin to say, hey, yes, we have, there could be, there's some initial issues here. We shouldn't certainly put them back in the game because right now it's, it's very arbitrary. It's, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. It's extremely arbitrary. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's a lot that could be done on that, that and front. And if there's AI or machine learning or, or you know, in, somewhere in there where, you know, it's not a, a, someone who's under pressure to put them back in the game because that's what a lot of these sideline doctors that's are. Right. They say they're not, but they are. Yes. Um, because they say, oh, no, it, it just showed red. We're not, he's not going back in the game or yes. she's not going back yes. in the game. yes. That's fantastic. So what do you hope over the next um, two days of hymns? what do you hope to accomplish? What are your goals? Well, I'm hoping to gauge interest in, in what it is that we're showing and kind of mm-hmm. just to, to put it out there. Because thinking about training inside of VR, like therapeutic training inside of VR is a very new concept. And so I'm really interested in finding out what people think about that, mm-hmm. if they have questions for me. Okay. Um, and then also to just learn other things that are out here because you know it took one exposure to VR in May and so heaven only knows I may meet you and then (laughs) be doing something else you know in addition yeah 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 Yeah, no actually you should so the um, this whole discussion around concussion protocols just came to full light I don't know if you saw the interview with Bob Costas or his note from two days ago I did not he literally was pulled um, from the coverage of the from the Super Bowl last year because he was talking about concussions in the game and they didn't like they didn't appreciate that and wow. so they actually pulled Bob Costas off the air and he didn't he didn't say that last year he was just saying oh we had scheduling conflicts and so I couldn't do the Super Bowl I couldn't announce the Super Bowl but about two weeks ago after this last Super Bowl or four days ago five days ago yeah. he came out and said yeah well, they actually pulled me CBS pulled me because I, I was or NBC pulled me from my coverage. Uh, yeah. Because I talked too much about the concussion and I was relating it too much to the ball, football. And so you might actually have something in common with Bob Costa at some point. Well, that's interesting. He's very passionate about this right now. Yes, that's <laughs> fantastic. That's I good love to know. It. Very cool. Well, Jennifer, I'm glad you could join the show Thank very you. much. And congratulations and welcome to Hymns again. Thank you so much, Thank Justin. you. Awesome. Excellent. We're live on air. Hi, (laughs) I'm Edwin Miller. From Allidade? From Allidade, Chief Technology Officer, one of the co-founders of Allidade, with uh, the illustrious Farzad (laughs) Mosashari and Matt Kendall. Awesome. Two phenomenal guys, and actually Farzad's usually on my show. but uh, He's uh, He's been not at hymns for a couple of years. I know. I know. This is great, though. I'm glad glad to have you. I'm glad to meet you uh, in person. We've exchanged emails through the years, but I'm glad we actually meet in person. I I think we grew up around the same times doing the same things. (laughs) We did. So, uh, yeah, I definitely know you by reputation. Yeah. So we actually have a couple extra minutes. So I would love to learn about Allidade even more because I've never actually dove dove in too deep, and I'd love to know more about it in my audience if we've got time. Um, Allidate is about helping independent physicians make the transition to value-based care, to put it succinctly. Desperately needed. Yeah, and That's participate in, in, and de-risk the, um, you know, the, the move to value-based care, which is complex and fraught with a lot of change management and stuff like that. So we, we bring, um, we're not really a tech vendor, but mm-hmm. we have a technology component. We also have a lot of folks out in each market helping coach practices through the uh, transition. So basically so they can take risk. Yeah. And I love this. And I usually don't talk about products when we're on here, the show, but we got a couple extra minutes, but I also, this is so important for healthcare. Our, our physicians need desperate assistance in, in making this transition. Absolutely. So what are three things before we dive into your thought leader questions? What are three things to say, Hey, if you're an independent practice and you're, you think this, or you have this and this, you'd be a great candidate to call us or what, you know, cause a lot of people aren't ready. They probably aren't ready for you in some capacities and some could be, what are, what would be an ideal person to practice? Um, I think if, uh, so if you have a passion, look, a lot of it is around the mission, right? Yes. So if you are, 
And so the good thing about this is I, you know, I've, I've been in health IT for a long time, and I would go to practices and they would just be depressed, right? Or the, yes. the docs would be. Oh yes. And, and I really didn't have much. Sixty-one percent burnout rate out there. I mean, yeah. It's and so offering them more software really wasn't going to help them much. Correct. But in this world, we do have something to offer, and it's much more aligned with what they kind of want to practice medicine for. So it's taking holistic care of the patient. I think if you are used to seeing the patient holistically, focusing as on patients that maybe aren't in front of you today, as well as the fee-for-service world of you know running patients through your office today, yep. if you're doing things like PCMH or you're, uh, you care about quality measures and you're, you're kind of already doing those things yep. and you may not be paid for them, but you just kind of do them anyway, then guess what? You can get paid for them right. and you can start to capture some of the value that you're creating by doing those things in the in the system. Now, do you bring them into being, I think of the ACO model, but you're actually, you're pre-ACO model, right? Well, we ways? are, we operate ACOs. We actually right. create them okay. and uh, and then run them with our docs. So right. docs uh, stay in their practice. We don't buy practices. Right. They just stay independent, but they sign a participation agreement with the ACO and then they're in. So then they can participate in the any gains that come through the ACO contracts. Okay. So you do you bring together a community then? If there's yep. going to be... Yep. 25 doctors or 1,000 doctors, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, we're in about 30 states right now. Excellent. Um, and growing rapidly. And so we go into a market and we find, you know, usually some anchor tenants, as it were, yep. uh, and then grow from there. Uh, these are usually thought leader docs, um, usually well-respected and that kind of thing. Yep. No, I, I love it and I love what you guys do. So now diving into some of the questions specifically, what are the healthcare trends or health IT trends that you're seeing out in the industry? And we just touched on some of it, but... Kind of yeah, I think back. one is the move to value-based care clearly yeah. is a trend that I'm paying attention to. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the other thing is the emerging role of primary care as a as a under-leveraged part of that transition. Totally agree. Um, and the quarterback, the role that they can play, they account for 4% of the cost, but yeah. they influence, you know, 85%. Right. So um, I guess the third thing, you know, probably from a tech point of view is probably the emergence of data fluidity, which we're seeing here and, you know, we heard this morning. And, um, and there's a very, so PCPs can't, manage you know patients who came out of the hospital if they don't know the patient was in the hospital so so uh th it, that the the trends there certainly help our, our docs in in that work excellent yeah and i completely agree actually i'm chairman of a health organization in georgia where we have the primary care is the quarterback then they're dpc doctors but they are the quarterback yep. they practice on top of their licenses and we've been able to drive down costs dramatically and yep. put the right ecosystem around them so i completely agree um what are two or three best practices that you would offer to um, the community or, or, you know, doctors or health systems to successfully navigate, you know, these types of models? Yeah, I think, um, so uh, a lot of this is in a paper Farzad published, so it's not even proprietary to Alidate. <laughs> uh, but one thing is, you know, managing patient transitions of care. Yes. So that's a, you know, we, we predictably reduce readmissions in, you know, low two-digit numbers, but just by doing that. Uh, Another thing is, you know, there's all the complicated things of managing risk and things like that. I would say, you know, generally speaking, what is the workflow and how does the workflow need to change? Um, what What is the question you're trying to answer with data and analytics? Um, you know, probably a couple of things I, I would focus on. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's managing high-risk patients, knowing who your high-risk patients are, knowing what's happening to them out in the community. Um, again, most docs have, a, have trouble seeing the 360 view of what's going on with their patients. And so, um, in a, you know, typically accessing that data either through an HIE or through payer claims data or something like that is, uh, is critical to success in, in those models. That's excellent. What um we we're, we do a lot of here and now at Hims, uh, but thinking ahead a couple of years, so so three years out, what should we be thinking about 
to, to either navigate or manage or to, to thrive? Yeah, that's a great question. I think maybe a couple of things. One, data fluidity yes. is going to become more of a thing. And so being ready for that and, and not trying to play against it, right? So maybe the general way to say that is, there's a lot of healthcare models that I believe are on the wrong side of history. So trying to be on the right side of history, let's just be honest, at three in the morning when you're laying awake, yep. what's the right side? Is it <laughs> is it proprietary closed market market power right. trying to enforce consolidation? Or is it you know being supportive of a community health model, uh, being open with data, mm -hmm. helping the consumer uh, drive, manage the system, understand cost transparency and things like that. So that is where, you know, I, th I think it's just it's shining a light on that. Yep. No, that's fantastic. Actually, um, Anish was just up here talking about that exact very thing, um, getting the payers to actually open up. And I think there's a new rule that he just, or they're, they're talking about a new rule, not the, not the information blocking rule, we'll be talking about that at 350 today, but um, he actually talked about the, there's a new rule that they're publishing for the payers to have to open up some of their, um, basically, uh, on the claims data and just op right. and being incentivized to open that up. I but. mean, I don't know how you would take a risk contract for costs and not have access to the cost information. <laughs> so true. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of not really buzzword compliant. Yeah, like, yeah. There's so many basic things that aren't there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, so what do you hope for to get out of the show, uh, out of the conference for us? The, I, uh, I really want to see what, you know, so I'm, I'm living in a boots on the ground world. I yes. saw the future is great. I do But as well. I'm in the world <laughs> of like, you know, paper workflows and faxes. Yeah. And so I kind of am wondering what you know, what HR vendors are doing to embrace value-based care, which we've seen very little of so far. So there's a lot of, um, you know, I'm probably looking for that. I'm just kind of seeing where the trends are going. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to avoid as many buzzwords as I can. <laughs> I love it, very, very smart. <laughs> However, I, I gotta say, people, AI, things that they, people think that's a buzzword, but I'll be honest with you, every single cool. person that, are, that has sat in that seat has brought up AI and artificial intelligence and, and how they're implementing it today and how it's being used today. It's not just in the future. It it's is real. It care is delivery real. today, how we're spotting, you know, you know we're, we're, we're looking for abnormalities that just aren't picked up by the human eye. And there's so many different pieces of our care strategy and research. And I think it's so interesting what, what you know, there's leaders and there's followers, right? And, there's, mm -hmm. and for us, like, we want to lead in value-based care and some of the things that we do, yep. but we're going to be followers in other things. We are not, you know, Amazon or, you know, right. as far as consumer empowerment, mm -hmm. things like that. So we are watching those things. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely true. I'm not trying to dismiss it. I think it's, oh, no, I agree. Yeah. I think it's real. I just think it gets caught up a little bit. Well, it didn't. And actually, a lot of us were all saying that. We think, oh, well, there's a lot of hype here. But then literally, as every single guest, so my whole, I asked every guest pretty much the same three questions because we, we are looking for trends. And now we're AI. Yeah is just out there and again we, it was a buzzword a couple years ago but now it's really we, we are a heavily analytics based business um, we would not do anything without analyzing data predictive models but it's, it's things I would call more predictive models not pure you know you know AI maybe we could call it AI if yeah. it was marketing but right. yeah okay so on the um, what do you think of the new rule not to get you know political in any way but what do you think about this new rule that was announced yesterday I, I think the rule couldn't couldn't be better for our docs and for community health in general love it um, I, I We've been happy to see it. I know this probably not a popular sentiment at a show filled with hospital CIOs, <laughs> um, but you know, the, the the trends that we've seen this year or in 2018 from the government have all been in a positive direction in terms of you know yep. opening gates for this. Yep. No, I think it's it's overdue. I mean, to be honest, yeah. I mean, I think this is uh, we're excited for certainly for it. Um, well, hey, Ed, Edwin, thank you. True pleasure, my friend. Glad all you right, could be thanks here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You all got right. it. Have a great rest of the show. Devin, no, you're here. We actually have plenty of time. All right. So actually, I don't even think my guest, next guest, actually, my next guest is a break. So 
that's good. They they give me one break in five hours of broadcasting. I get one chance to run to the restroom and back. Oh my god, that's it's uh, very tough. The older you awful. get, the harder the people work. You know, it's brutal. <laughs> so how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I think this might be my like tenth hymns conference. It's my eighteenth. Your eighteenth. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. All yeah. right, you win a prize. No, no, no. This people, this is people <laughs> twenty five years deep in this here. Um, <laughs> But anyhow, I want to know about Citizen because we got, got a couple extra seconds. We'll get into the thought leader questions, but I've known sure. you for a long time. You're, you're wonderful in the privacy and security world. Thank you. A true thought leader. Thank um, you. But I want to hear about Citizen really quick. Yeah, so Citizen is a platform uh, that individuals can use in order to gather and, ha- and manage and then share their health information. So it's really been exciting to hear uh, what's been said by um, some of the folks in government about Mm -hmm. emphasizing the right of individuals to access their information because we want to help them do that uh, and we want to also make sure that they get data that's not just a digital shoebox but data that is normalized and standardized and summarized in ways that they can then send on uh, in order to help their own care and maybe help people like them. We're actually focusing on very sick patients so the kind of data that they need X-rays, pathology reports, and a different in addition to meds and labs, is the type of data that today is really hard to just get out of a out of a portal, right. or it won't even be available through APIs until you know many years from now when we um, increase the amount of data that's available through those standards-based APIs. So we go go the old-fashioned way. Yep. We knock on health information management department doors and we say, "Hey, HIPAA right of access. Patient gets this. We take it in." We pull all of the relevant relevant data out of it, yeah. and we give back to our users something that they that is then their story mm-hmm. uh, about their illness. And we're again we're starting with cancer. I don't know if I mentioned that. And that and they can go seek nth opinions. They can see if they're eligible for clinical trials. They can donate to their favorite type of research. Yep. Um, share information with a caregiver. Like it's just really putting into their hands the power to both direct their own care and and to help other people. I love it. Wow. Thank you. I, yeah, I didn't realize. I actually didn't realize that. I knew you're focused on cancer, but I didn't realize, to, yeah. understand how uh, how deep. Yeah. So, how do you what's the how do you get to that population? How do you find those patients, those individuals? Do you start off with health systems or? Yeah, we're actually starting. You know, we have multiple pathways through which we find our users, and we're still pretty early going. We don't have that many users by design mm-hmm. because we, you know, what we're building is actually is actually a hard thing to do from right. a technical standpoint. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Healthcare is hard, right? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Very. Um, but it's we, also very complex. It's also very, right, that too. Yes. We are going to get um, users both through relationships with healthcare systems okay. where the oncologists say, hey, if I had this data mm. on all of my patients, that would really truly be, be worthwhile. Um, and then also through patient advocacy organizations. So there's lots of them out there yes. who try to help uh, Did people. Did you used to help lead one of those? Went you the leadership team? I did. Yeah. Not one focused on cancer, but yes, yeah, the yeah, National yeah. Partnership right. for Women and Families yes. has, a, has, you know, has a, a lot of uh, individuals who follow them, who, you know, who they can reach out to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so working through advocacy groups who are often a very trusted source of information for yeah. patients is yet another way to say, hey, here's a service that you might want to use. They don't necessarily have to endorse us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really my job as the as the privacy official in the company yep. to make sure that we have a really good product to sell in terms of people trusting us with their data. Uh, we won't uh, sell it or share it right. unless the consumer is consented. 
It's awesome. Thank you. So now diving into some of the um, the reasons you're here at Hims and, and so forth, what are the trends that you're seeing out there, uh, either healthcare trends or health IT trends that you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, and, and this is a, a bit of a biased answer, sure. but it won't be surprising. Like, I think the whole trend toward empowering consumers or patients uh, with their data is, <laughs> is spot on. Yeah. I mean, it, you're you're a parent, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, getting information on your kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I only work with doctors who are highly interoperable, to be honest. Good for yeah, you. Yeah. yeah I'm get, I'm getting there too. I, I had a doctor for many years that I really liked who was not. And I finally was like, I, you know, this is as I get older and my health concerns get, uh, more serious, yeah, yeah. I need to know that my information, um, can go to where it needs, needs to, go to go quickly and it. that I can get it quickly and yeah. organize it. Same thing with, I mean, I have adult parents yep. who, um, you know, increasingly are, they're in decent health, but it's not great health. And every year there's something new, right? Yes. So, um, so I think it's really important for people to be on top of their, on, uh, of their health. And you can't do that without data. So I, that's really the trend that I am most excited about. I'm super excited about the rapid adoption of Firebase APIs, right? Like, you know, for a long time, we really struggled with how do we get this data moving yep. and to really see the, both the regulators, but also the community of, of you know, industry folks as well as people in the consumer-facing community to say, you know what, we can all get behind this and it doesn't solve everything, mm -hmm. but it solves enough and we can iterate on it over time and go. improve it, but this is what this is the direction we ought to be going you in. You sound like a niche. You just sat up here and for 15, <laughs> you sound just like you guys say, so great. I love him, love you, that's awesome. Yeah. And I completely no, we're, agree. We're preaching the Bible of fire, right? <laughs> I actually, I almost tweeted, Anish Chopra is on fire, F-H-I-R, and I was oh, like. Oh, that's good. That is just too. No, that would've been, that would've been good. A too, little too weird. You mean from his anyway. talk this morning, from his, um, yeah, yeah, I heard he no, did a good No, he job. was seriously, that, that opening <clears> um, session was just uh, to me I've like so energizing yeah. not not the gospel the singers were great yeah. but where i got really energized was having both the you know the regulators and others mm -hmm. on stage saying you know what this is the time and i think it fits with the conference theme right champions of health you can't be a champion of health and hoard data that's right you cannot be a champion of health if you let your concerns about oh where's this data going and uh, you yeah. know I mean, at some point, you just have to say those become excuses. Correct. And you just gotta you gotta push. Yep. Push, push, I push. Completely agree. Yeah. So, what are two or three best practices that you can offer my audience sure. on how to navigate um, access to data, access to information, and what you're just speaking about? Yeah. Well, from from whose perspective? Like well, a, the consumer perspective. From a, oh, yeah, from a you consumer have perspective. You have more knowledge of anybody yeah. else on some of these topics. Yeah. Certainly so, so one best practice would be. Um, don't hesitate to stand up for yourself mm. because if someone is telling you it's data that you cannot have, the chances are pretty good that they are wrong. Right. And they, and, and sometimes yep. they don't intend to be wrong. I think sometimes right. just the information about what people have a right to is still sort of trickling out, even though this has been around for 20 and yes, years. Exactly, I mean, yes, this is nothing yes, new, but it yeah. didn't get a lot of emphasis. So I'll, I'll give people a little bit of a pass. 1996, get, right? Yeah. We started this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the regs didn't come out till 1999. Okay. So. Yep. That's right. You're right. But still, yeah. it's a long time. Yeah. It's 20 years Correct. now. Yes. Like, it's time. Very true. Um, but, but you're probably not being told what's accurate, so 
you know, go to OCR's website, go to consumer groups like Office the National Partnership OCR. Office for Civil Rights. Yes, yep. thank you. Yep. Um, we have stuff on our website, webpage, citizen, C-I-I-T-I-Z-E-N.com as resources for people. Like, if you're being told you can't get your x-rays, that's wrong. If you're being told you can't get your records, that's wrong. If you're being told you have to come in in person to get your records, that is also wrong. Love it. Like, all the ways that they're making it hard for you, wrong, 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 um, wrong, wrong. Yep. So, so that is like a, and then, and then from that point, once you have the data, like it really is going to be incumbent on you to put it in a safe place, yep. which means that if you want to use a consumer facing app or a service like ours, you're actually going to have to read the privacy policy Yes, because enti those entities are all outside of HIPAA, including us. Yep. And that means that the protections for your data are all sort of put in this set of policies that you really have to read because once you click on that Thing that says yes I want to do this you are in you've yep. basically consented yes. to everything that they've said in these sometimes hard Disclosure. to read disclosures yeah the disclosures yep. terms yep. of service and yep. privacy policies but yep. you kind of have to do that and I, d I do think that there's going to be more resources available to consumers to help them navigate that space now that we're opening up the doors to the data That's going excellent. in that direction so don't take no for an answer do your homework and put your data in, a, in terms of putting your data in the safe place. Fantastic. What do you think about the new rule coming out? It came out yesterday. Yeah, I, I might be the only person at this conference who hasn't even skimmed it yet. But you like the concept of it. Yeah, though the concept of it, you know, information blocking um, was really a, um, a revelatory provision in the 21st Century Cures Act. It, and yeah. it scared the crap out of a lot of, of entities who could be subject to information blocking penalties. Yep. And it was, you know, a joyous occasion for folks who sort of felt like the data that they needed to move around was, was just sort of jammed up in lots of ways that, um, you know, that didn't really make a lot of sense. They weren't yep. technical obstacles. They were business obstacles. They were you know, regulatory misinformation types of obstacles. So I think we're going to get clearance on all of that and and be able to get through some of the sludge. Yep. And then if there are remaining technical issues to be resolved, we'll have a better idea of where they are because they won't be sort of shrouded behind I essentially business concerns. I completely agree. So, so I'm pretty excited to uh, to dig into it, actually. Yep. that That's the nerdy side of me. I'm like, oh, this is great, but I want to go home and read regs. Right, right. <laughs> I know. I was actually fortunate. So I have a, I have Elise um, Sweeney Anthony on my show at 350 today nice. talking about the new nice. rule. And But but Peter, who uh, in communications at ONC, sent me the yep. uh, the infographic, which is what I was thankful for because I didn't have time to read the reg. Actually, yeah. it's been perfect for this show. and But I did read the infographic graphic and and I do like it the only thing I'm, I'm concerned about is they mentioned if it's if it's too much of a burden to to share the information and there's gonna be a you know you can get basically dis dispensation for not sharing based on it being too much of a burden I just, I just don't want that being levied <laughs> no I think they need to provide a lot more detail on what is meant by a burden, burden because yeah. you know everything that takes work is a burden yes arguably, correct right? and that's what I, got, I have to do about. something different from what I did before that's a burden right, that's a burden, yeah. right? It, yeah. it, you know look it, the reality is is that when you're changing workflows within a healthcare institution yep. it may it kind of feels like moving the Titanic right but that can't be the t litmus test correct. right that's right you that's know right. you have to you have to change if there are other things that make it too much of a burden yeah. you got to specify what that is and, yep. and frankly ONC needs to provide more detail, but we need to help them actually Correct. as part of this comment period. Very true. What does it mean to be more to, too much of a burden, and what should what should be off the list? Yes, as being too much of a burden. Excellent right? point. Excellent point. So my last question: um, We spent a lot of time looking at here and now at Hims, like yep. you know, in this nineteen uh, no nineteen nineteen or 2019, 2020. 
What about three years from now? What do you think we need to be thinking about or looking towards, or looking forward to, or need to navigate potentially in 2022? I actually think that um, there are going to be a lot more companies at this conference that never were at this conference before that never thought mm-hmm. about coming to this conference because we've opened up the aperture around data right. and we it's have the opened the door to excellent. a lot of companies who are gonna see amazing opportunities in the space, right? This is, what percent of GDP is healthcare now? Like it, 20. 19, 20? Yeah. Okay, it was, yeah. it was 16 when I was in public, public health school yeah. in 1993. Right, so, I know. Um, so it's moving up, obviously. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's going to, again, we're already seeing large companies like Amazon uh, and others who were not in the healthcare space previously yeah. fly starting to, to yes. fly in very deeply. Yeah. Uh, I, but I think it's going to be a very whole true. host of companies are going to think about the solutions that they've provided in other industries and say, you know what? We are at, the data is flowing better. We actually have some opportunities here to bring some, some of what we did to transform another industry into healthcare to make it better. So I think there will be, this exhibit floor will start to look increasingly like the Consumer Electronics Show, yes, right? in Vegas, the it, CES it, show, It edges yeah. closer and closer there every year, and, and maybe right in time for us to have hims back in Vegas. Exactly. Which, How now that I live on the West Coast, I'm like, Oh, I'm you ready left for. D.C.? Yeah, I live, I live in Silicon Valley. I followed oh. the company. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Congratulations. No, thank you. But it makes I, getting to Orlando a little more challenging. It does. <laughs> I actually lived um, in Palo Alto, 834. 834- Six Forest Avenue, two streets off of University. I know exactly where Forest is. <clears throat> yeah, I did. I had a work assignment in Palo Alto in 1997. I was at 555 Forest Avenue. We were practically in neighbors. 1997. I was there in 1998, 99. Yeah, I was gone oh by God. then. Oh That's goodness, so funny. Gracious, I could have left a breadcrumb trail for you. Hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize you moved to the West Coast. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yes, yeah. How long have you been a citizen then? Uh, we have been a company since November. Mm-hmm. Well, incorporated in September 2017, but we had our first day November 6, 2017, and I was there. I had moved okay. just like two days before that. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Dev McGraw, thank you very much for joining us today. Justin, I thank it. you for the invite. Thank we'll you so much. We'll do it again. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to have you back in my radio show later on in the year to get an update. I want you guys to do it. I'd love to do it. Cool. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, and uh, tuning back into us. Um, and I certainly want to thank everybody from Business Radio X who's producing this live Hymns 19 segment of this Justin Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Barnes, and also many uh, thanks to our partners who support the show: Lenovo Health, Intel Health, the Hymns Organization, uh, and and really all you guys who continue to support the show. So thank you very, very much, uh, and thank you to the 30,000 listeners out there. We truly appreciate you dialing in uh, and tuning in. We got a couple more hours of great broadcasting to go, but this panel very excited about. We always do one panel every single year. This is the Think Beyond Health Innovation Panel. So let me walk through uh, and have everybody introduce themselves. We'll start with you, Farhad, on the end, and come on down. I'm Farhad Chowdhury. I'm the CEO and founder of Vianova Health. And we'll dive into Vianova in a moment, but very excited to hear more about your technology. Hi, everyone. Andy Nieto, Global Healthcare Solutions Manager with Lenovo Health. Hi, and Andy Bartley, Global Account Manager for Intel Health. Excellent. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, truly appreciate it. So starting off, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about where innovation is today, where it's going, uh, how people can successfully navigate it, what best practices can we offer. Um, but then I also want to look into the crystal ball a little bit. I want to really give people a glide path in a way, but really tell them, hey, this is where we are. And me and you brought up some great stuff in our last think tank around AI being implemented in the care delivery uh, plan and care strategy by physicians and physicians want to be trained. Those kind of things are breakthroughs in some ways because we keep hearing 
how AI is, is hyped a lot, and while it is a little bit, it's here and now. And every single person that sat for the last two hours on this show brought up AI in some capacity. And you're, you have an AI platform Correct. here and live today. So yeah, very, very cool. So I'm looking very forward to this segment. So we will talk about where healthcare is today, but then also let's give them some projections of where it's going so people can kind of look up uh, uh, as well. So before we dive in too deep, Farhad, um, probably the company that we don't know most about. So tell us about, give us a couple minutes on Nova Health and what you guys are accomplishing your technology. Yeah, so Nova Health, we've created a remote patient monitoring platform, but built inside of it is Rosie. It's a virtual nurse. I love nurse. the name, Rosie. Rosie, yeah, it's, awesome. it's our virtual nurse. Yeah. And inside of the platform, what's amazing <laughs> about it is she's helping with behavior modification and creating tiny healthy habits. And so every single day, our patients check in with Rosie in the morning. It's, cool. it's connected to a clinical command center, a bunch of biometric devices pulling vitals, but it also sends alerts and messages to family members and to physicians. But there's a social reinforcement element to this, and we're using the best habit formation science coming out of Stanford Behavior Design Lab with Dr. BJ Fogg. And so we're really trying to be psychology technology, creating tiny healthy habits. I love it, fantastic. Andy, tell us a bit about your role and what you guys are thinking about. And we'll dive into some of the, the deeper thought leadership stuff, but what are you focused on at, from Lenovo? So at Lenovo Health right now, we're focusing on bringing solutions that actually solve real world problems in healthcare. We're really focusing on how we bring uh, solutions, whether it's a technology solution around an end-to-end -end VDI strategy or... VDI is virtual desktop? Virtual desktop yeah. infrastructure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, also looking at, at solutions around how we bring to market uh, partners like Vianova and bring solutions to home health, bring solutions to um, what's going on with augmented reality and virtual reality and how we bring those uh, directly to the hands of the patient and the providers and how we're enabling different solutions. So uh, Lenovo Health is really about bringing all the players together and best of breed solutions. Love it. So talking about bringing players together with best of breed solutions, Intel. Andy, I love you guys. You guys have been great supporters of, of mine and my radio show since inception and actually going back 15 years. So thank you for that. Um, but what are you mainly focused on right now for Intel? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's an exciting time in healthcare, right? There's, there's lots of big shifts happening, um, which makes it even more important than ever to focus in on a couple of critical areas. So the four areas that we're focused on uh, from Intel Health are AI, Mm -hmm. And it's really about extracting the maximum amount of value from the digital data that you've captured across the organization. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, precision medicine, today a focus on bringing genomics into the clinical workflow. I think a lot of work on primary and secondary analysis, so looking more at tertiary analysis now, that interpretation. Um, distributed care, care delivered outside of the inpatient setting for chronic disease populations, aging populations, and then continuing to focus on digital infrastructure. We've the, the wave of EMRs has rolled through healthcare, but there's still a lot of opportunity to uh, optimize and modernize that existing infrastructure to allow for things like AI and precision medicine to really scale at the population level. Excellent, so let's carry on there. So tell me, you just went through four main focal points, but what are the main healthcare, health IT trends that you personally are navigating or that you look forward to navigating here in the, in the, over the next uh, year or so? What trends are you watching? Yeah, so the health <coughs> IT trends, I, I think you'd be remiss to not mention the use of data. I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. So we'll maybe rebrand it from AI. Use of data. Use, 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 use of data. data. I yeah. like it. I like it. Yeah, and it's, it's um, you know, that trend, you talked about it's here now. So it's here now in a big way, uh, but it's it's in a lot of these sort of not sexy use cases. Correct. The back office yeah. use cases 
uh, operations? How do I improve my staffing? How do I improve workflows through the hospital? How do I improve my revenue cycle management? And these are critical uh, applications of AI that free up dollars and resources within the healthcare organization to go and invest in new and innovative areas like direct patient care. So we see AI actually unlocking IT budgets and resources Excellent. to drive innovation, right? The more you can pull cost out yeah. of those legacy areas of the business, the more you can invest. Uh, I think the other is um, organizations that are understanding where and how to place their computational workloads. So there's a whole industry now around the cloud, not mm -hmm. a new thing, but I think for healthcare, understanding how to leverage the cloud yes. alongside the infrastructure that they have to be more nimble, be more agile, provide new and innovative services to their patients, to their patient populations that can scale outside of their four walls, going back to distributed care, yep. and really enabling it with more scalable infrastructure that can tie back in real time. So those are two that, that I think yeah. are pretty exciting. No, very cool. What are you seeing, Andy, for healthcare trends and IT trends? Um, one of the trends I'm seeing is, is a, a return to baseline expectations, security, privacy, uh, access control, interoperability, yeah. and finding ways to really improve, to, to evolve as, as threats evolve, also finding ways to uh, evolve the technology and the resources available to IT buz budgets without driving the, the cost through the roof. Um, the other Excellent. thing that I'm seeing is just an expectation that additional um, technologies uh, are, are accessible and, and more tolerance and more interest in, let's try that with a, a, a finite population. Let's evaluate that with just a few people at a time uh, and see how it's going to work and, and more interest in doing that. So yep. uh, those are two that I think are really exciting right and now. And actually the latter point, the latter point is something that's even come out in the last couple of think tanks where we said, hey, you've got to start say virtual care and you just take a segment of your population or, or a certain disease state. You don't have to go all in, we don't actually recommend doing the entire healthcare system all at one time, but take a segment of population, 100, 200,000, 2,000 people and start there and then build out. Um, so, no, excellent, excellent. So Farhad, tell me about what you guys are focusing on for trends with Vianova. Yeah, for us in particular, <coughs> we're trying to address the fundamental problem of care plan adherence. At the end of the day, doctors are prescribing the thing, but the overwhelming majority of patients within 30 days, about 80%, right. stop following yeah, it. Right. So how do you ensure that? And so we've created a platform that's focused on the problem that many physicians aren't looking at, which is the habit formation around actually them following what doctors have prescribed. So our trends is looking at different devices, whether they're wearables, we have a pill box for medication adherence, smart pill box, and with the home hub. But on top of all of that, we're looking at, it's all about behavior change. It's all about behavior modification for us. And honestly, that's why we've been you know, expanding with a lot of different clientele. They're looking for a deeper way of doing visualization of habit formation. And I think we are one of the first companies to break through with that. And we're looking for working with Lenovo and Intel to expand mm -hmm. that further. Yep. So diving into now one level deeper there, what are two or three best practices that you can offer out? Um, it might be with your solution, but even if not, engage in these type of technologies, how to, you know, what best practices can you offer um, to say um, consumers or care providers or health systems to engage? I think when it comes to best practices, it's about, one, one of the things that we immediately do is we go in and we do a certain amount of training to the clinician, mm -hmm. as well as, it's a, it's a combination of working with the provider and working with the patient, for both of them to think in terms of habit formation, and think so, in thinking about them checking in every single day, it's doing excellent. something yeah. every day, and lights turning on and off. So we have this entire uh, training approach 
but we also have the technology doing that, and then social reinforcement and family engagement. And the, if you look at the data and the studies and the analysis, it's how you engage the family, how rosy yeah. tells, suggests to the family member what type of messaging and engagement they should have with their family loved ones that leads to the greatest response and reaction. So connected care and making it complete. So give me an example of that. How would rosy, I mean, I think of my 94-year-old grandmother who I help with her care. I live in Atlanta, she lives in Boston, and I try to help her as much as possible. But I mean, it would be, hey, Graham did not take her pills today, and then you alert me, and is that, is that stuff you're talking about, or even at a much better level? Yeah, with most of our clientele, it's a combination of Rosie alerts their, their clinical coordination team, yep. their nurses, whoever have. We built an entire platform, they leverage that clinical command center, but it also then pings the family member. Right. And what Rosie's doing part. in terms of AI, and I don't want to use it in a gimmicky way, yeah, yeah. AI is about personalization. How do I take all that data and say, oh, when the daughter re uh, <clears throat> responds, they react better. Like my dad, right. I could respond to my dad, but when my wife does it, because that's his daughter-in-law, he yeah. seems to respond a lot better, so now <laughs> the messages go to her. It's things like that, it's high excellent. personalization and, you know, and, and adapting along the way. I love it. That's some of the great ideas right there, I like that. Um, Andy, so tell me about you know, some best practices that you guys are offering or, or you're thinking about and you're educating people on how to navigate some of these trends out there. So uh, one of the things that we're looking at right now is uh, is in security, having a, uh, within your technology partner, within your whatever vendor of choice mm -hmm. that you're working with, understanding what their technology framework is for security, what is their practice for security. At Lenovo with our ThinkShield portfolio, uh, as we look at device security, data security, uh, online private security and authentication and access control as an entire environment of security and privacy, um, Having a, having a plan and a partner that you can really align with and dive into with, and how does that play into all of the rest of, the, of your portfolio? Uh, security is, is, is a multifold problem, right? We have to deal with threats, but we also have to deal with management internally. Yeah. Who has access to what? How do they access it? And we, it, it's multi-layered. We don't have just one vendor. If we had just one vendor, HIMSS would be about 10 booths, right? <laughs> right. I think there's 1,700 booths here today. Right. Um, and so we have to work with all of these different partners to have a, an environment where we address security and privacy. Um, whether we're talking about, uh, about how they log into their desktop or how they log into the EHR or how we track a patient at home and, and how do we know that, that that seven-year-old Timmy isn't playing with Rosie instead of grandma who's assigned right. Rosie. Yep. So all of these different elements play into that. And so the best practice I recommend is, is really having a partner that you trust, that you can interact with, who understands these problems and is willing to go to bat with you. It's awesome. And I smile every time you say the word Rosie, the name Rosie, I smile because I actually had a robot that um, one company that I invested in still to this day is in hospital space, but they have a robot. And they said, what do we want to name the robot? And I said, Rosie. you got to name the robot Rosie. They actually went with Magellan, but I, went, I wanted Rosie. <laughs> Just stayed more personable with Rosie. Exactly. Thank you. So from your perspective, from Intel's perspective, what are two or three best practices that you can tell my audience um, you know, how to successfully navigate healthcare or certain of the trends that you spoke about earlier? Yeah, so I wanted to go back to, to one. This wasn't one I was going to mention, but um, Farhan, I think, mentioned the, uh, the change management piece. And so important. It's, it's so critical as a yeah. technology provider that you take ownership for getting that technology yeah. integrated into the workflow. You know, we get trained on procedures, but we live our habits. That's right. And so it's not enough to think about getting that procedure rewritten. It's how do I go in and fundamentally change a habit that someone's in? When you read this, the habit science, it's daunting. 
changing habits is really, really hard. Who Moved My Cheese, that book from 20 Who years ago. Who Moved My Cheese, yeah. man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a short read, and there's, yeah. there's a great science out about it. But it's a, it's a sustained effort over a long period of time, and you have to come in with the right mindset and the ability to resource and focus and provide the right kind of encouragement throughout to change that habit if you want to drive engagement. So I love that Fantastic. point. I love the I word agree. habit being used, not just workflow being used, but habit. Um, I think another is, and, and you know, and Andy and the team here really demonstrate this, is it's about creating an ecosystem and partnerships. You know, I think the industry has and will continue to ask for solutions. Yes. It's not about piece parts, I need full solutions, and there's no one company that can provide it all. That's it's right. about forming the right partnerships that are complementary, yep. that are deeply rooted in the customer value proposition that they're asking for. So it requires knowing your customers sometimes better than they know themselves. Right. And then being able to work across the ecosystem hey, I can collaboratively. Help with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know that I to be to. true. That's uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but but you see it in the booth here with the partnerships that have been formed, you know, leveraging those core Lenovo assets, but then bringing in the innovators that can complement that and, and really take it to market as an end-to-end -end solution. So I think those are both really critical pieces to, to making it work, right? Making the innovation yeah. stick. No, I think it's fantastic. And even Rasu, Dr. Shresha, who was on earlier, um, has been as his national uh, global speaking circuit uh, on unlearning things. And I think it goes back to change change management. What habits do we have, and what can we unlearn? We can't just keep piling on because we actually how we did something ten years ago is not how we're going to do it today. But yet we still go through the same motions, we have the same habits. And so, very important to all this great innovation is in how do we approach moving forward with this great innovation and not the exact same way we, we approach everything else before. So it's unlearning, and you know, what have you unlearned today? And if we actually think about every Every single day, you know, because that means you're all you're being very self-aware. You're thinking ahead, and then also, what can I, what I need to unlearn today or this week? So it really feeds into exactly what we're talking about. I awesome. think that that goes even further when we start talking about IT departments and IT industry. Um, unlearning the concept of we've always done it that way. Correct. And, yes. And that could really hold you back. Absolutely, and looking at a partner and saying, well, we, we have a firewall. We, we've always been relied on that. We've had this, we've always relied on it. And to start looking at, at it as a, uh, as a dynamic and, and, li and living, breathing environment. Yep. So we move into our, before we move into our next segment, I see these black shirts out there. You're wearing one, Andy. It says, what, is it, what does your black shirt say? It says, sequence me. <laughs> Sequence B. I actually thought it when you first walked out with this, it squeezed me. I'm like, why is he wearing that shirt? You can go there too. I'm, I'm good. That's great. You're a good man. Um, no, so Sequence Me, there's another one over there. Tell, Give me 30 seconds on that. Just so. Yeah, it's for the, uh, the Intel Health team. One of our colleagues, Bryce Olson, um, well known in the precision medicine yep. industry, cancer survivor. Yes. And Bryce had his whole genome sequenced. And in order to find the right clinical trial, he had to take his own genome work with providers and go find a clinical trial to insert himself into. So mm. the standard of care, the standard clinical workflow around yeah. using that genomics failed him, yes. but he had the persistence and the understanding of the industry to know how to get himself in, and that's extended and, and saved his life, right. I mean, literally. And so we've got the shirts on to raise awareness for the importance of thinking about how we bring genomics in and make precision medicine real. I love it, I love it. I'm actually gonna learn more. I've not, I've, one of the areas that I have not been up on is social de determinants of health. And so my next couple of speakers coming up later this afternoon is about that. And there's a lot of precision medicine in that. And then uh, and certainly in um, sequencing. So fantastic. So now, um, go to you Farhad. Thinking ahead, HIMSS uh, is a lot about here and now. Uh, which is great, because we need to know what's happening today, we need to know what's happening immediately tomorrow, but thinking three years from now, and thinking out there, what do you, what, what would you tell my audience, what do you have to keep an eye on, or think about, or be cognizant of, 
uh, to be successful and to thrive in the future. So three years from now, what should we be looking for? I think that you're just seeing a further expansion of it going from the hospital into the home mm, on multiple excellent. levels. And you're seeing this kind of explosion of wearables, but how do all those wearables yeah. connect? What does that mean? How does it react? How does it get smarter? And how does it personalize? It's that deep personalization that I think that's missing. And so we, you know, people, like I said, use the word AI, but it's about that depersonalization. And then going back to looking at saying, how do I get into the emotional state of people and their mental health? You're seeing mental health is chronic care management, but a, a big boom into the, that space as well. So again, AI applied to that space. That's where we're looking. That's at. fantastic. I love it. It's great. Andy? So I think we're going to see in the next three years. And I realize we have two Andy, so Andy Nieto. Yeah. <laughs> Not Andy Bartlett. Andy Nieto. Uh, I really think that one of the things we're going to, going to really see in the next three years is a shift from patient-centered medicine to person-centered medicine. I think we're going to start, we're going to stop thinking about healthcare from a facility to facility, provider to provider, and start thinking about it in a, in a more holistic, person-centered um, I'm dealing with the person, right. whether they're at home, whether they're at work, yep. whether they're at school, whether they're in the doctor's office, whether they're in the hospital. We're going to be looking at the person as a, as a whole unit and not as, as okay, I'm seeing Dr. So-and-so today. I'm saying I'm in the hospital today. I'm in the ER today. Uh, and I think as that environment it becomes more a little bit more consumer-driven, mm -hmm. we're going to see more personalization in the, in the way it's delivered. And I think we're going to take that to the point that that not only will I have an, a longitudinal personal record, health record, which everyone has shared, because we finally we're going to solve interoperability, but mm -hmm. it's going to matter whether I'm de dealing with it in the home, uh, mm -hmm. and we're going to be leveraging incredible p technology to have s sequenced medicine. Uh, we're going to yeah. actually know who we are, and, and we're going to it's going to be a one-to-one -one delivery of medicine. It's fantastic. Love it, Andy Bartley. Yeah, so, so two, I'd go back to you know, care into the home, really the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. For the 99% of the time that we don't spend in the hospital, right. but drive a lot of the causing factors exactly. that force us to go into the hospital, Correct. what's happening in our community, what's happening in our home life, and our friendship circles, and our work life that is influencing that. And that's an area where you know, you've got a, a bit of digitization, very, very fragmented. And so I think the next theme that I'd look at as we start to understand that and tie it all together is advances in underlying data architectures to store very large disparate data sets. Because we're going to realize with AI today, we're applying AI to one or two data sets at a time, or we're solving very point problems because there's lots of low-hanging fruit out there. As we get more sophisticated in the use of data, and we try to expand our knowledge of the patient out into the community, there's going to be entirely new architectures and approaches to storing these data sets and analyzing these data sets. And AI will be a piece of it, mm -hmm. but there'll be new types of AI that emerge, uh, memory systems that have to emerge alongside the traditional machine learning techniques that are used today uh, to make all of it come together. Excellent. Let's take a step. There's two questions I want to follow up with, but for one of them, I really found fascinating. I touched it on the opening of this segment around, and you spoke. You mentioned this in our, in our last Think Tank, Think Tank 4, around physicians wanting to be trained on AI. Can you spend a minute on that? Because that's pretty fascinating. You kind of, when, when you said that, I took a step back in my seat and I'm like, oh my gosh, because I would not have guessed that. You could not have paid me to think that. I just, I just they kind of want to do their own thing and they, they know a lot about their own stuff, but then if they're actually you know, ready for it and relevant to, to AI, talk about that for a moment, please. Yeah, yeah I think the, the, you know, the positioning that's being used instead of uh, artificial intelligence is augmented Aug intelligence. Right, augmented and I think when you go yeah. talk to providers, the amount of time they have to spend 
doing um, clerical kind of work in the EMR. We talk a lot about staff burnout and physician burnout and frustration with using the systems. You know, applying AI to make that easier, to take away those mundane tasks so they're able to operate at the top of their license, you're seeing physicians understand how it can be applied there. And I think they're, you're seeing a, a realization from the technology providers, which a lot of entrepreneurs come into a market and a lot of times the mentality is, this market's broken, I'm going to fix it, which infers that what you're doing is wrong and I'm going to come and do it better. Mm -hmm. They're coming in with more mm. of a partnership mentality of, I have complementary technology, there are things that you're doing that aren't optimal and I can help optimize that. I can help make you work less hours, but be more productive, spend more time with your patients, and get home and spend more time with your family because you know providers are people too. Right. Yeah. And, and as much as they care about the patient, you know they get families they want to get home and, and spend time with. So I think that repositioning is the AI vendors have understood how this fits with the workflow and it's more of a, a us and, not an us versus yep, yep. kind of mentality that's really helped there. That's awesome. It's yeah. one of the things that's really interesting that I see in that is that shift is also our providers were very much about dealing with the EHR. We had we had that whole EHR wave yeah. where that was they were resistant to technology. There was a, a real resistance to that adoption. We've gotten over that hurdle now. Now that they've adopted, they're saying, "Okay, give me more. I'm right. ready for more. I'm more accepting of more. I'm open to learning more and using it more." It's excellent. Anything you want to add to that, Fahad? I mean, we've just seen a lot more of. We want to be able to, we use AI to amplify mm -hmm. instead of AI to, to replace. And we've been, and the amplification of that is really just moving into that personalization. That's basically what, that's the point. Excellent, excellent. Um, from a global perspective, because last year we talked we talk about global health, what would you, um, and ask this in either any of you, but what is your perspective on how Intel is tackling global health or from your, from a, from a global strategy? Yeah, so I, I think the four trends that I laid out, AI, distributed care, precision medicine, and digital infrastructure play out at, at a global scale. What's interesting though is you'll see different markets moving at different speeds yeah. along those. So if you look at China, for example, precision medicine's moving very quickly, and AI is moving very quickly, and they're constrained by the number of providers they have to support such a large population. So there's natural factors wow, just in good. trying to provide care to Excellent. that many individuals that forces them to be more innovative. And I think in some, you know, uh, outside the US, more centralized healthcare systems, it's e a little easier to get things done. Yeah. There's, a, there's fewer decision makers, not necessarily less politics, but a little bit more centralized. And so you see um, countries able to implement. We were, uh, we were just talking this morning, there's up to about 50 countrywide genomics programs now being spun up around the world, different countrywide wow. initiatives that are driving the adoption of genomics because it's easier to do it in those countries and traditional drug development does not take into account the unique attributes of specific populations. It's prim primarily a European white male uh, sample set that's used yep. to develop these right. drugs. And so as we think about precision medicine, right. we have to think about some of the fundamental processes we use to develop medicine today. Yeah. And where do those start to break down and where do we need to innovate? So some really interesting, I think that this precision medicine, personalized medicine trend is playing out in different ways, but that's really, I think, a, at a global level, one that we see getting a lot of steam and, and really having a big impact. Yeah, you actually made me think of a, I had a guest on my radio show about a year ago, and she mentioned cultural intelligence because of a lot of, you know, drugs are built for white males a lot of the times, but they, why don't they test in other populations as well, and, and or they may not be as, because we don't have the sequencing, we don't have the DNA, we may, these drugs are not maybe as good for them as they are for us, and she's brought up, it's called cultural intelligence, and I just, my all of my bells went off, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes a lot of sense, because a lot of stuff I didn't know about, 
um, but it makes complete sense, and that's what she's focused on. Anything you want to add on, on global or global innovation from Lenovo's perspective? Or? The other thing we're, we're we're starting to see is uh, is this adoption of other technologies, other clinical delivery systems, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, a, and willingness to explore them in, in different environments, uh, whether it's uh, China doing uh, genomics and what they're doing over there, which is amazing, uh, and then actually blending that with facial recognition, so you walk in and not only do, do I, we know who you are, but we know we have your genome when you check in, and, yep. and, and all of those pieces. We're also seeing uh, a tolerance for and an adaption of the the different clinical delivery methods were uh, in different environments and you leveraging research and, and the communication protocols to say, hey, how are they doing that over there? Right. Uh, this doesn't work over here, but hey, that's working over there. And real more exposure to an awareness of that, whether that's an AI, you know, research bot that says, oh, you were looking for this, they're doing it over here and it's populating information or it's uh, uh, as simple as, as engaging the right, the right people. It's been pretty, pretty powerful. It's excellent. Farhad, anything? What do, you, do you guys do work outside of the U.S. right now, or? Um, no, we're primarily 100% inside the U.S. We have a whole deployment in Eastern Europe, actually, that we started with. We're working with the Ministry of Health in a in a country out there, but majority of the work's in the U.S. Excellent. What institutions are you focused on? Um, who's a, who's a good customer for you, and where do you focus your efforts today? I mean, we have we're you working know. with Kaiser Permanente right now, and we're um, we're doing a deployment in Los Angeles. Um, and then we're also working with a lot of what's called accountable care organizations, okay. clinically integrated networks um, throughout the East Coast. So, and we figured out a way to, you know, remote patient monitoring is a big new thing pushed by health, um, sure. Medicare, it started sure. January 2019. Yeah. And we've helping them, you know, not only reimburse it, it's free to the patient, the providers can generate revenue, and it's also, you know, going inside homes and improving outcomes. Excellent, where are you guys located? Where's your headquarters? We're in Northern Virginia. Cool, excellent, awesome. Um, well, gentlemen, I, I, it's a fantastic panel. We covered a lot of ground. We ended up, we started locally and went global, but um, I appreciate your time, guys, and thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks, Justin. Great thank questions, so much, as Justin. always. Good panel. <laughs> thank you, my friend. We'll thank see you, you in the much. morning for the think tank. Yeah. Bright and early, 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> Thanks, all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Good. I know. Hey, brother. Thank hey. you very much. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, good. Thanks, awesome. good. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate you sticking with us. There's about 30,000 people listening to us right now. So, uh, Dr. Jathwani, true pleasure from Partners Healthcare, but also you're from the Healthcare Pivot or Partners Healthcare Pivot Labs. Um, but you're always a tremendous guest, not only on the radio show, but with our think tank. So, thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll actually, yeah, we start at 6:30 in the morning. I know it's going to be very early, but you'll be done by 8:30. So, but anyhow, but uh, thank you very much for joining us today. So, you always have a great perspective. Very innovative. You're you always share phenomenal best practices in our think tank. But what, uh, what to start off, what are some of the trends that you're seeing out there in healthcare and health IT that you want to talk about? All right, um, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's always really fun to be here. It's a lot of like mental exercise. I'm, I'm always <laughs> nervous about whether I'm going to be good enough for you or not. Yeah, right. So, no. awesome. um, it's great. Um, so I'll, you, you, um, healthcare and health IT. Um, let me start with the trend in healthcare, which everyone's seeing, but I kind of just want to like call it out, mm -hmm. which is all of the interesting consolidations we're seeing outside, right? So, you know, CVS, Aetna, yeah. the Amazon consolidation with Berkshire, like all of those really interesting partnerships and consolidations are, are I think, going to change um, the landscape for healthcare in the next five to six years, and I think that's worth watching. Um, so every time in boardrooms also, Very I sort true. of bring it up for my executives and be like, you know, don't forget, you know, CVS Aetna is together now. What, what's, <laughs> what's that going to look like? Right. So, so that's one that I think we should always keep on our, our um, 
anti if we aren't yeah. already. Um, the second trend, I think, again, sticking to healthcare, not health IT as much, um, is the trend for consumerism. So speaking from a provider uh, organization standpoint, we are actually seeing our patients demand of us that we actually move into the 21st century finally. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and they ask us questions around, you know, if I can book a restaurant table on open table, why can't I just book, uh, you know, why do I have to yeah. be on the phone for 27 yeah. minutes to book an appointment? <laughs> um, and then why is the appointment four weeks later? Right? Yes, good point. So um, that's a trend and that, that's growing and, and actually that pain is being felt more and more every single day as a provider. And then in terms of health IT, uh, a trend that I'm seeing a lot and literally probably get a phone call from a community hospital every week on this, um, and it's the buzzword of the year, which is AI. Yes. So how do, and specifically, how can hospitals make better use of all of this and money that they've invested in EMRs to make sense out of the data and to be intelligent about it? And that's a trend that I'm seeing. Now, whether that's a bubble or not, I'm not sure. The jury's mm -hmm. still out. But, but that's definitely a trend of like, it's, it's catching everyone's fascination and it'll be interesting to see what happens in three to five years with that. So talk about some of the best practices on navigating those. So what are yeah. say two or three best practices for people to successfully navigate those trends? So starting with AI, I think a lot of people are very quick to jump into using AI for clinical decision making and mm -hmm. clinical programs. I think it's a miss. I think that there's probably lower hanging opportunity in the operational side of healthcare with AI. Yes. And not a lot of people are focusing on that, but the data is a little bit cleaner. Uh, the, data, you know, the, the mistakes are less expensive. Right. Right. Very and true. the stakeholders are a little <laughs> bit more in, involved, you know. Uh, being able to save the time of a front desk person in, you know, bringing her down from 30 minutes to 10 minutes in, uh, you know, booking an appointment is actually a great savings that no one's really focused on. And so I think the more people think about Excellent. focusing on operational uh, versus clinical, I think that'll be really interesting. The second area I think that's really interesting in, in AI is imaging. There's more evidence out there for imaging-based AI yes. programs than like clinical EMR-based AI programs. Um, and then speaking as a physician, you know, we entered this data into the medical records and yep. like I know how dirty that data is, right? Yeah. And so I'm scared when people tell me that they're going to make intelligent decisions based on that data. <laughs> oh, that data right. So I feel like there needs to be like a mass cleanup project where like we all need to come in together and like decide that we're going to like use this data a little bit more. Uh, we're going to input this data more thoughtfully. Um, but till then, I think that that's a very high bar to climb and organizations are spending way too much money on trying to climb that, and I think that they're missing out on, on key opportunities. No, that's fantastic. Um, spend a second on your, you shared in the last think tank, you shared a, some great stats around a research study that you did on virtual care. On um, Basically, uh, you, you put it out there to your population, said would you like to access your, uh, if a doctor had access to your medical records, if they did not have access to medical records, this is all through virtual care. Talk about that for a moment, if you would, if you have some of those stats off the top of your head. I didn't tell you to talk about that, but that was such a that was very impactful to me. I real I talk about that now probably on a weekly basis in different speeches and all that. Yeah, so this is a and I give you the credit; cause it's amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, this is a marketing survey that we had done uh, ten years apart in 2005, 2015, and in 2005 we asked people sort of you know what is the most important thing for you as you're considering uh, how to pick your PCP, and you know. A, a, an overwhelming majority of people, or close to 80% people said uh, that brand is one of the most important things. That they want their physician to be 
a really good physician, right? Mm -hmm. Really well trained, coming from a credible school, etc. Uh, we repeated the survey in 2015 and only about 43% people said brand. A bigger number of people actually said convenience. And so at Harvard, we're looking at ourselves and we're like, we have 13 Harvard affiliated hospitals and now people don't care about brand? What <laughs> no. are we going to do, right? right? And so if convenience is now becoming a bigger issue, then we need to really change our business model and really be able to figure out how do we compete on convenience? Because guess what? CVS Minute Clinic is yeah. way more convenient than, than any of our organizations, Very right? True. So how do we get there? And I think that's where we really see the opportunity in digital. And it's not an opportunity anymore. It's a mandate. Yep. It's awesome. No, I think that's a, that's a big thing. So how are you guys trying? Like, what changes have you made to promote convenience over brand and... Uh, we're, we're doing a number of things, and you know, I think a lot of other organizations, and I give credit to a lot of other organizations who've, who've, who've spearheaded in this space much more. Uh, we, last year, we launched our first virtual urgent care, mm -hmm. right? So right now, any patient who is insured by our payer organization, Always Health, Always Health Partners, um, has the ability to uh, seek urgent care via virtual means, so it's all video and, and uh, phone enabled. Um, that's now cur currently covering about over 200,000 lives, so that's a, uh, that's a big uh, initiative that was launched in June. We are also trying to make, once this is successful, we're going to roll it out to every single patient and mm -hmm. partner, so that's going to be one thing. Uh, we're launching several AI-based programs specifically on the operational efficiency side. Uh, we're thinking about how to make better decisions about when to discharge people. We're making better decisions around how to treat them once they're discharged. We're making better decisions based on whether they're a high risk for coming back within 30 days or not. Uh, we're also trying to do other operational um, efficiency gains um, in terms of better referrals, right? When should a PCP refer a patient to a specialist? Can we use AI to start informing some of those things? Um, and then also using digital wearables to be able to predict when, a, when, a disease, when someone's disease is going to get bad. So if I can give you a Fitbit as a COPD patient, and I can watch your Fitbit data and predict a week before you mm -hmm. become really sick that That's you're going to get sick, Right now, that that's a game changer yes, because then is. I can intervene and I can prevent a, a two to three day rehospitalization, yeah. which is really expensive. That's fantastic. I love it. So now, thinking beyond today, we spend a lot of time here at Hims. We are we're seeing what's here now and what's coming in 2019, 2020. But thinking about to what 2022, what do we need to be looking at on the horizon to be able to be to th thrive in the future or be ready for where we're going? What do you think? I think the business models that will exist in 2022 don't exist today. Mm -hmm. So if you are a vendor, you probably want to think beyond the business models or the constraints of the business models that you're trying to cater to today. Um, you know, when, when your pharmacy becomes your insurer, right. a lot is up, at, up for grabs, <laughs> you know. Just, just think, think about that. So yeah. um, I always encourage companies to sort of figure out the, a way to do the right thing and don't be constrained with the business models that exist today. It's going to change. Um, that's one thing. The, the second thing I would say is, um, in terms of trends coming up, um, there is a big opportunity in zero interface uh, uh, interventions, right? Mm -hmm. So voice, voice yeah, is becoming yeah. a big thing. And I, I, I'm, um, I'm, I have mixed feelings about it personally, but I think there's an opportunity there. I think there's a pretty big market that's going to open up once, once voice is figured out, right. and, and Amazon is going to figure it out, we're yep. not going to figure it out. Right, right. Um, and then from a clinical delivery system uh, perspective, in, in three to five years, I think we need to be prepared to give up um, the routine things that we see our patients for. I don't think provider organizations are going to be in that business anymore. I think we need to specialize and we need to be able to provide chronic complex care yep. that others cannot provide. And, and I think that's just going to happen. Yeah, I, and the last point, I certainly, actually the last two points, actually all those I agree with, but I'm um, on the last point, 
this is actually I'm a chairman of a health organization in Georgia that actually has already moved well in that direction. So we deploy a very vast amount of DPC doctors. They practice on the top of their license. And so now the only thing we send to a specialist is a complex case because our, our doctors can handle a significant majority of the case, 90% of the care, but I need, you need surgery or you need a knee replaced. Those are all the things. And, and I have full transparency. And I'll talk about this a little bit in the think tank tomorrow is we already know that knee is going to cost $4,200, not $12,000, but $4,200. Our colonoscopy is $1,250. And we publish our prices, and that's a game changer in a lot of ways from where how people are practicing, how patients are flowing, where they're going for care, um, and but we have, all, we have better outcomes. And I mean, I think the, the the key philosophy for us in our organization is right patient, right time, right place. Yes. So if you're a patient that can be seen in a community hospital, you should not be seen at, a, at an academic medical center. If you're a person that needs to be seen today, yes. you should not be seen tomorrow, right? Correct. And so how do we get you get to see you in the right place at the right time with the right you know expertise? Um, and how do we strive towards that using digital as an enabler? Yep. And I think the last part you brought up on the on the voice side, I'm very bullish on it. I agree. Apple will solve some of those certainly the bigger complex pieces, but I do believe in, as we came up in the think tank, voice first, but not voice only. And I think, Correct. yeah, I think really with the consumerism, patient engagement, patient education, I think about my own example, I did have a colonoscopy a couple years ago. I don't remember a darn thing that that um, gastro doctor told me after, because I was still coming out from the drugs yeah. and I couldn't believe it. And then, but he rattled off all these great notes, phenomenal doctor, thankfully everything was good, so I didn't have to remember anything. Yeah. But what happens if it wasn't great and he gave me this advice, you gotta do this in this treatment protocol and I don't remember a word you said. Yeah. I can barely remember his face. And so, I mean, I was still under you know my anesthesia. anesthesia. So anyhow, it's uh, I do see, and I think of Louise, and if you remember from the think tank, yeah. um, Dr. Jack is doing actually in your backyard up there in Boston. We had a really interesting experiment. This was several years ago, more than 10 years ago, uh, where we used avatar technology for discharge mm -hmm. planning. And so we did a tri control trial where half the group got a real nurse to do discharge planning and the other half got an avatar on a right. screen. And statistically significant improvements in retention with the avatar, avatar. not wow. with the nurse. And so when you ask the patients why that's the case, they're like, "Oh, because I was able to rewind her four times." Right. But I, you know, but like I can't ask a real person to like repeat, repeat something four times four because times. I'm embarrassed, right? Correct. That's an um, so psychological like, point. We right can there, yeah. get better outcomes right. with you know. So it's it's yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you, Kamal. I appreciate it greatly, thank Dr. Jathwani. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, we'll see you in the morning, bright and early. Right. Thanks. Thank you, brother. Elise Sweeney Anthony. Hello. From the Hello. ONC. Yes. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So you had an exciting couple days. Uh, we've had we've been pretty busy, pretty busy. <laughs> a couple of rules came out, one from us, from one from CMS. Yes. yes, yes. So please, I would love for you to uh, to tell my audience about the new information. Well, interoperability, information yes. blocking, and um, patient access. Yes, yes. Conditions of service, everything. <laughs> wow. Yes. Uh, so we've been pretty busy, as you know. Yes. Um, we uh, were working with um, developing um, a rule that really answered what Congress has asked us to do. Uh, Congress asked us to focus on the access exchange and use of electronic health information, thinking about how we update our certification program to really think about um, developers, not just from the technical capabilities mm -hmm. that we usually include in our program, um, but also a broader perspective. There's more to interoperability than 
and, and the success of interoperability than just the technical specifications. As Congress said, it's the business practices. It's um, gag clauses yes, that yes. Um, prohibit information from moving. It's um, screenshots that providers can't share that might help aid um, and address safety concern. Um, it's information blocking and all the different potential actors who could be doing that that impact the ability of patients to have the information they need to be part of their care continuum. So yes, we've been pretty busy putting together these provisions in place. I love it. So what's a screen share? I wasn't familiar with that piece. So mm -hmm. you can't do a screen grab, or a screen clip? or So we heard, and I think Congress heard a lot as well about um, the fact that where providers would like to share some information um, related to screenshots and so yep. forth, that they're not able to do, do that, that because some of the developer contracts Gotcha. don't allow that, that to happen. Okay. So what we've included is a provision saying that restricting communications and screenshots are just one, mm -hmm. um, that that would not be allowed. Yeah. There are certain limitations that we've yeah. included, things like you can't change the screenshot that you take, right. things of that nature. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's an opportunity to have more transparency in what the technology is doing and how it's really aiding providers and the patients that they serve. Excellent. So I guess one level deeper, I know, and this is just a proposed rule that you put yes, out there. Yes. But um, what do you? What, what are the goals? What are the four or five goals that you could see if you know if we get the feedback and we yeah. incorporate the feedback and we work as a team and this is how we push out there? What do you? What do you hope at the end of all this? Yeah. Well, Dr. Rucker, uh, who's the national coordinator for yeah. health information technology, has really been focused on patient access. Uh, so bringing to life those pieces in this rule has been really critical. Mm. Uh, there's a number of places where we do that. We've heard um, from uh, patients and other stakeholders holders that they would like to, uh, an easier way to access their information, their electronic health information, whether it be from a provider or what have you. Uh, so we've included a provision that makes that easier and requires developer technology to have that in place for the providers they serve. We also include a provision in the information blocking section that says that where a patient is requesting electronic access to their electronic health information, right. that that has to be at no cost. So patient access is one. Um, I think another piece that we are looking at is bringing in APIs more into health IT space. There's been a lot of success with application programming interfaces yes. in other sectors, and there's a lot of opportunities it can bring to the health IT and to the healthcare perspective. So what we've included are provisions that um, require application programming interfaces, interfaces to be available to certified developers without special effort. Um, and that we think allows an opportunity for not only innovation to happen amongst those vendors who might already be in this space, but also allowing new entrants to come into the space and provide um, more functionality for providers or patients. That's fantastic. What, um, Dive a little bit into this one piece, or I mean, the burden. Because I remember yeah. I did see that in, in the actual infographic that Peter and you guys did put together mm -hmm. a fantastic infographic. I do. I, I'm a policy wonk. I do like to read policy. <laughs> However, an infographic prepping for the show was very helpful. So thank you, Peter, for sending that along. <laughs> um, but one thing that caught my eye, because I don't want people to use this as a crutch. I know you don't either. Mm -hmm. Is well, if it's too much of a burden, mm -hmm. then I'm just not going. to I don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean I know we still we're a long ways. We've got to get public comments and all that. Right. But talk about that a little bit, like. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think Congress was very clear in what they asked HHS and ONC to do and to think about when it comes to health IT. Um, and I think that's what we really wanted to put into place are those requirements. A lot of those requirements are about um, infra, um, technology being available without special effort, and that's the APIs. Mm -hmm. But APIs provide an opportunity to actually reduce the burden. For sure. Um, and to find innovative ways to do things. Basically providing a secure door to get the data that they need regarding patient and patient care and pulling that out in a safe and secure way. Um, so what we're looking 
at is how that might aid the provider experience because they would have more options in terms of potential applications yeah. um, that could be used on their mobile phone, for example. And then patients, the same thing. Sure. You know, there is a burden associated for patients trying to access their information sometimes um, or having to access numerous portals to get the information they for need. Sure. In this new environment, you can envision where application programming interfaces can help to pull that data down for the patient and bring it all together in one place so that the patient becomes a more integral and involved part of their care continuum. It's awesome, I, I love it. So what advancement, at the end of all this, what advancements should we really see um, maybe come in a year from now when we this mm -hmm. is all through the processes and we get the final rule what, what do you hope to see um, as, a, yeah. as a end goal for three or four things? Right. So right now, we're the, obviously the proposed rule just went out. Yep. Um, the first thing we're looking forward to is receiving comment. So 60 days from what day? Do we know that? Not yet. Yeah, not right, yet. exactly. So when it, when <laughs> it's it, not published yet. Not published register, yet. Right. When it posts in the Federal Register, yep. the comment period would start. Yep. Um, so we're looking forward to receiving those comments and seeing what comes in. We expect to hear from a number of different stakeholders. And I sure. always say we want to hear not only what you don't like, Correct. but Tell us what you like. That's too. very. Let's repeat that again. Tell us what you like. We we'll, we obviously will always hear what we do you don't like, but Absolutely. tell us what you like. I yes. agree. Yes. Because it's important. There's it is. A, there's a lot of specificity that we yes. include in the rule, so that we could really give folks and stakeholders the opportunity to tell us how this will affect them on the ground. Yep. So that's the first step. Yep. And then from there, once we have the comments in, we'll move towards the process of developing a final rule. Um, and I think when the final rule is, is out, whenever that ends up being, mm -hmm. um, that what we hope to see is the progression of the industry to move towards um, implementing things like the application programming interfaces that are required for certified developers. Right. Uh, we look forward to a better understanding of um, why information blocking does not benefit the patient, does not benefit the provider, and how to not, not have that be part of your business practices. Um, we look forward to seeing more communication happening about how EHR technology is working mm -hmm. so that we can improve it and so that developers and providers can work together to determine how to have that technology work best for them and the practice that they're in. Okay. Do we see more standards? Do we, I mean, do we see... I don't want to say more standards, because but do we see us trying to focus on a certain number of standards around, like, a, say, an API you know, interface mm -hmm. or Fire or something yeah. like that? And that's what we hope I to get from this. I am glad you asked that question. So, <laughs> in fact, what we um, have used in the past, in the 2015 edition, which we would be updating through this uh, proposed and eventually mm -hmm. final rule, um, that common clinical data set we're updating yep. with what we're calling the USCDI, new yep. acronym. Yep. Um, but that stands for U.S. Core Data for Interoperability. And it's a set of information that we think is critical for interoperability, so the set of information we really want to see move. Um, and that can be expanded and adjusted over time. But one thing you would note that's included in there is now clinical notes. So that's something we're saying we think is critical to move um, uh, as part of the interoperability spectrum. Uh, we are also identifying FHIR as the API standard that we think okay. makes most sense. And we look forward to continuing to work with the FHIR community. We look sure. forward to their comments on how what we seek to achieve and bring into place that Congress has asked us to do can be amplified or addressed through some of the FHIR resources. We even included an RFI in the rule, a uh, request for information, yep. I'll try to cut the yep. acronyms, yep. a request for information that focuses particularly on that, what version of FHIR uh, makes the most sense, um, as well as how things like the opioid epidemic can be addressed through some of the technology that's out there, including fire and fire four even. Sure, that's fantastic. So 
we think it will probably hit the Federal Register, do we know, in, in probably seven days from now, five days from now? We don't. Soon. soon. Uh, I think it will be coming up pretty soon. Um, right now, <laughs> it's in the Federal Register's hands, um, yep. and we're looking forward to publishing. Okay. Excellent. I truly, at least, I truly appreciate you joining the show. Absolutely. Thank My you. pleasure. Yeah. And, uh, See, we might have an extra. We have a minute more. If there's anything else that you want to touch on or you want to highlight. Um, I think the main thing that I would highlight <laughs> is please comment. Um, we always want to make sure that we're hearing from stakeholders. Yes. Um, it helps us to develop policy that works, not just for um, the folks that what we understand to be the situation, but what's really happening on the ground. And the best way for us to do that is to get the comments in. I would encourage folks to visit healthit.gov slash NPRN, mm -hmm. which has all the information. And when it publishes in the Federal Register, Sir, please do comment. We'll include a template on our website to make it easy for you to comment. Awesome. Also helps us to review the comments. Yes. Um, so that's a wonderful opportunity for you to engage. Comments can be 10 pages, 20 pages, or a paragraph. Yep. So there's a lot of flexibility in what you tell us and how you tell it to us. Yeah, and then also, again, tell tell you what you they like about the bill, the yes. regulation, proposed rule, I should say, and, and what they don't like. Absolutely. Yeah, comment on both sides of that, because I've, yes. I've seen that a lot. Yes, so, yes. Again, Elise, thank you so much. My Truly appreciate pleasure. your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank Have a great you. rest of your conference. Thanks. So thank you very much. Chris Fowler, COO of CPSI and President and CEO of TrueBridge. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Truly appreciate it. So first of all, before we dive into all the questions, um, what do you hope to accomplish over the next couple of days? What are your goals? You know, um, part of what we're trying to do here at HEMS is uh, figure out what the, the latest trends are, uh, making sure that from a product strategy standpoint that, that we've got our eye on the target and mm -hmm. that we're delivering for our customer base uh, exactly what we need to be from an industry standpoint. Okay. And so give us, we really can't do commercials, but I'd love 30 seconds. Cause I actually don't know TrueBridge, so I'd love to know more personally about TrueBridge. Okay, wonderful. So TrueBridge is a... Uh, closer to, yeah, go. Oh, there you go. Is a, uh, our services arm for CPSI. Uh, we focus on uh, uh, revenue cycle management, okay. uh, consulting, um, and, and a myriad of services. TrueBridge RCMs are a clearinghouse product platform. Uh, we have, um, we represent about... 36% uh, of CPSI's overall revenue uh, and, and have grown over the last 20 years focused primarily on, on finding areas uh, for our customer base where we can achieve an economy of scale and deliver uh, a, a service for them or a solution for them that they can't quite do themselves. Uh, and, and have been doing that for the last 20 years and, and continue to look for those opportunities where we can help them be successful and continue to focus on patient care. Excellent. You come from a great organization. I've known CPSI for 20 plus years. You guys are the greatest people. Everybody I've ever worked from your organization is really nice, really kind, and just great. Well, thank you for saying uh, that. We, uh, you know, one of the great things about uh, our company is you're also long-term employees. You all are long-term employees. That's exactly yeah. where I was going. I'm I'm one of the babies of the executive <laughs> team, and I've been there 19 years. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's awesome. So, going into some of the thought leader questions now, what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing uh, in the industry? So kind of going back towards the TrueBridge side and where we focus on services, one of the things that we're really seeing impact our customers um, and, and, and across the industry is the transition to high deductible plans. Yep. And so how our hospitals are managing that portion of the AR. What are you doing to make sure that where, where patients may have had a $15 copay and, and, and a small deductible, now that's a, a larger lift for the, for the patient. Yep. Uh, we're seeing that at our company, our, our healthcare prices, our costs are going up. So how are, how are our hospitals making sure that what used to be five, 7% of their cash collections now over 10%, how are they managing that 
and making sure that that money's not going out the door. That's fantastic. No, a very good point. So what are two or three best practices that you can offer my audience on how to successfully navigate that? So, you know, what we see is that typically patients want to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, it's mostly about education. So what can you do on the front end from being able to educate your patient about their health plan so that when the time comes, when they're going to mm-hmm. receive their bill, that there's not questions and there's not this feeling of, that there's a gotcha on the backside, right. that they understand that it's not the hospital, that it's their insurance, and it's just the change in the industry. And, you know, as we continue to see healthcare become a little more portable, a little more customer driven, um, which wasn't the case 20 years ago, and it wasn't the case five years ago. Right. You know, you, you go into the hospital and you get a hundred test run, and and now you know that that was all covered under your copay. Now there's an individual deductible for each one of those, and so making sure that that patient's aware of exactly what their plan is, so that they understand the financial applications or ramifications that are going to come out of that. That's fantastic. So, thinking out, um, and actually that just the thing about the um, high deductible health plans and navigating that certainly from the revenue cycle management side uh, is very key so I, I mean that's spot on something I've been working on for a couple of years personally as well so I love it thinking out though ahead because um, HIMSS is a lot about the here and now and what we're trying to navigate in 19 and 20 but thinking out to 2022 what do you think what do you see either within your customer base or even in the industry that we should tell people to keep your eye on that this is going to be a growing burgeoning area something to navigate so it kind of dovetails along the along the back of the, the high deductible plan and that the, the patient's responsibility is going to continue to grow more and more in healthcare. Yes, very true. At the end of the day, over the last five, seven years since meaningful use, all development has been so focused around provider engagement, provider adoption, where now we, we see that shift moving much towards the patient. So there's patient education, there is how do we devise technology and how do we develop technology to make it to where the patient can be more engaged and more a part of their process and to where that experience fits for them. So, So focusing on, you know, and there's a lot of buzzwords you can throw out Mm -hmm. there, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's transitioning from treating sick people to treating well people. Mm -hmm. So, and, and how do you do that? You don't do that in the hospital. So you leverage technology, you leverage your iPhone, you leverage your, your Apple watch. And it's not a Steve Jobs commercial, but, but all technologies that you can, that, that are portable now that, that, that we're seeing out there and being used. How do we, how do we get patients to be more engaged in their healthcare and, 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 and make sure that they're committed to the well-being of the of themselves and also of the institution. That's fantastic. I love it. I agree. Um, what do you so specifically? What steps are you guys taking to navigate that at CPSI and at TrueBridge? So a few years ago, we <clears throat> we started our uh, along with Caravan Health, we initiated our own ACO. Uh, which, oh, which, I didn't know that. Yeah, we have um, 30, 30 plus hospitals that are actually a part of that now. Which, you know, in the in for the, the CPSI employees. For, no, no, sorry, oh, for okay. our customers. So oh, we gotcha. have thirty. Okay. We have thirty three hospitals okay. that participate in an ACO. Okay. Uh, or in ACOs yep. that, that yep. we we deliver along yep. with Caravan Health. Excellent. So that okay. was our first step, and and we're in the process now of figuring out how we deliver or how we help. Um, deliver chronic care management for our hospitals. So bringing that in, not just as software uh, and not as some consultancy, but as yep. a white glove service to where we're actually providing that for them. They can continue to stay focused on the things that they need to, and we can help um, migrate their patients more towards this healthy environment that we're looking to create. 
That's fantastic. Chris, I truly appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. Great job. Who's that, Howard Burt? Is that my next I'll guest? take that. <laughs> I won't argue for a moment. There you go. Have a seat, my friend. We'll talk some fun best practices, strategies. We're live on air right now. Howard Bird from Bird Health Law. Um, but I have to give you some big props, not just that you're an amazing lawyer. However, you are the per- you're the, this is the brainchild of you. The Hymns Radio is you calling me saying, hey, we are doing the Venture Pluses in 2015. You said, Justin, we're doing the Venture Plus Forum, and we want, can you think about, you think about bringing your radio show to, to Chicago and broadcast live? And Lee and I, yes. I mean, Stone and I. Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, and Stone and I went out there, and that was my very first broadcast live for two hours. We're talking about it this morning. You'd have never known it. You did a fantastic <laughs> job, but I know your secret. You have great guests. Exactly. It makes it easier. And, and people were fighting to get on the radio with you. <laughs> I mean, that was really the amazing part. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, not that I should be amazed. No, but, no it's, I, um, hey, I'm blessed. I, I, I'm very fortunate, hey. but that was, that was a lot of fun. So yeah. thank you for that great idea, by the way. Well, I mean... <laughs> It was your idea to have the radio show. It was simply, you know. Actually, it was Roberta uh, Mullen. I want to give Roberta. So she pitched it to me after my last company. She pitched, um, hey, we want you to, we want to give you actually a radio show. And then a couple of people stepped up to help underwrite it. And um, it was an amazing opportunity. So that is my idea. I'm not that smart. I just get up here and just talk. (laughs) You've done (laughs) well. But you guys always give me the great things. And and Puri, who's coming up next, um, you guys give me great ideas um, and having great guests make it great. And I dressed up for the radio. So (laughs) they're really good about it. Amen. Um, uh, but no, but seriously, you, uh, this was your idea back in 2015 to do the, to come to hymns and, and broadcast live and, and we did it. And now it's, you know, now I got the biggest lineup of, of the conference. And so I just, I fear very blessed part of it and, and thankful. And I want to make sure I give you proper props, but yeah. you are also our attorney mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Um, Blank Rome, right? You were with Blank Rome at the time. Many, many years many ago. Many moons yes. ago. Many, many yes, years yes, ago. Yes, 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 yes. And that's how I first met you. Uh, sorry, I take my ginkgo biloba, so I remember all those crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. um, I truly appreciate your partnership. I'm looking very forward to your dinner on Wednesday evening. Um, do we have a location? Oh, we probably should say that live on air. What? The Our dinner? Lo- I'm yeah. not, we're not going to say where it is. <laughs> Because I'm not always, buying for everybody. Exactly, but it's uh, great. We actually have 30,000 people listening right now. Yes. But anyhow, um, let's dive into some of them. Um, okay. Actually, before we dive into the trends that uh, we want to talk about, okay. what do you hope to get out of hymns over the next couple of days? I always love, you've been going to hymns for a very long time like me. I love to hear your ideas and your thoughts. So. It's, and this may sound odd, uh, especially for somebody who's talking on the radio. <laughs> um, I come here to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh Mm. And what I leave with is different perspectives on either things that I'm doing or things I'm thinking about. And I think some of that will be re- uh, reflected today yep. um, yeah. and, in this conversation, yeah, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's next. It, you, know, I, you work effectively on your own platform, so yeah. do I. Yep. And even working with clients you don't often get the range of perspectives and frankly even those lawyers accountants consultants Very who true. work in big organizations don't get the value of uh, multiple and and extensive opinions yes and this is an opportunity to listen yep which of course makes terrible radio 
but you know, <laughs> well, we'll, well go it makes for radio for them, yes. not for us. Right. right, exactly. Um, now, having so. it, that's a, that's a common theme when I ask that question is just the the collaboration we get to learn because we go back and we, we're kind of we're leaders in our communities and and but we come here and everybody here a lot of us are leaders here and we learn from each other and oh, which is awesome we go here to get it you know we become you know sharper here steel sharp and steel and so we come here and, and we get to collaborate and learn um and i agree i listen as much as possible um i talk too much way too much but i actually don't right, have you're to. on the radio you have correct to. correct but right. i actually talk only probably one or ten percent of the time my guests talk nine percent of the time and so okay. i'm always learning people say Actually, i drop my notes here oh please get your notes there we go but people say why do you I do was, the radio show i'm like well because it's free it's free consulting i get i get to learn all this stuff from all my guests it's amazing it's like an mba program yeah, every single that? week <laughs> <laughs> so you know about you know what um you, you have three children in ivy league schools correct so you know uh, no no the cost of education? Um, one is at duke and one is uh, at penn and you've one always will- told me duke was ivy league you've told me that all the way along no, it's not in the Ivy League. It's in the ACC. You're <laughs> no, in Atlanta. You I'm know that. Kidding. No, I know uh, you're a Duke guy, though, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I figured uh, I was joking. So, but so uh, tell me about what healthcare, health IT trends do you see in the industry or that you're navigating? Well, I think that, and, and part of this is getting the perspective that we gain here, but I would focus on the development of communities or the accessing and use of communities Mm -hmm. we can bring down healthcare costs and improve healthcare quality by focusing on existing relationships existing communities now i know this sounds a lot like managed care well you know it is when you define a community Mm -hmm. and define the benefits you can control the costs and increase the quality. Yeah. That's not a secret. Right. The fact that it became roundly condemned because it was often very badly done. Correct. Um, the idea was good. The implementation was terrible in some ways. And, yeah. and, and bad enough by enough people that yeah. we ended up losing it. Yep. But if you look at Hip Nation yep. or Activate Healthcare, or even what's going on with Amazon Berkshire Hathaway, yeah, for sure. where they're taking a captive population of 1.3 million or so That's lives right. yeah. and offering discrete benefits. Yeah. They're right. going to reduce costs, and because they have by the 30%. Market, yeah, yeah, by 30%. Yeah. And they can demand better quality. They can use yep. metrics to increase the quality. So I think that's, if there's one thing to take out of this, and if I were starting a company, I'd say, focus on how to serve those markets. <laughs> okay, man, yes. Um, you know, that's one thing. The other, and, and this got a great deal of attention at the end, the fourth quarter of 2018. But it's a persistent issue, and that's security. Mm-hmm. I talk to yes. investors about this. I talk to uh, my clients that are solution providers Follow the guidance from HHS. Right. It doesn't make you safe, but it makes the investment safer. Yep. Nobody is really safe. You know, at least Sweeney Anthony was my guest right before you from ONC HHS. That's uh, who was right in that seat. Oh, oh no, Chris no, Fowler no, was right before was you, right? Before me. Yeah, but yeah. at least was right before that. So you're, you're preaching. I mean, it's, it's great. just I love it. You know, you cannot. I cannot tell you how <clears> disruptive <throat> it is. Right. When an intrusion occurs, and yes. it doesn't matter whose fault it That's is, right. it does or not. if it's nobody's fault. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I, I will also tell you that almost no investors that I speak with 
do anything except take it for granted instead of exploring it on the front end. And that, I think, is a mistake, but it's yep. not my money. Right. Nope. Agree. So what are two or three best practices that you can offer to, success, to successfully navigate those trends or strategies that you just mentioned? Well, I think the first is to focus on not necessarily, there's a lot of noise and a lot of publication out mm -hmm. there. What is the underlying theory behind, for example, uh, the provision of uh, employer or union-based care or the Amazon Berkshire Hathaway? Yep. I mean, we can talk about it, but we haven't, nobody's talking about it in terms of defined and captive populations and right. defined and captive benefits, yeah, which I, is all they are. Yeah, it's very true. And yeah. if you look at that, then, oh, all right, what aspects of that business become important? Do, for example, communication solutions become really important in that aspect? Mm. Right? And I'm not sure they do, but just about every one of those kinds of providers yep. has a communication system. Yes. Whether it's Twine or LifeWire, which the VA uses. Yeah, yeah or any of the innumerable others. Yeah. Twine, by the way, was bought by Fitbit. Um, so they're out there. Who serves those populations and serves them well? And by the way, while we don't like to look at it this way for political reasons, neither Republican nor Democrat, mm -hmm. but the fact is association health plans, if you call them something else, are nothing more or less than just what we're talking about. Correct defined existing populations, you're actually serving people where they live yep. with their self-selected groups. Yep. And so I think that's something that we should look at. That's a real future. That's excellent. So. I agree. No, that's fantastic. Uh -huh. um, no, and actually I'm, I'm navigating association health plans pretty significantly now just because that's... I know, I was yeah. giving you props. <laughs> I happen to believe it. Yes, yeah, yeah. awesome. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. So now thinking uh, beyond, HIMSS is about the here and now, what's happening in 2019, what's happening in 2020, but think about 2022. You know, what, what should we keep our eye on from your perspective, um, either that you are or you said that we should keep our eye on and think, think about innovation, technology, policy, where, the health, where health's going to be, healthcare's going to be. What are you thinking there? 2022 is both a lot further and a lot closer than exactly. we think. I was going to think I was the same thing. Um, <laughs> so true. And, and the thing to focus on any, any date that distant is focus on fundamentals. Yep. How is care provided? Yeah. Yes. How is it paid for? If you're looking at, for something that is growing now and will be out there then, look at the things I've talked about. Yes. And also look at transportation. Because mm. if you examine the provision of care and the provision of services to underserved populations, the big issue is Excellent. often not yeah. access to, is not yeah. The availability of care, right. it's the access That's of right. care, yeah. which is why you get They have an appointment. Health. They just can't get there to that, That's meet, right. uh, to that appointment, yeah. That's yeah. right. And it's no longer ambulances serving them. Yeah, correct. Uh, so uh, managed care plans such as AmeriHealth Caritas mm -hmm. uh, and Centene and others have contracts just to get their members from one place to care, which again goes to the question of, well, gee, why aren't they part of an association or other group so they right. can get the care where they are? That's right. But another set of circumstances yeah. that uh, probably are outside the realm of healthcare. 
That's excellent. So as we wrap up here, what are you, um, what are you, what are you looking forward to the next uh, day or two? Anything specific other than the big dinner that we have tomorrow night? Other than dinner. <laughs> dinner with Justin once a year, uh, which is, you know. That's great. That's great. And and, and eight you. of our closest friends, Amen, which yes. is always, always great. A lot of fun. Um, what are you looking forward to? Yeah. Well, the venture program tomorrow. Oh, that's um, right. Yes. And, uh, uh, and that's great, not just because there are terrific uh, panels, which there are. Uh, we have eight uh, well-vetted, uh, curated companies presenting. And we've, the number has changed over the years. It's gone from 20 down to four, back up to eight. I would always prefer more, but mm-hmm. you see really terrific companies that have learned how to present, that have interesting new solutions, and I think that's great. Yep. The other thing I'm gonna be looking for is more on the services side, because the technology is great, but technologies have to serve services yes. in order to get to the patients. Yep. Yep. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. I love it, I love it. How, many, um, how big is tomorrow? Uh, how many investors do you have, or entrepreneurs and all that in the room? Uh, well, ever, I have right? to stand up now. You're getting rid of me. Okay. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> My next guest right here. <laughs> right. Um, and this is another wonderful thing. We started this. This is the 14th year of the venture program. Yeah. The first 14th. year, wow. we had 60 people in the room, including the presenting companies. This year, they capped it with after extending it at 725. Wow. So the program has really grown. The people from Health 2.0 do a spectacular job with it. Yeah. I mean, remember, this was something I would do in my spare time, and now they have a whole professional staff, <laughs> right. which is wonderful because yeah. any one of them is more competent at it <laughs> no, than no. I was no. um, in my spare time, and, and they're really terrific, and I, I'm pleased to remain a part of it. Yeah, it's a great program. Howard, thank you, Justin. Howard Bird, thank you very much, my friend. Take we'll see now. you shortly. Appreciate it. Puneet Sony, CEO and co-founder of Suki. I've heard a lot of great things about your company. So before we dive into the thought leader questions, give me 60 seconds on your company, please. Of course. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thank it's you. A pleasure to be here. Um, uh, so my name is Puneet Soni. As you said, uh, my company is called Suki. Uh, we are uh, voice-based digital assistants for doctors. Uh, you know, think of it as like an Alexa or a Siri for doctors. You mm-hmm. can use us to basically do your digital documentation today. But over time, you'll be able to do all sorts of healthcare tasks using us. So what are three tasks that you can do with Suki with your EHR? You know, or the, the main ones. Though. Yeah, the f- the fundamental thing here is that that doctor burnout is a, a, a public health crisis. Sixty-one percent of doctors. Y- you got it. Experience and burnout. Yes. It's a it's a the biggest public health crisis yes. that nobody knows about. Yes, I agree. And uh, and these these folks are burning out because they're spending time clicking and checking boxes when they should be doing what they love, which is taking care of patients. Um, so things that you can do, you can actually walk into the room and say, I have a digital assistant whose job is to make sure your care is taken care of. And then you say things like, hey, Suki, um, add to history, it's a 67-year-old who's got hyperkalemia. Or Suki, um, prescribe doxycycline X milligrams over Y weeks. Or Suki, make sure that this person comes back for a follow-up visit. And Suki will take all of that, create a document, push it into the right place, into the EMR, and you're done. You know, the, Love these it. Are the kind of things you can do cool fantastic very cool innovation so what I'm sure building on that a little bit what what healthcare health IT trends are you seeing in in the industry today 
I think that there is a there are two trends that are worth talking about, and that actually are the genesis of a company like Suki. First of all, we are a small forty people startup in San Francisco. Um, Which city are you on? Uh, Where are you exactly? <laughs> we are in Redwood City. Okay, so cool. about oh, about, like, Alto. about uh, thirty-five yeah. minutes away from yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. Um, the the there are two things that are important here. First. I think we have finally gotten to a place where the underlying voice and machine learning platforms have become so commoditized that you can actually use a Google speech API or a Amazon's uh, medical ASR and then use that to build the full-fledged product. In you know, I used to run mobile apps at Google, and before that, I, and after that, I was running software at Motorola. When you have to build a speech recognition system, it takes yeah. four to five years to right. do that. Yeah. Now, you know, in when you're using something like a, a, a Suki, we can actually just build on top of Google, and in nine months flat, I have a product that's working. So that's trend number one, which is commoditization of machine learning and voice. Excellent. The second trend that's important is that. Hitherto, healthcare tech has always been built by either doctors who believe that they know everything and hey, here's an IT guy and put it together and you have a product that actually serves a need but is really bad. Right. Or you have arrogant um, IT people who think they can solve healthcare but don't have clinical expertise, <laughs> right? right? Yes. Um, I think the trend is of having people uh, from healthcare clinicians and technologists together, working together to actually solve these problems. And so I think that actually is going to be a big reason why companies like Suki will, will hopefully make a dent. No, that's fantastic, and I love it because I think I'm thinking of even how to solve some of the. I have an, I have an investment that I love, and but one of the areas is customer service. Um, it's in healthcare, but I'm trying to pull people out from outside of healthcare, right. like Ritz Carlton or right. Disney, to teach us what customer service truly is. Right. And so I think you're saying similar things where you're marrying up the right people from the right industries to really help us fly. It, it, it's super important. This is not going to be built out of some garage in Palo Alto. It's right. going to be built when clinicians across the country decide to actually cooperate with us and work with us. Now, you know, there's a long way to go still. I think some of the tasks that you talk about are important, but what really is important is that you want to get to a world where the doctor walks in and says, Suki, yeah. pay attention. Yeah. And have a wonderful conversation with the patient and then he looks back and you have the entire note done, orders ready, yeah. everything is done. The grunge work and the mundane work of healthcare needs to be taken away from the doctor. Yeah. No, you know? that's excellent. So what are two or three best practices that you can share to help to successfully navigate those trends? I think that the, the as I mentioned, I think there's a couple of things to think about. First of all, uh, internalize who your user is. I think this is true for almost every startup. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I can come here and I can get on a podium and talk about I'm building an EMR or I'm building a patient, uh, you know, care system or I'm building a care coordination system. Actually, what's important is not that. What's important is who is your end user. Right. In our case, yeah. every single pixel in this company is in service of the doctor. Right. So when the doctor actually uses us, we spend time trying to see how do we actually make a dent in their lives? How do we actually make it such that they can actually be more efficient and more productive and happier? Yeah. So the first best practice I will say, yeah. regardless of whether healthcare Excellent. or not, yes. is make sure you know who oh, your yeah. user is, That's right? right? That's one. Yeah. Second, I think that it's very important not to like build everything, but assemble with all the technologies that there are in the market. You don't have to spend a lot of time actually just putting together pieces and, and just building all of this and saying it's all homegrown. There's a lot of really good technologies and companies out there. That the question is, can you put together a service that somebody likes? And so I think focusing on the service is actually a very important thing. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I will say that once you actually have both of these things, spend time internalizing how does the user actually use the product? What kind of things do they think about? What feedback are they giving us? Um, and then actually make that a part of your product development cycle. I think in a small startup, this is true. Okay. I think in a large company, people sometimes forget about it because it's a big business and right. there's a lot of feedback coming and some of it may not be good. No, that's fantastic. You know. um, 
we spent a lot of time here talking about the here and now with with hymns was happening in 2019 2020 what do you think what we should be thinking about in three years from now in 2022 that's going to be coming at us that we haven't maybe thought of yet or that we're focusing on you know i will i'll be a little candid and perhaps even a little bit uh, provocative here mm -hmm. i was standing around at the bookstore outside and i was looking at books there were books there and there were lean systems and how do you finance the healthcare system and all of these other kind of books my experience in healthcare is all of 18 months. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all. Right. You, everyone here is way b bigger an expert. For looking in from outside, the Which question- I love that perspective. I want that perspective. Yeah, I think looking yeah. in from outside, mm -hmm. all I can tell you is, I think it's very complex and it's become very complicated. And I don't know if it all needs to be that complicated. Right. And I think that we the <laughs> only way you're going to disrupt this system is not by just building on top and bolting on top of all the existing things. Yeah. You will actually have to come up with a fundamentally new insight on what you want to solve and a fundamentally new technology. And it may take time. It may be five years or 10 years or 15 years, but I think we're going to, have to rethink the entire health stack. And so to me, I think the thing that we have to keep in mind is something like voice is coming. Artificial technologies, inter intelligence technologies are actually in our horizon. Mm -hmm. These things will actually start showing up in various systems. Some people use it in, in clinical decision support and yep. other places. I think personally that documentation is the right place to start. The reason, 80 to 90% of all data created in healthcare is created by the doctor. Right. So when you get that in a structured format, you can actually solve a lot of interesting problems in healthcare. So from, from my perspective, I think everyone here needs to cooperate with each other a lot more. Yes. I think we spend a lot of time building walls and actually creating our pseudo small monopolies and making some money. But For if sure. you can actually get together and interoperate a lot better, right. companies like us have a chance and perhaps your companies will actually yep. be 10 times yep. bigger too. Yep. Yep. So, no, I agree. So that's, I don't know if that's actually what everybody talks about. From my perspective as a small startup, that's actually the most important thing we need to do. Well, no, I think it's, I think you're spot on. I mean, that's exactly, like I said, one of my healthcare companies, I'm trying to take the customer service strategies from outside healthcare because I actually, not to put down healthcare, but I actually don't want <laughs> internal healthcare strategies from customer service standpoint. I want the Ritz-Carlton customer service strategies. I want the Disney customer service strategies. They're the best in the world at what they do in customer service and customer satisfaction and bring it into healthcare, rethinking healthcare, to be honest. And so you I, know, I completely agree. People, people aren't bad, right? People right. are good people. Exactly. Everybody here is actually trying to do everything they can. Yeah. We just get beaten down and bogged down into these systems. My yeah. company is 20 months in. Yeah. We have a long way to go. I, I, I can start to see signs of like, you need to actually work this way, otherwise you can't make a headway. I think that's fundamentally wrong. And I right. think we need to figure out a way to actually incentivize companies to think provocatively so that we can change this system. Well, I think, have you, do you know Anish Chopra? Yeah, you yeah, know Anise, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Anise was here earlier, and yeah. he thinks just like that. I mean, yes. he's break down all the barriers, open up, you know, everything, open the data, let it flow, get the APIs flowing, get fire moving. Um, but to your point, I mean, three guests ago was Elise Sweeney Anthony who talked about the new uh, rule that they yes. published yesterday yes. um, on interoperability and information blocking, and, and obviously APIs is a significant piece of that. So that yes. benefit you. So I think the the right people are looking in the right direction and pushing this in the right direction. I, I used to run the mobile apps group at Google and I, you know, my team built the first versions of everything you have on your phone from Gmail, Docs, Chat, YouTube, etc. Yeah. We are tremendously more successful. We went from a $10 million ARR to a billion dollar ARR company because we had Android and we had an open system that people could build on. I think a lot of the EMR systems and healthcare systems here have a huge opportunity to actually open it up in a thoughtful, highly yep. secure way yes, and yes, give yes. people that access. There's a long way to go before we get there, but I hope we can get there. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, Puneet, I appreciate your time. Of Thank course. you very much. Excellent. You're a great guest. Welcome to the show. We'll have you back for sure. Thank you so much. Thank Take you, care. my friend. You got it.
are you, my well, first of all, how are you, my friend? Great right. to see you. Awesome. I apologize. For no, no, you're actually right on time. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And we are live on air. All right. So, um, but I was just bragging on you because I was going to hand it over to Jamie and to Evelyn. I'm like, oh, oh if he's oh, not here. Wow. Well, but then, they can do a better job than no, I can. No, no, no. I'm like, you know how many times Jeff has saved me? I say, hey, can you give the full <laughs> legislative background and regulatory background in four minutes? And you can do it. And okay. you do it every time. All right. But now we have nine minutes. Okay. So you all have right. like, this is the most time I've ever yeah. given you ever. All right. Um, but first of all, how are you? I'm all right. It's great to see you. Good to see you. And I'll see the think tank tomorrow morning. Yes. 820-ish? 815-ish? 815-820. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Um, and actually, we did get a good update. At least uh, Sweeney Todd stopped oh, by. Okay. Um, so awesome. we got we got the new immigration blocking rule. Okay. But I would love your perspective on some of the key regulations uh, that you're tracking right now for okay. HIMS sure. and for our industry. Um, yeah. So um, legislative I, I and regulation. It, yeah. In addition to uh, the the ONC rule on information yep. blocking, I'm yep. glad you already covered that. Yep. But um, I think CMS had an accompanying rule to yes. that. So. There were several pieces of that that I think are very relevant, and Seema Verma talked about it today yep. in, um, uh, during the keynote session, keynote, yeah. and that focuses really on patient empowerment and, yeah. and how to get patients more um, engaged, get patients more information so they can control uh, the, you know, what providers get their information and so on. So those are, I think, major issues that, um, uh, that we're, we're looking closely at at HIMSS, trying to figure out how to um, how to comment on these rules and and uh, and come up with with something that is, um, you know, kind of a cohesive strategy. Uh, since I think there's a lot of synergies between what ONC and and CMS proposed in their rules, so it's um, it, it's an interesting, um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of interesting ideas and about how again uh, how the patient is at the center of care and how uh, patients um, really c- should control their own information and, and be the, the stewards of that information yes. and share it with whomever they want. So, you know, some of the things that were in the CMS rule, um, you know, really quickly were, yep. uh, since I have nine minutes, um, uh, that were in the CMS rule, <laughs> were uh, a couple provisions related to conditions of participation and saying that um, uh, providers that um, have Medicare or are participating in the Medicare or Medicaid program have to share information yes. with their provider, uh, yeah. with their patients, excuse yeah. me. So um, that is going to be a big issue that I think a lot of people are looking at closely. Um, conditions of participation is one of those uh, third rail of politics mm-hmm. type, uh, type issues. So <laughs> things that folks don't want to touch, don't want to talk about. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see where um, organizations come out about that. So yeah. that's something that we're looking closely at. Um, you know, and other other things. Uh, recently, we commented on um, uh, a uh, strategy report that the um, Department of Health and Human Services put out. Um, both it was a CMS ONC collaboration on clinician burden um, and how to ease clinician burden and, and make sure that the um, the rules that are in place, the processes that are in place uh, from the government, whether they're quality reporting or whether they're um, other. Um, uh, you know, other requirements that the government places on providers, um, uh, uh, whether those should be changed. So that's something that we, that we commented on. 200-something other groups commented on it as well. So I think that that could be some regulatory action on, on that in the future. Um, CMS and ONC are, are, are looking for ways to ensure that they're not requiring too much of clinicians and clinicians have time to more face time with their patients. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something that uh, we're looking closely at. Let me ask at. you a quick question. Um, on the consumer side, have you seen your HIMSS world expand? Because now you're, you're covering more ground than just specifically EHR vendors or health IT protocols or, or regulation that's just affecting us as vendors or when I was a vendor. Um, 
how has your hymns world expanded, or your, or the the, the discussion? Yeah. How's right. it expanded or changed? Yeah, I think that the uh, community in general has pivoted between mm-hmm. um, focused on on EHRs, and I think the infrastructure has been built up. Yep. Um, obviously, the high tech program, the EHR incentive program, helped build up the infrastructure of EHRs and provider organizations. Um, and now I think folk, folks are, are figuring out how to best use that, um, uh, you know, that infrastructure, best yep. use um, uh, all of the things that were created um, from, from the High Tech Act mm-hmm. and as a result of, uh, of kind of that, that investment that okay. was made. So, you know, HIMSS has really changed our um, focus to be more focused on kind of transforming healthcare. You know, we, we're focused not on, on the technology, um, uh, specifically anymore. Yep. We're focused on information and technology and right. about how that enables healthcare transformation. So that's mm-hmm. um, that's kind of our sweet spot um, okay. where, where we're focused. So um, it's it's broader. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, when we talk about, um, um, you know, the Googles of the world and um, and uh, other, other companies that are out there working on fire, working on APIs and so on, that's kind of the, the next phase, I think, of, of development that, uh, that folks are, are really looking at and trying to figure out how, uh, how, best, to, um, uh, you know, how best to enable um, yep. uh, that kind of, those pieces as part of transformation. Sure. What are we looking out? We obviously just got this new information blocking rule, proposed rule. What do you see coming down the latter half of the year? Is there anything else coming on legislatively? Well, I don't, <laughs> legislatively could be a different question. Yeah. Regu- regu- Regulatory-wise, uh, maybe a legis- I don't know of anything legislatively occurring, but you, you would know. So right. yeah, legislative or regulatory-wise. Yeah, so I think that um, uh, one of the things that actually uh, public comments are due today is on um, a, 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 um, uh, a request for information related to HIPAA. And any possible change, regulatory changes to HIPAA. So, um, the Office of Civil Rights and other parts of HHS have yep. worked on kind of three different pieces to how best to coordinate care. One of the obstacles to coordinating care. So they looked at the physician self-referral rule. Um, they looked at uh, physician anti-kickback statute, and then they're also looking at HIPAA. Okay. So I think that that's kind of from the administrative uh, administration side. Um, and also, I would say that folks at Congress are looking at, at health privacy and where that fits in. And I think that Congress is uh, probably poised, um, you know, within the next, um, uh, w- within this Congress to, I think, have a, a, a more robust debate about privacy and, uh, and where, um, where the rights of, of uh, consumers should really, uh, you know, be facilitated by by the government and I thought you were protected say by the next government administration I'm like whoa what do you what do you right, what are you projecting right. no, here no no no, no. Within, <laughs> within this congress within this congress so um, that okay. uh, that's something i think that's high on a lot of folks agenda obviously the new um, with new leadership in the house yep. i think they're they're still uh, in the process of figuring out what what exactly their priorities are but i think hipaa and, and privacy in general is yep. going to be something that they're they're talking about what about is there anything we have about a minute left. Bipartisan <laughs> that you see going, hey, I think this is going to get through. Like the Cures Act was pretty bipartisan. There's several things we've done on the healthcare side that was extremely bipartisan, which is saying a lot actually in right. Congress. Right. So, is there anything that you see going, yeah, Justin, I think this is going to be bipartisan. This, there's a lot of support on both sides for this. Yeah, I think that um, uh, uh, things that are related to uh, the opioid crisis. I there think you that go. there are some yeah. some parts of uh, the opioid crisis that were addressed yep. um, in the Support Act that, that passed um, and was enacted in the, in the fall. 
Uh, but I think that there are things um, uh, having to do with, especially with alignment between HIPAA and between the 42 CFR Part 2 regulations and, and the privacy around patient records. Um, as patients' uh, substance abuse-related records and, yep. and sharing of that information. I think that that is kind of a, probably a bipartisan issue that a lot of different organizations are talking about. So um, I, I think that's high on, on a lot of folks' agenda in, in Congress as well. That makes sense, and it's a, it's a national epidemic. So right. I'm glad, and I, I certainly see the support. Jeff, my friend, I truly appreciate you. So, um, and you joining the show, we'll see you in the morning. Anything else? What are you doing tonight? What do you, uh, what do you hope to achieve here? Yeah, no, I, well, now that I'm in the exhibit hall, I want to walk around a little bit and see um, what uh, folks are talking about here, since yeah. I think it's a, a slightly different atmosphere than, uh, than in the education <laughs> session. So It um, is. Yeah, but awesome. it's great. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Always, and, uh, my friend. I'll we'll yeah. see you tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Thank man. you, Justin. Thank you, Jeff. So first of all, Dr. Jamie Skipper. Yeah. So hi. you are obviously a longtime friend yes. from Capitol Hill. Absolutely. Um, and you are the CEO of Evolu Evolution. Elevation. Health, Elevation Health Strategies. Sorry. Yes. It's right here. And Elevation then your former senior. Did I get this title right? Former senior scientist at ONC. Yeah. It works. Good enough. Okay. And yeah. then you're also senior scientist for EMI Advisors. Yes. Okay. Good. I am their chief scientist. We play. Chief scientist. That's what yeah. it was. Yes. yes. Chief. Okay. Yeah. I love that title. Chief <laughs> Scientist. I kind of like that. That's great. And then Evelyn Gallego from yes. You Are the CEO of EMI Advisors. Correct. But then also, yeah. I love the title. Switch it over one more. Switch it to her title up there. Switch the slides. Where did, um, so uh, HS Interoperable Care Planning and Social Determinants of Health Lead. I like that one more. <laughs> so what's really cool, first of all, welcome to the show. Your first time on the show. Thank you very much. Yes, for, thanks for having yeah. me. For being here. Mm -hmm. But literally... Um, Five guests, including one of, uh, I talked to Karen DeSalvo Friday, I think it was, and she brought up this space very heavily that she's also um, very engaged in. And then literally five guests from the stage today brought up um, social determinants of health. And I'm like, I've got Evelyn Gallego coming up <laughs> later on at 440. So I think, yeah, 440 is perfect. Yes. Okay. So I was very excited to have you here. Excellent. So, excellent. Lots awesome. to talk about. So we'll start off with you, Jamie, though, because we have a nice, we yeah. actually have a 20 minute segment, so we have a little bit of extra time. Absolutely. But I would love for you to give a little bit of background, obviously, on what you're doing now, um, and then obviously introduce why Evelyn was such a great guest for you, because actually it was your relationship that you brought Evelyn on. So I'd love for you to talk about that for a moment. Sure, too. yeah. I guess for me, it's going to be a bit of a shameless plug in terms of what Elevation is all about. Cool. Please. And then I'll, I'll touch on why. Well, the reason why I don't mind is you, have, Jamie, you are so amazing. For all the think tanks, you've been so great and supportive and so helpful. And she like helps the glue to keep it together for everything that we do. Yeah. So by Absolutely. all means, shameless plug away. So. Well, on top of like, on top of talking about ele uh, elevation, it's kind of cool to talk about why Evelyn is mm -hmm. here. Not only because she's you know leading a lot of the SDOH, the social determinants of data work. Uh, but our partnership has been really tremendous and it's almost a lesson in how um, government regulations work in that um, so Elevation is a commercial facing uh, consulting company working with uh, commercial health, uh, health IT developers um, and what we're doing is we're working with folks to help them align their business models and their product designs to the regulatory landscape. Um, our partnership our partnership with EMI allows us to be really in tune with what's going on uh, in the government sector so that we can then bring that to our commercial clients. What's cool in the reciprocal and the hat that I wear 
at EMI is that a lot of times I, I was a government, you know, a, a govy myself. Yes, so sure. it's really important to understand what's happening in the commercial space because you want the regula regulations to, to fit what their needs are. And so, you know, that partnership between us allows Elevation to bring that expertise to what EMI is doing with, with the government sector. That's excellent. So. Talk a little bit about, now you're helping, and actually this is a brilliant strategy because actually I, I do a little bit of this on my own, but you, you're helping some private equity funds and, and firms like that understand the importance of policy, how to engage it, and just be respectful of it, and then also succeed with it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times, um, you know, folks that are coming into the health tech space, there's a lot of folks that come directly from the tech space. And they think, well, we can really make technology do anything. And we talk about this in policy all the time. You know, a lot of the times when we want to have data flow in one way or another, it's not a technology problem, mm -hmm. right? It's, right? It's a lot of times, it's a lot of times, it's a culture problem, it's a policy problem. And so when folks are trying to design their tech, and they don't understand what the regulatory framework is, then they either create tech that doesn't meet the needs or they create tech that doesn't set them up to create the right revenue streams that keep them successful. And we're here to help them with that. To, by, by making sure that it aligns with what the regulations are as well as what's emerging. Fantastic, no, I love it. And I, it's, it was something that I've done throughout my, you know, 20 years um, in health IT is being able to, you know, navigate successfully navigate regulation or create regulation where we needed it with, with benefit, you know, benefit of the industry and certainly care providers, but then also um, how to implement it successfully and then kind of do kind of the full service and the life cycle of it. And then how do we make it better? You know, I remember yeah. doing what do we um, regulatory, regulatory corrections, but there's actually a term when you have to fix a regulation. Um, you come back and work with HHS to, to, to correct, or work with the regulator to correct it, but I forget the exact term, but anyhow, yeah. the full, full life cycle of, po of policy. Yeah, there, and there is a life cycle, and I think folks don't, on the, you know, on the entrepreneurial side, don't always understand that cycle, especially even now. It's really important for folks to know that what ONC and CMS dropped yesterday mm -hmm. are NPRMs, which right. means they are draft rules. Right. And a lot of folks are freaking out, and they shouldn't yet. Right. <laughs> it tells you where we're going, yep. but they're not the final rules. Right. Yeah. And actually, at least Sweeney Anthony was on the show at 3.50 today talking yes. about the new rule. Excellent. So it was awesome, and she did yeah. a great job. I never met her before, but she was fantastic. She's great. She, yeah, she described it in a very simple fashion, and they, the new infographic they published was pretty cool because I didn't have time to read the rule before I came on air, but I did go through the infographic. So <laughs> I'm very happy. Um, but introduce Evelyn and why you feel Evelyn was such a great guest for today's show. So, as you said before, everyone is talking about social determinants, social determinants of health uh, data, and and what's really key about that is that for me personally, you know, I've always wanted to see folks look at the full picture of the patient, not just snippets of when they are coming to the physician yep. once or twice a year. You know, that's not that's just a tiny fraction of what's happening to that patient. So if you really want to, and my, my my hat has always been patient outcomes, and I've been a nerd on the research side, right? And you've known that. And so you can't really understand the whole picture of the patient unless you start bringing in this SDOH data. And so now that Evelyn is really kind of having the opportunity to lead that sphere, she's had a passion for this 
for so long and now you know all the stars are aligning and and opportunities are coming into place mm-hmm. and she's the person for the job and mm-hmm. it's just really awesome to have her here cool so welcome to the show thank you thank but then you. also so for everybody because i didn't really know social determinants of health until you kind of educated me both of you a couple of weeks wow. ago i really didn't i mean i knew i understood the concept i knew it was out there but i didn't understand the details and, and i certainly do understand the importance but give, give my audience an understanding of what social determinants of health is sure and it's a, been a hot topic yeah. at the conference um so first I, I like to always state that social determinants of health are neither positive or negative they're really just factors the way we are right where we live what uh, where we work, what our education levels, but when you start, um, when you don't address them, especially around social risk and social mm-hmm. need, then it has a sincere impact on your overall health. And just like Jamie said, social determinants of health inform whole person care, and there's growing evidence around not only informing the the sort of the, the integrating across the care continuum, but really showing impactful outcomes on on health, but also lowering costs. So there's much interest in that for that reason. And I think we definitely need to shift from just um, focusing on acute episodic care yes. to focusing on what are what are the things that make us healthy, make us happy, and make us well overall. So what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry regarding this? And- Oh, there's there's so many. It's it's exciting because, um, you know, usually when you start a project, it's like, what's the business case for this? Why should we care? And you're seeing interventions from the payers, both public and private employers, um, that are actually investing in addressing these social mm-hmm. risk issues, and they're identifying interventions such as, you know, we have plans paying for. Um, air filtration or clean, you know, I think that's amazing. Instead of saying, I'm going to give you a clinical intervention, I'm going to pay for you to have a healthy living environment at home so you do do not come into the ER, right? So you're seeing this is growing every day I hear of new interventions and we call them non-clinical interventions, but they're being led by the healthcare industry versus on the community side, a lot of, many of these interventions do exist um, you know, on the med- many Medicaid services and programs run around this, but you're first of all, your first time you're seeing this big shift on on the clinical side. Well, yeah, and I, I don't know if this is an exact example or not, but I remember ten years ago mm-hmm. when we first started tackling a lot of accountable care and ACOs, and then one of the ACOs out in Washington State or Oregon, part of their model was to buy air conditioning units for the stroke victims. Mm-hmm. There was in the summertime they're having strokes. It wasn't because yeah. anything else health wise, they were overheated. It's common it, sense. Yes, right. exactly. And I was like, oh, and I, it just made a lot of. I just loved it. I'm like, that's now we're starting to tackle healthcare in a much better way. It's not another pill. Don't give them. You know, yes, that's what we not, just it's not push pill. pills on them. It's not about that. That's fantastic. Um, so what are you seeing, Jen? Um, Jamie, for trends. Uh, One of the things that, so my focus is a a bit different, Mm -hmm. uh, but what I'm seeing is that there are a lot of folks in the entrepreneurial world realizing how um, if they want to grow their health tech companies and they want to be successful, they have to align with the regulatory frameworks that are coming out. Very much so. And so it's exciting to see that starting to emerge. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I'm seeing is that folks are often trying to figure out how to do it within their um, business models. 
Um, and so we're trying to work with them to figure out what the right way is. Um, but I think that that's exciting because then folks both on the, you know, on the specific uh, startup were in, in terms of the individual entrepreneur versus the larger investor groups, they're all looking at yes. it, you know, across the spectrum. So that's finally really exciting because over the last number of years being at ONC, you'd have folks saying, we, we figured it out. We know how to disrupt healthcare. And they're realizing, they're starting to realize that disrupting healthcare doesn't exactly <laughs> work the way that they thought it was going to work. Right. Nope. I agree. So now on the social determinants of health, what innovations are you seeing in the marketplace um, regarding using SDH data in care delivery? So there's, um, so right now there's this large and, and evident interest from healthcare systems of wanting to use their EHRs mm -hmm. to document um, social determinants of health or social risk. So you're seeing a lot of programs around how can we integrate these screening tools and be able to document and track and monitor care for that, that individual and actually start demonstrating yeah. uh, lower costs. So what it's say from, I'd say the trends are really on being innovative, on updating their systems, on being, um, being able to integrate that data across different clinical and non-clinical systems. The challenge, however, is that the data itself, right now, there is no common definition. Yeah, I'm about to say, I wouldn't know how to put <laughs> that inside a system. No, so yeah. it's great, like everyone's yeah. on this, but they're like, we can, th those that have been successful using their existing data infrastructure, it's because they're already interconnected, and they've determined what codes they need to use, and they've had, they set their own policies internal, um, but then when it comes to, as we look at the landscape of where mm -hmm. we're moving towards, and of course the rules were really evident that we have to move towards, we have to really shift to using interoperable data systems. You know, that's where they're stuck, and they're stuck because they don't have these common definitions. So, so one of the near-term opportunities, and Siren I, the Siren Project is, I have to put a plug yes. for that because it is based on these trends. That, what does it stand for? What's Siren? So Siren is the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network out of University of California in San Francisco. And they're an academic institution um, that has focused for the last three years on studying, researching, gathering evidence around social and medical care integration. And part of their work was you know, investigating how can we help health systems document this so we can actually do, you know, that's the part where the data aggregation, like how can we use this data to actually inform better care, identify better programs, um, and not leave it to the community-based setting. Yeah. So um, we're going to stand up a project soon on actually identifying what those common definitions need to be and work with industry, bringing them together, because these things don't happen in silo. So this is the case where the codes that exist in the market right now, no one knows how to use them. No one knows which ones to use because they were developed in silo and not mm. with broad stakeholder, um, and I would say broad stakeholder engagement, like an, an ability for them to participate. So that's, we always say the starting part whenever you create any standards work to support interoperable interoperability, uh, start with multi-stakeholder groups and, and ensure that you are defining things the same way and therefore you will make them more usable Very true. in the long term. 
and I would add to that mm. that the key on that is adoption, right? Yeah. So it's not that one standard is better than the other. It's that when you have a large uh, community of stakeholders coming together and you have a majority yeah. at the table, then you already have a large adoption, which makes the you know adoption across the stakeholders that even might not be at the table much higher. And that's what we've seen with fire. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, fire has really taken off over the last number of years, not because it's the best standard in the world. I'm not saying it's bad, right, right. But, but, but it was really great because finally a lot of key people came together and said, we have to figure this out and do something. And that something then got developed and now fire is as mature as it is now because so many people came together yeah. yep. and now it's being adopted a lot. Yep. Yeah. So you mentioned one, siren being a best practice. What other what are a couple of the best practices to engage this and, and this trend around social terms of health and so forth? What else would you share with my audience? Well, we have, I, I would say there's, there's the opportunity to convene across, um, across the, the broad stakeholder groups, but having a platform that supports the ability for individuals to voice or organizations or entities that care about this to actually contribute to the work. But I think as we move forward, uh, definitely there's, you know, the, the siren work, we, we say it's it's a seed, right? It's a starting mm -hmm. point. Yep. Um, and we, you know, just Jamie mentioned FIRE, which is an HL7, very popular at this con yes. conference. Um, oh, Anish was my second guest okay, today. So, so we talk, oh, so, about FIRE every year. Yeah, so FIRE. <laughs> He's um, always on FIRE, yes. Yes. And CMS is on fire. So yes, yes, we, we see this being, you know, we, we will stand this up as an HL7 project. So mm -hmm. it have a clear linkage to Karen, that Anisha's yep, sure. project, yes. um, Argonaut, yep. and Da Vinci, right? So these are projects that, are, you know, Da Vinci very much focus on fire for, to support value-based payment. Uh, addressing whole person care and um, being able to capture the da data across different settings, SDOH fits in nicely there. So you're going to see, you know, that's, and those are also um, multi-stakeholder um, communities, yeah. right? So I think this all builds, so you see that trend, it's not, you can no longer um, build or develop things in silo, you must right. engage a broader community. As Jamie said, definitely on adoption, because if, if folks don't feel they have their voice being heard and what actually ends up being developed, and eventually, this is a starting point, you know, the U US, so if Elise talked about US CDI, yeah, SDOH is a data proposed data class, so, Definitely the trend, you know, there is a regulatory trend that way. And we, if we're defining it here, so by the time it gets into, you know, regulation or proposed regulation, you've had strong yes. industry, exactly yes. what FIRE's model's been, yes, right? exactly. No, that's excellent. Mm -hmm. So in my closing minute or so, a couple minutes, each of you, kind of a lightning round, thinking three years out, because we talk about it here and now, um, and you're you're on the you are on the cutting edge of what's coming too with social terms of health. I guess you call it SDOH. Um, but I'll start off with you, Jamie. What do you see coming down that we have to think about in 2022 that we just be ready for? So, from the entrepreneurial world, I think folks are trying to understand how to create the right uh, patient-facing applications mm. that will allow them to be more empowered to use their data and be engaged. Uh, with their care um, and how those uh, pieces will fit into the new value-based care world. Um, there's going to be an interesting 
development, or it's going to just be interesting to watch over the next year or two to see what the big regs that Jeff talked about yeah. are going to affect all of the pieces that these folks are developing. Um, yeah, so I, I think that th that's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to get a little chaotic first uh, before it gets better. I would agree with that completely. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on trends to look forward in three years from now? Oh, so I mentioned USCDI from a regulatory perspective, yep. payment reform. So definitely you're going to have both private and public payers. And we're seeing that, you know, we're, CMS announced that they were looking at incorporating housing services, paying for housing services under Medicare. Right. You know, so that's, and, they, and they're, you know, uh, Secretary Azar mentioned having payment model under CMMI focused on social integrating social determinants of health. So I, I think you're going to have a, a many more payment programs around that. That's and then yeah. from the vendor, like innovation, you need more technologies available that can aggregate this data and make it useful and impactful. So I think trends around being able to incorporate this data from mul multiple sources and readily visualize it to inform decision making, I think that's definitely what you we should be seeing in the horizon. I think if there was a term that people need to really think about, it's actionable data, both for patients yeah. and for That's providers. That's how I opened my show. You listen to this, you get actionable intelligence. I'm I got sorry. actionable intelligence, but yes, <laughs> actionable data. I love it. Yes. yes. Yeah. Very I, cool. I would say also innovative. We talk about innovative interventions and innovative financing because you now yes. you're going to innovative be funding financing. things differently. Yes, absolutely. That's excellent. Yeah, and we have. I guess one of the themes from today that has emerged, and you mentioned it just a moment ago, is you kind of, is you're going to be getting, you got to look at a health system. Um, they're talking about health systems not really even being, we got to think about integrating to the larger ecosystem mm -hmm. and health systems not even being um, territorial anymore. And specifically, even, I mean, Thomas Jefferson University and Jeff Health out of Philadelphia brought this up. They said, we aren't thinking that our, it's our backyard is going to be our backyard in three years. Okay. Theirs was, we're looking for health applications for your, for America. We're right. looking to solve things, you know, with, with IoT and the way we can engage patients in virtual care. Is There's no reason they have to just be in Philadelphia. They can be in California. They can be in Japan. We can just be a global health care provider. And it's like that, I see the walls of health systems coming down. That feeds a lot of what we're Absolutely. talking about Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. You talk about social determinants of health, but then you're going to bring in other global citizens, global communities. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah, so... Pretty interesting. You think about Very years exciting. out. Um, yeah. My next guest is um, Ligia. 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 How do you say her last name? Riccardi. Riccardi. Ligia Riccardi. Excellent, because if she's not here, we can keep going, because she's my 5 o'clock guest, and she's not here, and we can just wrap it up. Well, I hope she comes, because she yeah, is amazing. Great. I know yeah. she is. If you, you know, having her on She's never on been on, board. A, I'm on my radio show before, but she was my 5 o'clock guest. Um, uh. But let me see here. What do you guys have planned for the rest of HIMSS? What are your What are your big goals? Start off with you, Jamie. The next so couple I'm, of days. So I'm really excited to kind of be a fly on the wall at Venture Connect tomorrow. That's what Howard, my other guest, just before this, he's one of the founders of Venture Connect, and he's that's with what he said. Connect. I want to go in and listen. It's been interesting to see how after HIMSS is kind of taken up Health 2.0 to see that merging here. You asked Jeff earlier, what are the new pockets of folks that HIMSS have taken on as mm -hmm. a community? And it's been really exciting to see the health developer and entrepreneurial world be part of the, health, the, the HIMSS mix. 
you know, and so tomorrow I'm going to be interested in, in watching that. It'll be my first time, but for our uh, new company, it's interesting to see what, what that genre is talking about right yep. now. And I think there are eight companies pitching and 750. It's a shark tank, yeah. really. Yeah, 750 wow. attendees, you know, all day shark tank, wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun. It's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you the next couple no, of days? No, I just wanted to, oh. when you said about new folks being here, I, like, you know, kudos to Lyft. Like, you've got I the know. transportation sharing apps here. I think that definitely That's right, they're partnership they, with Allscripts, all, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that's incredible. Um, I'm here to pitch my work with Sirens. <laughs> How do we engage so, Siren? Um, so, no, we would open it up under as an HL7 project. So mm-hmm. we will announce it and invite folks to sign up. Um, and it will be led uh, by my firm, EMI Advisors, um, under HL7. So Siren is the main sponsor, and they'll carry it through. Is Chuck Jaffe still there? Chuck is the CEO, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. I've known him for probably 20 years now. Yeah. Cool. We want to invite it. So part of it is, yeah, just announcing it, making sure folks know if they are interested in social determinants of health. Um, come see SDOH. me. Yeah, SDOH. <laughs> Actually, Siren calls it SDH. So that's also, I'm like, yeah. semantics are important here if we're going to yeah, yeah. shorten words. Well, it has SDH in my notes. Yes. Whether you said SDOH. Because HIMS calls it SDOH. Gotcha. And yeah. now we speak to who you're, you know, make sure they can understand <laughs> what you're saying. It's yeah, conference at SDH. Tim's, I said they call it SDH. So yes, I'm. So I'm. I'm. I'm also excited to hear more about you know technologies. Many are integrating mm-hmm. SDH, SDOH data. Yep. And um, mm-hmm. I actually had. I'm happy to see Lyft as well because when I was trying to come here, I ordered. When I actually was going to the airport on Monday morning, mm-hmm. Uber didn't show up. Oh. I almost missed. My, I didn't almost miss my flight because I always go plenty of time. Yeah. Uber just didn't show up. I kept on switching drivers. And it was ten minutes out, fifteen minutes out. I called Lyft. They're there in six minutes. So I'm going to give Lyft go. a plug. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, actually, I was so go. upset. <laughs> Monday morning, go. I'm like, I got to get to. The, I got to get to the airport. <laughs> so anyhow, well, anything else that you guys want to mention since we ha- we're here live on air? And I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up because we'll be out of time here. And I hate to miss her, but something might have happened with her schedule. Yeah. Um, but anything else you want to? I think that in the kind of world of looking at oh, the regs that are coming out and, and folks looking at the whole patient data, I really want to go back to my kind of foundation of my passions, which is patient outcomes and the research aspect of it. That's going to still be really important. So when we're talking about SDOH, for me, it's I'm excited because now we can do research and we can ask questions that really answer the entire entirety of the question and not mm-hmm. just a snippet. So I think that I really want to put a plug into maybe an old term. People get excited and then get waned out about buzzwords, but I think that people need to remember that it's all about patient outcomes and not just in terms of what the hospital or the hospitalist or the provider wants, but what the patient wants is their outcomes. And I think that as we use more data, mm-hmm. it's going to be really exciting on how we can get there. It's excellent. You actually made me think of when you said we talk about regs and, and I thought you were going on the commenting track as Elise brought up. And I do want to bring this again to my yeah. to my listeners. Do go out there, look at these rules, make your comments. But also it's important to say what you like about the rules, what you don't like about the rule. Yes, and that's absolutely. something we've been trying to educate people yeah. on because we always go out there. We'll complain all day long. But what do you like? You must like something here. Oh, yeah. We like all these 10 points. Well, tell us that, please, because then we, the rule does not get changed too much in the wrong direction. Absolutely. 
Excellent. So that's yeah. one thing you made me think of there. That's true. Anything in closing that you want to bring up? Um, I'd say whatever, I, I'm, as Jamie alluded to, I'm an advocate for person-centered care. Yes. So anything, you know, even if we're talking about social determinants and if social risk has those negative, you know, people think they're negative, but really it's really about making sure that the individual, the person is at heart and all their needs and preferences are addressed by the all their care providers. So I think it's really around something um, that we need to shift from patient at the center to person to person centeredness because 99% of our lifetime we are people and maybe 1% we are a patient. That stat has come up twice today. I love right. it. It's a great my, stat. My. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well, Jamie, Evelyn, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for returning, yeah. Jamie, and thank you for all your help in the, in the uh, think tank as well. And we'll see you guys Absolutely. also in the morning. Early. Tomorrow. Early. Yeah. I am so sorry. I know. It's the only time that would work for everybody's schedule. It's okay. Thank, thank you, you so ladies. much. I thank truly you. appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for listening. I um, just want to say thanks also to my partners, Business Radio X, Stone and Lee. We had a great day, guys. Thank you very much. My voice is about to give out. So we've done four, a little over four hours of broadcasting live. Um, so thank you, guys. Gentlemen, you're a true pleasure to always work with. And then Roberta Mullen from Healthcare Now Radio. She was the brainchild of this show um, five years ago. She offered it to me, and so I took it. Uh, and many thanks to, obviously, Lenovo Health for hosting us, Intel Health for always supporting us, and HIMSS organization. This show would not be possible without all of them. Uh, and certainly tune in weekdays at 11.30 a.m. Uh, Pacific, 2.30 p.m. Eastern to hear our latest shows. You can always track me on Twitter at HIT Advising and use the hashtag ThisJustinRadio so you can respond to your comments from the show. And always, you can catch all my episodes posted on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Speaker, Google Play, and TuneIn. Welcome back to the special broadcast of This Justin Radio, live from Hymns 19 in Orlando. My next guest is the one and only Ed Marks, Chief Information Officer for the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Justin. I'm glad to be part of it. Well, um, again, uh, thank you very much. And I know that uh, you have a, um, a very busy schedule, so we truly appreciate you taking the time to join our show as you do every year. Uh, we're grateful for that. Um, but what uh, what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry? I'm really focused on a two or three. The first and foremost being patient safety and quality. So that's the heartbeat of what we do. And so some of the trends I see is just how do we provide safer care and at a higher level of quality? And I think that we are able these days to leverage technology to really help address that particular trend, if you will. The second is really the acceleration of mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a huge technology component to successful M&A. And, and I see that as a pretty major trend, not just in the provider side, but you're seeing it in the PBMs and payer side as well. And then finally, the third major trend that I'm really keeping an eye out for is really the patient experience. So that's everything from, of course, customer service, but also on the technical side, it's really enabling that experience to make it what they expect it to be when they interact with other industries. And so healthcare, as you and I have spoken about in the past, a little bit behind. And so we got some catching up to do. So some people might call this the quote unquote digital space, but I think of it as patient experience. So those are the three that come top of mind. You know, that's excellent. Patient safety and 
M and A and patient experience. That's that's terrific. Spot on. Your perspective is terrific. So, thinking about those three components, what are two to three best practices or strategies that you can share to help others navigate those trends? One that I think we sometimes overlook is really humbling ourselves and looking outside of our own industry and looking at best practices. So, for instance, on patient experience, I'm meeting with the Cleveland Indian CIO because the Cleveland Indians have done a great job connecting with their fan base. Mm. For a small market team, Major League Baseball team, they have one of the most expansive customer engagement. Their reach is, is pretty amazing for a small market. And so why have they been able to do that? What, what are the things that they're doing from a technology point of view? So I'm learning from him. And so that's just one example. Another is with analytics, I'm learning from Progressive. So Progressive Insurance, you know, very strong, robust insurance company. And, and they do, their, their, their lifeblood is really analytics. So why not sort of reach out to other people outside of healthcare? So that's, that's one thing. The second is within healthcare, of course, we have great peers that we can reach out to. And I always encourage that, whether it's through a HIMSS forum, a Chime forum. And there's some smaller things. Like recently we gathered with other digital leaders at Stanford and really shared each, each organization was there to share one best practice. And so there was, it was a very small intimate group of 20. And so we learned 19 other best practices that we can apply. So that, those are two examples of how you can really leverage best practices or learn strategies that can help your organization. Wow, that's fantastic, Ed, and uh, you're spot on. I actually created a think tank a couple of years ago, and that's exactly what we do is we get together uh, facilities of all sizes and organizations, innovators of all shapes and sizes, payers of all shapes and sizes, uh, other key thought leaders, and really bring them together to share their best practices. And I love your idea of bring one um, to, uh, to the table that really has helped your organization. It's terrific. So I certainly wrote that one down. So now thinking beyond today, what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from now? So I think one is voice. So to me, voice is the new mobile. Yeah. Just like we're all hot and heavy about mobile and for the right reasons a few years ago, and certainly that has come true. Everything has moved to the mobile and really transform the way that we deliver care. And I think the next step is voice. So I think we'll no longer use the word mobile because that's just the standard, that's the expectation. And so it'll really be more focused on voice. And we're seeing some early things, right? You see it in the, on the consumer side. And then how do we take all the work that's being done with voice and then applying it to healthcare? So we need, really need to be ready. It's just a simple example. I mean, this is really simple, but I think sometimes you just gotta start simple. I, I, I've given all these tools and technology to my wonderful administrative assistant, and I've asked her to create our office as completely voice. So that's just, it's small, but I'm telling you, you gotta experiment yourself in order for you to come up with working with your colleagues, working with, your clinicians and everyone in your ecosystem, sort of as what we consider a team of teams, and explore these different areas because they give you new ideas. So if you can handle 
voice at home, voice in your car, voice in your office, you now have somewhat of a base to go out and look at it in a clinical practice along, again, with, with the appropriate clinical personnel to really see what we can do. So that's just one, one thing in terms of where we're going. I think, and you know, I'm sure other guests have really insightful answers here, and I'm trying not to duplicate any other. So the, the one other I might suggest is virtual reality. And so we're doing a lot with virtual reality. I don't know if you saw the full face transplant case that was released recently through National Geographic, but these amazing clinicians that I get to serve with, they, they leveraged virtual reality to help them. In our medical school, you know, we're cadaverless. We are moving to paperless. And the amount of virtual reality that, again, some very fine, innovative, wise people are developing here, uh, would just blow you away. And then the other thing, you know, as a third example, is just how we take virtual reality also like working with our local zoo and allowing some of our pediatric patients the experience of hanging out with an elephant or a giraffe, even though they're in a patient room. So those are just some things that are sort of in the early stages today and are going to move forward quite rapidly in the next one to three years that we all need to be keeping an eye out on. And then when I say that, it's like start experimenting now. Right. The examples I gave, other than the, the one with the face transplant, that was very complex uh, and education. But the one with the zoo, not so complex. The one with just enabling your office to be voice, not complex. And so everyone can start now. That's what I love about some of these more simple examples is get started now so that you're ready as technology matures or the organization matures or the business case, clinical cases open up. Grab hold of this now so that you're ready to help lead. I, Ed, that's fantastic. And I could, I completely agree. I have actually taken, I don't say bit the bullet, but uh, about a year, year and a half ago, um, I decided to really make voice uh, as integrated into my work for my daily workflow as possible. And so now, I mean, I've really trained my phone, uh, my home, my whole entire house is voice activated and voice automated. Uh, and, and you're right, it's not, it's actually not difficult. It just takes the, if you take a little bit of time, do a little bit each month, and these products get better too. I mean, where Siri is today, yep. Siri was not a year ago or two years ago. And just exactly. the accuracy and all products are moving in this direction. So, or at least most of them. Yeah, and it gives you a base then when you work with your clinicians that you have this experience. You may not be the world expert on it, but at least you're using it. And it just provides that credibility. And, it, and again, it stimulates innovation because you start thinking, oh, what if this works this way for a clinician and made, you know, help reduce burnout? So it's really important that we all grab hold of these things and just start experimenting ourselves, no matter how small. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and actually, one thing you made think of in the think tank, our, our last one, we actually brought up voice first, not voice only. So to begin, we, we encourage our providers inside the think tank to, to really go back. We gave them several examples that were live uh, care providers doing today and how to you know navigate with their care plans, navigate certainly with their patients. Uh, but really, the, the mantra that we said is voice first, but not voice only. And so you get people beginning to engage, but it's not the holy grail. So. Yeah, I love it. That's great. 
Excellent. Well, Ed, I truly appreciate your time. As always, my good friend, Ed Marks, Cleveland Clinic. And thank you very much for joining our special live episode from Hims 19 Thank you, Justin. Welcome back and thank you very much. I have one final guest here at Hims 19 Vijaya Ricciardi, from Chief Transformation Officer from Carium. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Justin. This is your first time on the show. I'm very excited to have you. And since I don't know Carium very well, I would love you to spend a minute or 90 seconds or so. We just did a, a great countdown here, so now we're really versed on seconds. But 90 seconds or so on what Carium is and what you sure. guys do. It's a software company that builds a patient engagement platform. So we partner with existing health systems, community-based organizations, and others to provide an online experience or an app-based experience that guides patients through their health and wellness journey. So that's like prompts, mm -hmm. like don't forget to follow through on that appointment with the specialist, but it's also kind of nudges and encouragement about getting more exercise or eating better, that kind of thing. How, what type of innovations are you deploying in that platform? Are you using like voice? Are you using other types of what type of technology? Texas or what are you using for? So like I think a, a lot of these things we may expand into. We're mm -hmm. under a year old. We were actually started last April, but we are up and running with the Petaluma Health Center and yes. with other folks I saw that. too, yes. whom I can't yet announce. Yeah. Um, but right now, part of what we're doing that's really innovative is that we are using behavior change science to understand kind of what's motivating people and to. Uh, mm. tailor how we motivate them um, based on things that we know about them. So that's one thing that we're doing. And we're, we're really trying to understand and get to know the person, not just like what's your health history, right. but things like how are you feeling today? How are you feeling yesterday? Is there a trend? You know, what's important to you? Those kinds of questions. The idea being that, you know, technology, part of what's really cool is that technology can really bring us personalization at scale. Very true. And you have deep consumerism roots. So say, give me yeah. 30 seconds from your ONC post and what you did there. You did great work. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So I went to ONC in the midst of implementation of the High Tech Act. And I was 20, already, 2011, 2011 actually, okay, yeah. I was already super passionate about empowering consumers and patients. And I went there with that in mind. And I would say it was sort of a, it was something that the agency had thought of. But mm -hmm. while I was there, I really worked hard to expand it and to collaborate with partners both within ONC and a lot in the outside community too, to say, this consumer thing, this isn't just like a small add-on. This is a really, really major part of how we're going to yes. transform healthcare. Was Farzad the coordinator then or who was the coordinator? Uh, uh, I actually was there with three different coordinators, okay. Blumenthal briefly yeah, and it. Farzad during the whole of his tenure as national coordinator, <laughs> yeah. although he uh, was part of the and then team Jacob, that hired right? me. Uh, Jacob as well, yes, and Karen DeSalvo. So okay. actually I got four. Beautiful. Yeah. That's right. Very cool. Um, and then also, did I see you outside? Do you have a cape on? Are you wearing a cape? Because Rasu was here I earlier. I may and have a cape. I think you have a cape on. You're the communicator. That's supposed to be off the record. But I love yes, it. I actually wanted to be the consumerista because yeah. I used to kind of be called that. Yeah, exactly. But it, that didn't exactly hit the, it's like we had to have a certain form of word. So they decided uh, on communicator, which works okay. That's cool. Yeah. But I, can, I, I like communicate a much, lot about yeah. consumer stuff. And it's I all like good, though. Yeah, now I like consumerista. That's fantastic. Okay, so now let's talk into some of the thought leader stuff. Um, what healthcare and health IT trends are you seeing or are you navigating out in the industry? Let me so, touch on a bit. having come from ONC, 
Um, I am pretty excited about the announcement yesterday yes. by ONC and CMS. Elise was here earlier. Yeah. Elise, yes. So you've already heard about it somewhat, but yes. just for those who Please, perhaps yeah. weren't listening, yes. this is kind of furthering the them. idea of how dare them. No. Uh, this is furthering the idea of patient access to data, and in this case, using APIs to do it. Love and that's it. really exciting, not only because it just generally makes it easier, but also because it enables a whole ecosystem of apps and tools, like the company I work at now, yes. to be built around consumers. Half my guests today are in that boat. They love APIs and the, yeah. the push here. Well, yeah. like, love again, it. this whole idea that, like, nothing's going to change, big picture in healthcare, unless mm -hmm. we have real sort of cross-collaboration among different silos and different industries. And I love that we're increasingly seeing the healthcare industry work with tech and consumer-oriented tech, whether that's, you know, startups or big established companies. Yep. Nope, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, my first guest or my second guest was the niche. So gotcha. you can't you can't get away. With, you know, we, we talked, we started the show right off with APIs and we geeked out right on the... Oh, I bet you did. Run the, from get-go, so... Perfect. I love it, though. Um, what are two or three best practices that you can share with my guests around how to navigate these trends or get more involved in them? So I will say this. If you think about one trend as further engaging consumers, which mm -hmm. this rule or proposed mm -hmm. set of rules is supporting, um, you have to really think about what's going to motivate your consumer or your customer. I think too often in healthcare we think about healing the patient and what we think in a kind of paternalistic way often is best for them. Yep. But we have to kind of ask, literally ask people, why are you motivated? So if the issue is, hey, I need you to get in shape and like lose 10 pounds, maybe you're motivated because you want to go back to your high school reunion or you want to play with your grandkids or whatever it is. And if you sort Great. of start with the motivation and then some of the specific goals, um, that's, that's one best practice. Excellent. Like really think of your consumer first. Yep. I would say another one is to recognize that so much of health and wellness is influenced by not just what happens in the healthcare system, but all the things that happen outside. So not just, you know, increasingly people are talking about social determinants of health, socioeconomic factors yeah. that impact people's lives. That matters. Genomics matter. It's all these things, you know, actual healthcare impacts only about 10% of your overall picture of well-being. So think so beyond, you know, what happens in the office, in the clinic. Think about people's kind of lifescape as they go about their days and bring healthcare to them. Nope, that's fantastic. Um, thinking about, because we talk about a lot of here and now at HIMSS. Um, yeah. But thinking about three years from now, in 2022, what should we keep our eye on to have to navigate them or to be able to, you know, successfully navigate to thrive? So... Um, a lot of people are talking about artificial intelligence mm -hmm. now. That's something we can't sort of escape. 94% of my guests today have talked okay, about so AI. so we don't even need to go back to that then. Well, but in a really positive way. People yes. initially, they're snickering, um, not on air, but just yeah. in the last, oh, it's a, it's a hype, it's hype. No, it's actually not hype. It's actually being right. involved in care strategies, care planning now. Doctors want to be trained on it, so well, it's Well, part cool. of what's going on is that we have this immense proliferation of data. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if you look at consumers' lives, as I was saying, and you try and sort of piece together the whole picture of what influences someone's health, a lot of that is things that are beyond the traditional health system, other kinds of data, like what I ate for lunch and all these, you know, my moods, whom I spoke to, um, all kinds of other details. And people can be overwhelmed by data. AI is one thing that can help you navigate, whether you're in the provider position or the patient perspective, like make sense of that. What are the trends that matter? What are the things that we can pull out of that that we really need mm -hmm. to watch? So I think we need AI in order to kind of navigate the masses of data that we now have access Agreed to. Completely. 
Um, but it's also important to not sort of just kind of say like, oh, AI will fix everything. Right. Yes. I mean, what is AI? Healthcare. Like that still depends <laughs> right. on a lot of rules and algorithms yeah. that are ultimately written by people. We yes. have to figure out yes. what matters and we have That's to figure point. out how to do it in ways that are relatively unbiased as well, which is a challenge. So there's a lot that um, we're learning, I think, as an industry to figure out how to make AI more actually intelligent. Mm -hmm. That's very good. And then also, I think the other side of AI is artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. I think it's yes. when you get done with the doctors and care providers, you know, they still are going to be the domain expert, but we can use it. They can augment what we do and so forth. Can I just say, Please. speaking about augmentation. Yes. So augmented reality is another thing that I think yes. is going to be really interesting and coming down the pike Big in just time. a few years. Yes. I mean, already, if you've ever <laughs> like played Pokemon Go or used a Snapchat filter, augmented reality is happening. I have not done either of those, though. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, you're almost off, right? <laughs> yes. I'll show you. It's going to be fun. Cool. But awesome. um, yeah, so let's but incorporate those things yeah. for healthcare. Yeah. So as you're grocery shopping, why not say like, you know, you know, have sort of like an overlay of like, you could mix up these Brussels sprouts with that olive oil and that garlic and you could put together a whatever mm -hmm. as an example. Yeah, that's great. So you could do all kinds well, of things. Well, I'm a big foodie, to... so I love that example. All right. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Perfect. Well, apparently we both have had Italian grandmothers, <laughs> yes. so that makes sense. Yes. And she did teach me how to cook too. Um, no, I agree completely. Actually, last year, we, in this exact panel, we, uh, we actually not this exact panel, but um, a panel that we had in the radio show, talked about augmented reality. And they gave several examples that are being done today around doing, um, they don't usually do cadavers anymore. They actually do a lot of their surgeries through, through augmented reality yes. and virtual reality. Yes. And so, you know. You Another don't thing, I don't know if people talked about this, but like venipuncture. Mm -hmm. So have you seen these yes. things? It's yeah. like this scanner you can put over someone's arm and you can sort of see in an augmented way where someone's blood vessels are and where all the veins are and therefore your stick rate of right. success is significantly higher. higher yeah nope I love it and so I agree it's with pretty you pretty cool it is so in closing what do you hope to achieve over the next couple days here you're gonna communicate a lot yeah with people yeah but what are you looking to achieve or, or what are you looking forward to in the next couple of days yeah I mean what I'm looking forward to and what I'm hoping to achieve actually is you know I've made this switch from working in policy I spent a number of years consulting um, in my own private practice now I'm working with a tech company mm -hmm. and I'm really interested in partnerships and unconventional partnerships mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting that we've got you know Uber and Lyft here talking about working with healthcare stuff like that yeah. so people from sort of non-traditional uh, combinations coming together. I'm interested in exploring some of those with my company, mm -hmm. and um, and well, also you came learning to a grand about Grand Slam place for that. That's, I yes. know it's yeah. a good place for that, but also sort of seeing what other kinds of creative partnerships are percolating. Because I think, um, yeah, obviously not even the biggest. You know, like there was the Apple Aetna merger announced just the other, you know, recently last week, and uh, mm -hmm. not even the biggest, you know, tech company can like go at something alone anymore. Right. Certainly in healthcare, we've all got a partner. Yep. So that's where it gets interesting. Well, let me give Lyft another plug. I actually had an unfortunate incident with Uber on Monday morning where they canceled my trip to the airport. And we um, actually, uh, Evelyn and Jamie brought up Lyft and the Lyft, actually Allscripts Lyft partnership. Um, and just, I want to give Lyft another, and also they've helped sponsor him. So we'll give Lyft another plug. That is pretty cool. Because they're thinking innovatively and in how to partner. But I think Uber will as well. I mean, actually, <clears throat> four years ago or three years ago, I was in Arizona for actually a college football game. And one of the drivers, our Uber driver, uh, I always ask people questions when I travel and I yeah. get around about the community. You learn a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I always talk to them. And 
I said, so um, how long have you been driving? He's like, well, I, I drive, I've only been driving for Uber for a couple of months, but I work for a hospital. And I'm like, well, what's the difference? Oh, I make 10 times what I make. Or no, 20 times. I make 20 really? times the amount of working for the hospital than I do Uber. I'm like, why? Oh, because the exact same trip costs 20 times more working for oh, a hospital. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with health care? Well, so you know that like a Uber's ride in like, that. you know, an ambulance costs what? <laughs> 2,000 times as much or something yeah, like well, it's, that. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, I mean, it's more than, it's like $100 a mile or I think it's like 100 or $500 a mile. Something ridiculous like that. No, it's $100 a mile, I think it is, to ride an ambulance. But they're just driving a car. Like a car. So maybe one day we'll get crowd shares, you know, like well, anyone can be an ambulance for a few hours. Well, I think what it is is I understand, I, I understand the complexity of the ambulance, but I don't under, he gets paid. He no, got you're paid. right. Yeah, yeah, 20 yeah. Twenty times to be in the same Toyota Corolla to drive sure. someone to an hospital, then drive someone to Uber. Is that because healthcare? Just yeah, yeah, healthcare yeah. Just we're Amazing. an open book. We're an open checkbook. We all pay. This is ridiculous. And we start cutting that stuff out, and that's when I knew Uber's going to disrupt that mar- model because even if they charge double, sure. it's still less than twenty times. Sure. is what the other companies are charging. These are private organizations that hire drivers at twenty x what Uber is charging. Presumably, though, maybe that person who's driving for healthcare had to go through some extra background checks or. I don't know. Drive hope. carefully, or Holy. don't. I don't know. One does hope, but yes. I don't know. Yeah. But anyhow, Lygia, true pleasure to have you on air today. I'm glad you could join the show, and I'd love to have you back as you develop your as you build your company. Let me know. I'd love to have you on air. Um, I love what you guys are doing. So excellent. Thank you, it. Justin. You got it. it. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you, everybody. Uh, that is a complete wrap for today. I appreciate all of you for joining us, and um, certainly tune in. We'll be broadcasting this here. If you miss any of this episode, uh, probably within a week or so, we'll have all this posted up. But thank you so much, everybody. Have a great week.